welcome to a very special bonus episode of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. Emphasis on low-key. My name is Brendan Bigley. <laughs> I'm Stephen Hilger. And I, I, I am Tamar Hussain. Thank you so much for joining us again, Tamar. I love that you've joined us now twice for two trilogies. I want to keep that going, at least for yes. a third time. You know? I want to be the trilogy guy. What other trilogies are there? Uh, I mean, good ones. <laughs> we could, uh, we could, we could, hey, we could dip into the bad bag. Yeah, that'd be fine. I mean, yeah. like good ones that you could technically say the Metal Gear Solid first three games count as a trilogy, kind of. You know um, what? Flag in the ground. That bit is over. I'm good with that. We'll see you for that one eventually. Welcome <laughs> to the Mass Effect Legendary Edition bonus episode, which I am surprisingly exhilarated to record. So I, I guess just to be clear, right at the top, we played Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3 in the newly released in 2021 Mass Effect Legendary Edition re-release for multiple consoles. We did not play kind of we did not play mass effect andromeda the um i'll say much maligned fourth game uh in the series uh we just wanted to play what was available in the legendary edition it's the new release it's the cool thing uh steven has wanted to revisit it and talk about it on the show for a long time i have always wanted to play through all three games tam has been around and has played them and loves mm-hmm. them clearly if, if you go check out his twitter account which you should there's a lot of mass effect legendary edition on there which has been great Mm-hmm. Uh, to see where you're at. I was trying to keep pace with you based on where you were tweeting about was my move. <laughs> but anyway, this has been a wild time. I, I think as we usually do with these kinds of episodes, we wanted to kind of like kick it off with, uh, you know, our history with the franchise, which I'll I'll do very quickly because I have almost none, which is I tried playing two in like 2010 ish, I want to say, and liked it a bunch and then was like, I should go play the first one, actually, so I can carry up over all my stuff. And then uh, just like didn't. And then I stopped. <laughs> and then the Legendary Edition came out and I played it for this episode. And that's my history with Mass Effect. Thank you. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm like just starstruck that we're here because I don't want to overhype this episode, but I think I've been waiting my whole life for this, uh, to be completely honest. But anyway, I guess I'll go next. Uh, I will also make it short because I've talked a lot on this show about my history with the series. Uh, and we've even talked about like our time with the Legendary Edition, like as spoiler free as we could in regular episodes, which is very funny of us being like, isn't it cool when that happened? But anyway, uh, I played to first back in the day in like 2011 because I didn't know I, I didn't really know what it was I got it very much on a whim um, I remember the the cashier who I bought it from was like don't you want to start with one and I like he was he, even he was like you should start with one man and I'm like no I want two now I want it now I actually didn't say that I was 21 but I bought two first loved it and then uh, you know since then I I played through the whole trilogy and uh, and it's it's I won't say anything too much now because I feel like we'll get to it as we talk about the games individually. But it was definitely an experience that I had with the game like as an adult that reminded me that I still loved video games as much as I did when I was a kid. Like I feel I've mentioned this before with Mass Effect 2, like that first playthrough before that playthrough, I, I was very much convinced that like that magical feeling you get from a game was just nostalgia you know like yeah. it was just oh i was seven and of course final fantasy 7 hit hard for me because it was like you know i was a kid but having that same feeling playing mass effect 2 something i had like no prior investment in didn't know what it was and like 
was prepared to dislike it even. Uh, it was like a really inspiring experience. And it has become like not only one of my favorite series, but just like one of my favorite like pieces of media or things in general. So I had this very intense experience in college, kind of like chilled out for a bit. Like I, I was like, oh yeah, I liked Mass Effect, you know, like burying this like really unsettling love for something. <laughs> uh, and then I was almost even dreading the Legendary Edition coming out. Cause I'm like, I don't want to face this idea of like, oh, it hasn't held up or it hasn't like, it doesn't have the same impact. And really playing it again has just reaffirmed my love for the trilogy. So I'll leave it at that for now. Cause I think if I don't, stop now i won't stop so it's the- funny i think retroactively to think about your trepidation about the legendary edition coming out like going back and listening yeah. to the episodes where you're like i don't know i don't it could be really bad it could be like the most disappointing thing and just always like well i guess i could just go on game pass and get one two and three because they're there at least like the originals will always be there even if this legendary edition is terrible it reminds me a lot honestly of the way i talked about spelunky 2 before it came out was like just this yeah. hesitation that like maybe this thing i've been waiting a decade for is going to be terrible but uh boy is it good tam what is your history with the Mass Effect trilogy or the series as a yes. whole? I guess. So I I um I remember picking it up basically not knowing anything about it. I remember just thinking I want a nice uh, long RPG to play, and I I wasn't like it wasn't one of the games that I was paying attention to and eagerly awaiting. Mm. And I got it and I brought it home and started playing it and absolutely hated it. I thought it was uh, terrible. And then <laughs> I I went and got real depressed and came back and I was like, well, I've still got this Mass Effect game. I'll try again. And I tried it and it hit different that second time during a depression. <laughs> yeah. And and there was something about I think it I think about it all the time. What about it made it different? But it was that being absorbed into a world as as like intricately created as that one. It was like in that moment I needed to be somewhere else. And it took me so far away from where I was that it hit on a different level. And since completing that game i became a lifelong fan i'm like sitting in a room that is just absolutely littered with mass effect paraphernalia (laughs) i've got an n7 logo on my window as a sticker you know i have every variation of the n7 hoodie and in my time i've been very fortunate to be able to get really close to the franchise as well from, from from various angles i love to played it to death um, and adore a lot of uh, the characters in there. Same with three. I'm one of the people that thought the the original ending was good, mm. or, or I I wasn't I wasn't too fast about it because of things will come to. I got real into theory crafting around it. Let me tell you about the indoctrination theory. I cannot wait for it to and, go into that with you. It's gonna be yeah. so good. <laughs> and then um, since then, I was very fortunate enough to, like I said, get quite close to the franchise. When Andromeda was coming up, I got to uh, make a documentary about Mass Effect uh, with with Andromeda being a piece of that and talk to some of the original developers behind the Mass Effect franchise. And that was amazing. Obviously, Andromeda turned out the way it did. But many years later, fairly recently, actually, I think it was earlier this year or I think it was earlier this year. Yeah, I got to sit down with Mac Walters, um, one of the the core writers of that, and he make another like documentary style uh, show about it um, called Audio Logs. Um, and he basically gave us the character documents that no one outside of Bioware had seen that had the original when they were coming up with the the Dirty Dozen for Mass Effect Two. They they created just dozens and dozens of characters, and the final character are what you see in the game but there's so many more and we got to see them wow. and they 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 gave me the the documents that were like you could see the writers creating the loyalty missions and the suicide missions and that kind of stuff and it's so like i i 
I got to be part of that franchise or see that franchise from an angle that very few people have. And it's one of the most meaningful things that has ever happened to me in my life. So I care about that, this franchise a great deal. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, that's I am ashamed that the lizard part of my brain was profoundly jealous when you just told me what you got to witness. <laughs> like you tell me there's more characters. Oh, um, it's wild. If you watch the episode, you can see some of it in there. And they yeah. were very, very adamant, like, we'll give it to you for this. But once you've once you're done, destroy it. And yeah. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> That's so fun. That's yeah, I'll, I'll just say, I guess on my end, like I anticipated coming into this episode, just kind of like sitting back and letting you two guys like hang out for the most part. Me like I, <laughs> I have like a context for these games having played them now. So like, you know, I, I'll be able to at least talk semi eloquently about what's going on in Mass Effect, uh, but did not expect personally to have like a profound experience playing through the trilogy um i'll say this much and we've said this many times on the show at this point but like if you're just coming into into the aether through this episode the legendary edition is like far and away the best way to play this do not skip to two or three and start from there whatever you've heard about one most of it has been fixed uh i don't really have a context for what one was like originally but I'll say as somebody coming into the franchise pretty much fresh, one was a great experience, two was an even better experience, three was like a really satisfying conclusion. And uh, from what I've heard over the years, like some of those takes might be hot, but I had a great time. And I think the Legendary Edition is like maybe one of the best things you can pick up and and throw into your console right now. Um, It is an unbelievable package. I I think it's also like, really all they needed to do which is essentially like the biggest like marketing point of getting this is like it's all in one place like yes the original games are on uh, ea play so if you have game pass you can play them and i think that's important i like that you can play like the untouched here you know 2007 as mass effect one mm-hmm. uh, you know winking at oblivion its neighbor like you know it's there if you mm-hmm. want it but i think that like there really wasn't a way to seamlessly play one through three like when three came out you had to make a was it unity no not unity what, what was the um origin uh, origins whatever yeah. origins yeah. yeah you had to make an origins account to play three and i think it wasn't on steam initially Correct. So like it was really hard to carry over like your shepherd into three, a myriad of, of strange DLC choices that we'll get into as we talk about each game individually. So like just having it as one collective package is so nice. Not to mention like one, I think, got the most changes that you could consider it a remaster. Whereas two and three are pretty much as they were. Like they've changed some things. It is funny that like I've played a lot of, you know, high def games on my PS4. And this is the only game that's like, oh, we use a complex HDR formula that you have to like restart every it's like, come on, I'll play Mass Effect One. But uh I, I, I did I do think that this is the way to play it. If only because it's one disc, it's all there and all the DLC, or at least most of the DLC is all integrated seamlessly, which is important, weirdly enough. Yeah. I I don't I don't think I can really express fully how I feel about the franchise without going into like deep spoilers. And I know we're trying to avoid spoilers in this section. I'll I'll just say that 
this this game appeals to like everything that I love about video games. Uh, exactly what you were saying, Stephen, before about like this reminded you why you let, loved video games as an adult. Like that is exactly how I felt playing through this. So my experience playing through the this trilogy was right when Legendary Edition came out. I essentially just binged one in like a couple days. I think I just like flew through it. I was just like completely swept up in it. And I don't think I did everything. I think I left a lot of stuff like kind of undone, which made for some interesting choices, forced me into some directions that I maybe like wouldn't have chosen if I had known, et cetera, et cetera. But immediately hot off the heels of one was like, well, time to go into two and uh, played essentially everything in two that I had played the first time when I first sat down to try and play two and was like, this is a wildly improved game mechanically from one. One, I think with the legendary edition changes still feels pretty good like i actually didn't really have any hard edges with it Mm. you can you can tell the stuff that they needed to fix definitely and you can tell the stuff that they just improved on on a high level when making a sequel uh but played that and then put it down for like months until we were like kind of getting closer to recording this episode because this has been in the books like forever essentially this episode um so (laughs) yeah my whole life i would say like two weeks ago maybe three weeks ago i was like time to finish two and i played the whole i played like most of two in a couple days and then three i immediately jumped into because i was like i can't get enough of this and played through three i think in three days wow which was like whirlwind no sleep like couldn't couldn't stop playing it at any moment. And uh, honestly, I haven't had an experience like that in a long time. Like I, th- there are these yeah. times that I, I think back on so fondly when growing up, you know, in the summers in between school and stuff, when you would like get a game and be able to play it literally all night because you just like had the time to do that or whatever. I haven't really done that at all as an adult since like getting an office job and like being a nine to five cubicle guy with with the exception of Destiny 2. But that's like a whole different thing. Anyway, <laughs> Mass Effect as a trilogy, I think really kind of like sparks that joy and that that discovery and that that I that like idealist version of like the perfect single player video game at times, even if there are like rougher bits in there. it It's so easy to just like hop over those little puddles and keep going. And I, I, I can't speak highly enough of it uh, in, until we get more into specifics. But it's it's wonderful. Yeah, it's so good. I was going to say it's kind of like hilarious how you know everything that people say is good about video games like you ask someone who hasn't really thought in depth about it why do they like video games and they tell you these certain things that Mm -hmm. are like oh it's like escapism and you can role play as a character and you can do this and you can do that and they give you the usual shtick about why video games are different from other mediums this is the game that you play and you're like Yes, it really is like escapism, the ability to make meaningful decisions, to inhabit a character and guide them and make relationships and make, you know, decisions that impact on a broader scale. This is like one of those games where if if the world was obliterated and they said you need to pick a a series i need to pick four games or five games that an alien race will find in the future and these games need to represent video games at their best i would put the mass effect franchise in there because they are like the best encapsulation of everything that makes video games good important and and a medium that deserves to be respected and loved 
That was beautifully said. Yeah, we're. <laughs> I'm realizing now that when one of us is talking, the other two are just nodding like proud dads, which is a <laughs> yeah. great energy for this episode. I, I think one of the reasons I was so trepidatious is like the only way in college I could have emotionally moved on from playing this series the first time is as if I broke up with it. Like it really was like the exact parts of my brain lighting up. Like okay, like this is behind me. I'm over it. Never again. Yeah. And it coming back was like because I was worried. I'm like okay that. The 2010s were big on the like every choice you make will ripple out, you know, like right, every right. like Fable, uh, the Walking Dead games. Like some games did it better than others. Usually it was like a marketing scam. I feel like usually it was mm. like you know I, not, that's a bit harsh, but usually it wasn't meaningful in the way that actually matters. It, it was generally like, I I would say that 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 bullet point on the back of a box meant the same thing to me as this is the biggest world we've ever put in a video game. Like yeah. big, big, <laughs> yes. bigness right. never meant anything to me it's all about density yes you know exactly right like oblivion you know the perfect game it can do no wrong but it's like the size of actual wisconsin and you don't care because you're fast traveling everywhere. <laughs> whereas breath of the wild and skyrim are actually much smaller than they feel but because everything is important in them for the most part you know everything is like guided with some kind of purpose or meaning and i think the same that's a great analog to decision making because like you know I enjoyed the infamous games for what they are worth, but the decision of like, I can help them or I can burn down the house. Like, you know, you don't, it's just out of curiosity, really. It's like, okay, this will like, yeah, it will be interesting to see what the game is like if I choose this, but I don't feel like I am actually making the choice. Whereas with Mass Effect, even now in 2021, like that, you know, if you want to call it a fad and I, to be clear, like I do like when games give you that element of choice. Like, I just think that it was misinterpreted for a long time and like how to execute it. And Mass Effect, I think is still in many ways, the gold standard, you know, and I, and I think that the challenge of the game being this fine balance between an authored character and a character that you can personally inhabit is basically impossible. Like, I feel like I don't know if there's going to be any game that like quite gets as close as this. I hope there is because I think it's really like if you can pull it off, it heightens what it what it you know, when when role playing feels good, it heightens that, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the lower moments, it might feel like you're a little bit on the rails or maybe like I could think think of maybe two or three moments in the trilogy where I'm like, Shepard would never do that. Like no Shepard would do that. But you know, very, very few and far between. And and those will make for interesting conversation. And essentially even those moments show that the game has succeeded because I have a firm idea of who my Shepard is. And I'm sure you two have the same. So Mm. yeah, I, I think that, um, Playing it again has been a really beautiful experience. And it's really nice knowing that, like, I have this with me and it will probably be something I replay, you know, every couple years. You know, like I, I was genuinely sad when I finished it. And I'm excited that it will just sort of be part of my life, you know, whenever I need to go back. Yeah, I remember I remember finishing Lost when that when that show was over. Lost is weirdly the only show that I watched every episode of as it aired. Like, I don't know. I don't know why, Mm. but I was like enamored by Lost. And when it was over, (laughs) I remember thinking to myself in maybe 10 years, I'll consider watching Lost again. Like, maybe I'll think of it. Like, I know I want to do it again at some point in my life. I'll start from the top and see how it feels the second time. But I still haven't gone back to it. I still haven't done it. And I, I totally, totally understand what you mean about Mass Effect. As soon as I was done with it, not even when I was done with it, honestly, at some point during three, I was like, I can't wait to play this whole fucking thing again in like three years. <laughs> like, I'm so excited to start from the yeah, beginning. Right. Maybe go male Shepard, like just complete opposite side of the 
spectrum as the first time. Like, I'm so amped to do it all again, which is wild to say after like 150 hours of video game or something yeah. like to be like, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll just do I'll do that again. I would maybe do it tomorrow, but I should take some time. <laughs> I should do something else. <laughs> I think like going back to the decisions, one of the most interesting, like I'll do my best to try and remember some of the things that the developers have told me and maybe that I'll add some flavor and color to the stuff we're talking about. But like the decision making stuff, one of the most fascinating things that I learned about them um, creating this game from Mac Walls was they never th- thought too far ahead about the next game which was wild like their whole oh, mo that. was like what's the most interesting thing that we can do in this moment in this game and i remember talking to mac walls and he was like it was part of the reason why you know everything in the game is so memorable but for us every subsequent game was an absolute <laughs> nightmare yeah to kind of it was imagine. like fully can you imagine like mass effect 2 going into 3 they were like we by the end of it we like we were constantly saying we'll worry about that later and then when that later <laughs> came it was a hell of a time <laughs> and i was like i can't believe it that's so funny because i i've said this often with people where it's like i feel like you know Earlier, you joked, Tan, that like there aren't a lot of good trilogies. And I think that's actually true because it's so hard to do. Like, it's so hard to pull off a trilogy. And just normally. storytelling, like just telling a yeah, story, yeah. like right. books, right? movies, like much yeah. less a, yeah. a completely halfway authored and, and interactive uh, tale told exactly. over yes. hours and hours and hours. And hours. It's impossible. It's an impossible tale. It's a miracle yeah. that these games are good. Right. That's That's kind of where I land. Yeah. Yeah, and like, there's not a lot of good trilogies, but even the good trilogies, they're not as symbiotic with each other as the Mass Effect franchise is, right? Like, there's no, especially when it comes to interactivity, there's no game series where you do something in one and the payoff of it is meaningful two games later, right? In a, in the way it is for for Mass Effect, like, and in the and very few of them that do do that on the scale that Mass Effect has. In I'm like I'm thinking of one specific moment on a beach in Mass Effect One that will come to later on but like Mm -hmm. there's a character there that you could wipe from existence and i sometimes think about like what would that third game be like without it and i know what it's like but sometimes i think about it and i'm like jesus i would that is unreal that they reached that point where that is the impact it's like that it is literally like the butterfly effect and Mm -hmm. in gaming there's few games that are able to capture the the kind of like understanding and the impact of the butterfly effect as well as the mass effect series does yeah yeah and and i think it's interesting to know that they'd never thought too far ahead which Mm. i think unfortunately does lead to some decisions paying off more than others but i think that ultimately i i would argue that was probably the better way to approach writing it because i think if it was planned too far ahead it would it would feel a little bit too like artificial and gamey where it's like Mm. you know if you save me i might come back as a merchant like i don't know like you know it's like (laughs) if it was too announced or too like it's like it's more believable if if none of the characters, none of the writers know, you know, and within reason, like you obviously want some kind of plan, but and it's really interesting. I have a quick question for the two of you, um, I guess, in the spoiler free section, just out of curiosity. Mass Effect as a franchise has always had a lot of, I would say, baggage in terms of the way things have been received in terms of the way the community has reacted to things here and there, which I've always seen from the outside. Like I always like read the articles about why the mass effect fans are <laughs> upset about X thing. Um, I'm, I'm curious 
for both of you, if returning to the trilogy through the Legendary Edition kind of removed from all of that changed your overall take on like the stuff that people didn't like about one or the way three ended without getting into specifics, obviously, because we'll get into specifics later. But Mm. I'm just curious, like, did you like one more than you used to in Legendary Edition? Did you like three more than you used to? because of that i i think what you said was right about one where it definitely had its problems when it came out but i don't remember hating it i remember it mm. being i think the the th- interesting thing about one was i thought wow that was a cool game and then when i played two i was like wow i'll give my life for this game and, <laughs> and that's like yeah that's the yeah. kind of difference and it's always the same i think the thing going back to it like thinking about the context and all that kind of stuff the backlash towards the front the, the third game kind of somehow retroactively soured a lot of discussion on the entire franchise which was always the th- one of the things that i lamented because yeah same. it kind of it kind of that that impact that that had in that way represented the thing that i that really upset me about the conversation around it like people were that was one of the few situations everyone always says oh people on the internet complain just for the sake of complaining and for me that is the closest the the reaction to the third game and thus the trilogy as a whole was the closest i came to understanding or believing the same thing where people just react for the sake of reacting and the reason is i don't believe that that third ending was perfect but it was everyone was so focused on something something in the ending and just somehow completely forgot three games worth of the best video game writing in existence (laughs) yeah and i was like how the i I was mad about it i was like you ungrateful pricks i cannot (laughs) believe you did this like i was mad for the developers i was like if i was a developers i would be furious after just giving them the pure gold for 150 hours, they've written that off because of two minutes. Yeah, it really I was, was like, I think, yeah. oh, sorry, Tim, go ahead. No, that was it. I was like, I, 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 would, I would, if I was in their situation, I would struggle to make another game after that. And and their reaction was releasing the extended cut for free, which like really blew me away at the time. Because I'm like, you know, this, this game is like riddled with like DLC that shouldn't have been DLC, which I think yeah. we'll explore that when we talk about three, because I think that there was sort of this perfect storm leading up mm. to that reaction. The original ending, I remember feeling a little bit like disappointed Disappointed, but I was pretty sated by the extended cut, and I was just sort of blown away that they even went that far. That like they really like actually wanted to give people like a little bit more closure. But it was really the first time that I remember seeing like an internet reaction that was like change this. I didn't like it, which I think we see so often now, unfortunately. Because yeah. it, it warped. Because initially it was like just people talking about the ending, and then it became this like you know. It, I remember not to get into it, but I remember seeing uh, you know I'll save it for talk about three because i just i remember seeing some funny takes about like people mad about the ending but you know i I don't want to tell anyone how to feel like you can Mm. dislike it but the demand and the like communication with the developers i think got really scary at a certain point yeah and 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 it set a precedent like uh whether we like it or not that game and the reaction to it and then the subsequent reaction from the developers in giving acquiescing and giving people what they want kind of set the precedent for change this i don't like it in the modern day right like it like you can deny it as much as you want but when you see people being like change this ending or change this part of it you can trace the entire that entitlement back to this mass effect scenario which sucks but you know yeah and and i think going back to your question brendan about like if we enjoyed it more this time i think the thing about that whole time was like 
no matter how you felt about the ending, it was so inescapable. Like you would watch any YouTube video and the top comment would be better ending than Mass Effect 3. Yeah, like, you know, that right. was like, yeah. it, it was it was everywhere. People who like didn't even know what video games were asking me how I felt about the ending. I'm like, stop. I just <laughs> want to move on. Yeah. I, had to, I had to go through college, I it's guess. It's one of the main reasons I never actually went in and played through the trilogy was just what I had seen yeah. online about the ending of Mass Effect 3. It was like, well, do I want to mm-hmm. spend all yeah. this time uh, devoting myself to a game that's going to have like a bummer ending um, that's not going to feel satisfying. And it, I'm like, I'm like retroactively upset at myself for believing all of that, <laughs> you know, in a weird way. I think it's, it's been funny because yeah. Stephen, throughout the course of my playing three, I have texted you like, I am actually retroactively upset that some of this stuff was DLC. I, you can understand where some of the ire came mm. from, right? Like you can understand to yeah. a certain yeah, extent totally. where some of those first reactions, like you'd be so soured on it. And honestly, we're, we're not going to get super into it, but like I've I've been having a similar experience playing Andromeda. I started playing Andromeda yesterday and I've played a couple hours of it and I, and I feel very similarly where like I know I remember viscerally the reactions to that game right when it dropped. And I, I know what people didn't like about it. And I know how also it was like buggy and had a bunch of issues with it that, you know, eventually got fixed later. But if you bought that game, were excited about it, played it day one and like ran into all those issues, I could see how it would sour your like overall take on it. But the reality of of the medium is that it's evolving, right? Like there are digital files that are going to be updated and patched and re- collected and re-released as legendary editions, et cetera. Like these are these are evolving <laughs> works. Um, and the state that the legendary edition is in right now, I, I think, is really fantastic. I'll also say some of the stuff that I've seen in the past about Andromeda has been fixed at this point, And there is some that has not been fixed at all. Uh, <laughs> but my, my, my experience with Andromeda at the moment without getting into it uh, in this episode is like, I am liking it just way more than I thought I would for really like, nitty gritty reasons that I won't be able to talk about until we start talking about Mass Effect 1 specifically Mm. Um, because it really Mm. feels like them going back to the drawing board and trying to do Mass Effect 1 again uh, in some avenues but I'll I'll leave it there is there anything else we want to talk about before we get into Mass Effect 1 on a on a more positive note I just want to say and this is a continuation of like you know playing the legendary edition like free from that kind of tornado of 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 uh, reactions like it's been really nice and I think you know in the discord like there are a lot of people playing it for the first time and you know I'm reading conversations like there are people who had negative thoughts on the ending but it was just a normal conversation mm. like that you would have walking out of a movie and not right. like you know uh egging Bioware's HQ you know window and and you know whatever uh so yeah I think uh it's been really nice having it again like in sort of a more neutral spotlight and to be able to enjoy it for like yeah what it is and and really cement on the fact that it's like an incredible trilogy totally Cool. All right. Sam, do you have anything before we get into uh, one? I was just thinking, no, uh, I, I think that's a good encapsulation of, of pretty much the entire context of Mass Effect. And, <laughs> Andromeda, Andromeda speaking specifically about that. Like I remember being unreasonably excited about it and, and like booking time off for it and then coming back. I played it on at launch and it was a hot mess. Yeah. Uh, I, I, was, I was speaking to Steven about it um, and I remember I had a moment where I walked into a room and there were like three of the same characters but posed in different places around the room and I was like 
okay, this is going to be interesting. And that was like within the first hour. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh shit, this, this is going to be interesting. And it just, I, I broke that game in so many ways. And by the end of it, it, it had broken me. So that was my experience. Oh, man. So I'm, I'm kind so of interested in going back to it because I did see a lot of potential in it. Um, and it's uh, maybe I'll, like you said, with the maturation of the game and it's it being cleaned up, maybe it's a better experience, but um, who knows? Maybe that's what I'll do after I've, I've, I've like spent a bit of time away from the current trilogy <laughs> the, thing, the thing you just described is is what i was alluding to and i was like they haven't fixed some stuff like oh okay <laughs> that i have been noticing that constantly and it makes me laugh every time i walk into a room it's like oh okay that's all the same person yeah <laughs> one of my favorite bugs in that game is uh, i'm sure it's still there if it isn't i hope it is there's a character that you walk up to and uh, hanging around on the ship and i think it's she i think it's P, it might be PB. I can't remember the names, but there's a character and like they are leaning up against like a handrail, like and so like they're almost like at a ninety degree angle, looking cool. Um, but the game kind of screwed it up, and instead of them leaning up against the handrail and their like elbow being resting on the ha- handrail, they just flipped the other way around. So they're in the pose, leaning on nothing. Just like the handrail is behind them, but they're still in that cool. I'm leaning on something pose, and I'm like, "Damn, that's almost a, more impressive." Yeah, a, we'll just say that that's canon. Actually, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I think it's a lot of arm strength. That's very Skyrim blacksmith. Of them, I feel. Yeah, yes, you know? absolutely. Like, it's our homage um, to Skyrim. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it's artistic. It's <laughs> we should we should start talking about Mass Effect One. Um, so I yeah, guess let's just, get into it. Yeah, final warning, dear listener. Uh, as we get into these games, we're going to start spoiling them one after the other. Uh, I would guess, I would venture a guess that we're going to spoil the subsequent games as we talk about them. Right. So like Mass Effect yeah, One will yeah, probably yeah. include spoilers about Mass Effect Two and Three. So just fair warning. If you haven't played the trilogy, go do it and then come back. It's mm-hmm. it's wonderful. Cool. Yeah, I, I think we've said everything we need to. Let's get into it. But I will say we're going to do one, two, three. And then at the end, we're going to answer a lot of the questions we were sent, which will be really fun. So that's the plan for the episode. Stay tuned, dear listener, <laughs> for this low key video game podcast. Goodbye. Oh, no. Welcome back. To the show. We're here to talk about Mass Effect 1, the first, obviously, game in a much lauded, much talked about trilogy. I don't even know where to begin with this outside of, I guess, just asking uh, if you went with Male Shep or Fem Shep out of curiosity. For me, my first run through the game, the entire trilogy was Male Shep. Yeah. And then when I replayed it, I, every time I replayed it, I stuck with Male Shep for some reason. And I think it was sadly because the character model was better for Male Shep. They didn't have a default female Shep model until the third game. Mm. So they didn't actually craft a female Shepard character until the third game. And then with the Legendary Edition, they retroactively put the one they made for the third game into the other two games yeah so i was very very um superficial in my choices i went with um male shep because he looked better and then this time around because of the whole added uh female shep i went with female shep and i've been having a great time because she's voiced by jennifer hale who's exceptionally good she's incredible yeah Mm -hmm. i the first time i ever played i went with male shep and then the second playthrough it's worth noting i've played through the trilogy now three times uh which is wild uh but I, I basically switch. So I, I went back to Mel Shep this time and I will definitely go back to Fem Shep next time. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I went with. Just based on everybody's uh, praise for Jennifer Hale. I, I was like, I gotta, I gotta hear that. I feel like that'd be fun. And honestly, there's a certain point 
where I forgot that that was even an option, that that was even a thing that I had chosen because I mean, her performance is just stunning. I mean, it's just so good and it only gets better as the stakes go up as well. Um, yeah, it's really, really uh, spectacularly done. So I yeah, I went I went with um, Femship, which was fun. I mean, a great, great experience. It definitely um, I'll, I'll say this much about Mass Effect 1, maybe to just like kick us off a little bit. But I think the thing that really sticks with me about this and I guess the trilogy as a whole, but it's pretty evident here. The game is about choice, right? So like the you as a as a player are making all of these choices. The big like tentpole thing about this game is that you have these decision trees and they kind of point you in a paragon good guy renegade kind of bad good guy uh lens in a way right so you're making these decisions between those two in a way but i think what i i really clicked with in this game was the realization at a certain point that not only was decision making and choice a big piece of the game mechanically but it's also what the game is about thematically and it's about what the trilogy is about thematically is like fighting for decision making fighting for the ability to choose fighting for yourself and for others to be able to have the freedom to make decisions um the main antagonist of this game or like the the kind of uh the little big bad, I guess, for this game specifically is like a guy who is essentially getting his mind taken over by a big alien uh, and is losing the ability to choose and is fighting actively against mm. the ability to choose. He he is a personification of the of like the destruction of choice, I think. And that to me was like the real like this game is is singing with a full choir moment for me was that like understanding that. Bioware as a company developing this game was looking at, okay, how do we take this idea, which is like every decision you make matters and make that also a core tenant or driving force for the theme of the game as well. That really knocked it out of the park for me. It kind of only gets better mm. as, the, as the trilogy goes on. And the layer on top of that is like, it, it's also showing you how having what's close to absolute power, having the 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 decision making that comes along with that power can also rob you of the ability to see clearly. Yes. And make decisions that are important and, and even see sense when the sense and the right thing is right in front of you. How being corrupted by power can twist your mind, even if you came from a place where you were, you know, a, a paragon of goodness and heroism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I love that read, Brendan. I didn't even make the connection that Saren is is you know under the illusion of choice, but is you know basically had that taken away from him. I mean, I think like in terms of the game itself, up until this playthrough, I saw Mass Effect One as like the okay season you have to power through until the show gets good kind of thing. Yeah. You know, like I I I've even written on our medium page like i i previously was foolish enough to say like start with two and then if you love it like go back and do the whole thing which you know i think is fair for maybe the pre-legendary edition version of one i guess we're touching on like the changes they aren't huge but they're big enough to really make it more playable the first game came out at a time where you could tell bioware was like morphing from like the kotor era into whatever mass effect 2 and 3 would become yeah so it's like this awkward middle phase that has like the worst of both. Like it has like, you know, the the strange stiffness of the, you know, combat wheel with like the hecticness of real time shooting and your AI companion just run into walls. <laughs> so I, what they did with this, they just made the gunplay feel way better. They made the AI way more helpful. And honestly, it sounds small, but I think the best decision they did was they let any class Shepard chooses. They can use all the weapons. 
which yeah. is like a godsend because being yeah. stuck with the pistol as the adept is a lot. Yeah. You know, I get that I got biotics, but it, yeah. it, it helps you kind of drill your decisions down a little bit more in two and three. And, and, and I think giving you access to pretty much every, not everything, everything, but like most things in the first one, yeah. when they, uh, into like ask you to kind of drill down and, and like make some harder decisions about what the combat for the rest of the game is going to be like, even though you don't know what the rest of the game is going to be like yet. It's nice to have like experienced all of that ahead of time. I do, I do think though that as as far as I know about the changes, like they're they're all like wildly helpful. I th- I think the unevenness in the first one, or like the reason why it's not going to be most people's number one, I guess, in in the trilogy if they were to rank them. But like I think the unevenness doesn't really come from the mechanics anymore. It just kind of comes from like the overall alignment of the mechanics and the themes, right? So as I was saying, like the the games are kind of about choice. There is this interesting avenue that they go down as well mechanically, where you're asked to go and. Explore explore these barren planets a lot um, and, you know, drive this car around, which apparently was terrible in the original release. Uh, mm. And they've kind of fixed to make feel better. And that to me is is where the unevenness in the game comes from. Are there, are there like minutes to possibly hours uh, spent just kind of traversing like samey looking biomes um, that I think were in 2007 intended to look very different and look very alien, and, like exciting and cool. And that's strangely enough, like the most boring part of the game uh, in a way, because all you want to do is hang out with your friends and they like figured that out in two but in the first one it was like no 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 we made the whole galaxy it's like no man's sky before no man's sky could possibly exist you know um <laughs> they're like we made the whole galaxy you're gonna go check out all these places it's gonna be sick and there's this like idea at its core that exploration should be part of it because you know it, it's no small surprise that mass effect is you know pulling from a billion different sci-fi things star trek being one of them and it's very mm-hmm. much like trying to be kind of like a next generation like we're on an exploratory mission we're trying to check out the entire galaxy and discover stuff and weirdly enough the discovery is one of the weaker parts of the game except for the more authored moments the moments where you are discovering because the story demands it um i think are the like strongest moments of the game there's one scene in particular that like really knocked me on my ass and made me realize i was like witnessing greatness but yeah yeah that that kind of comes from the original pitch for the game that Mm -hmm. uh the 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 kind of executives made to the the doctors as they were known at, as by at Bioware and um, before they left and the idea was to create a game that felt like an MMO I'm, I'm I think I'm remembering correctly but I don't think it was meant to be an MMO but they wanted to make it like an MMO where it was an entire mm. galaxy and you could explore and have all the things that you want would imagine that you would want in a, in a space exploration game and then what happened was the thing that we got was a scale back of ambition so like it's it's like it probably would have been better if they just removed it entirely. But I think they were so married to the original vision and presenting something close to that yeah. original pitch as mm-hmm. much as possible uh, that they didn't want to compromise it. And sadly, the thing that we got was not as good as they wanted, but still a kind of like for them, I imagine it probably ticked, not ticked the box, but they at least felt oh good about hey we tried you know we wanted to we came into this with this idea and we tried and this is the best closest we could get to it and we're going to be happy with that on that point though i do think one of the strongest parts of the game is like like you said brendan the authored moments like the planets where you have a critical mission those all have such a unique identity and like really even compared to two and three like two and three have a and it works for the game but they have a pretty like uh, point A to point B like mission structure um, whereas in one the ability to sort of like freely navigate a new environment and like you know you have that really weird like Hoth 
winter planet that has like, of course, all the evil corporations would hang out on like an uninhabitable winter <laughs> fortress because they have yeah. like the resources to make it livable. But, you know, if you're out of there, you're, you're fucked kind of thing. Like a brilliant setting for like, you know, the Halliburton hangout place. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, the research lab. Like I, I liked uh, I liked that the game was like <clears throat> three or four planets that like you could tell they knew everything about each of those places, you know, and I think that they all complement the setting so well. Like, you know, like Ver- uh, I forgot the corporation planet name, but like the coldness of the outside is like uh, paralleled with how you interact with people there. The ones who are nice to you want something from you. Mm-hmm. Vermeer is like this sort of tropical paradise, but it's like really the end of Act One, really where the game like kind of reveals its true hand, which I'm sure we'll talk a lot about what happens on Vermeer. But I, I love that, and all that to say, playing one this time one is incredible I, my my opinion of one has really risen um i think for me you know what what holds it back from two and three is just that the characters aren't as well developed you know like uh other than rex who is like born a star and is like ready to <laughs> rock real. the world yeah <laughs> you know garris and tali who are, are two of my favorite characters like maybe in fiction are just sort of like do you want to hear about the turians or the quarians you know like they're not really <laughs> yeah. they don't really have their own personality yet they're just sort of like and it works because it's it's the first game of course we're going to know them better later on but they don't really uh lead strong but in addition to that theme of choice i didn't even realize this until i watched um i've mentioned this a lot but the the game makers toolkit video about mass effect called commanding shepherd that largely like zeroes in on the pros and cons of the authored character combined with the RPG blank slate. In that video, I learned that in Mass Effect 1, every character is like very purposely somewhere on the scale between Renegade and Paragon. But you can actually shift their allegiance based on your conversations with them. And like everyone in that game has something they're kind of working out. So like Rex, very clearly, he is he said that he's given up on the Krogan. He explains what the Genophage is, which is essentially this like after, you know, a, a a war uh, literally a thousand years ago the Turians and Salarians implemented this like chemical on their planet that results in like most most Krogan children die as a stillborn so essentially is genocide like they can't reproduce yeah. uh, like at all and so he's kind of given up on his people he sells himself short as a like gun for hire and you can sort of navigate that with him Garrus is, you know, this hot-headed vigilante who left CSEC and wants to make justice his own way. You can either, like, really... He's probably the most visibly moldable character because you can either, like, really push him to be a renegade or, like, soften him a little bit. Hmm. And Ashley's like, I don't like aliens. And you could be like, that sucks. <laughs> uh, and Caden just sort of talks to you about nothing. But, um, you know, it, I think it's very interesting that they, like, again, that ambition of of having these characters who like not only are you defining who Shepard is but you're also kind of defining who the cast is as well yeah, which yeah. is really interesting Caden Caden looks like a Calvin Klein show that's what I think <laughs> of him. every time I feel, I feel like he should be a Calvin Klein model and that's about it like he's he accidentally ended up on a ship and is like I'm supposed to be modeling underwear yeah specifically in the first one too yeah he, he's very handsome and nice yeah. but yeah. yeah I don't know what it is about, about him in the first one but I just remember every time I saw him hanging out anywhere in the Normandy I would immediately throw it into photo mode and do like a really kind of like dramatic black and white <laughs> close up of him. Uh, that's his vibe. Flaunt if he got it. Yeah. Yeah. I I found that really, really fascinating in the first one because um, I could see that having played a little bit of two, I had a little bit of context for like what Garrus was like in two um, and was very surprised at how subdued he was in the first one. I think that that, that 
honestly came as a surprise to me. Um, And then watching that video uh, at your recommendation when I was done with the trilogy, like it all made sense. Like the fact that they were specifically trying to align them in different ways and that your actions were influencing them actually does probably make it even more difficult to write strong characters, right? Because like they don't have that like really core sense of ideal because you're influencing that yourself, Uh, which I think, you know, great move probably to dump it (laughs) for two and three. Um, From what I understand, though, it actually does whatever you do with those characters in one actually does impact a little bit of them in two um, and then is completely like gone by the time three rolls around. But it's a cool idea. That's the thing. And I think going back to what you're talking about, Tam, like there's this huge ambition for this game. Like it's a really cool idea and it is in there. It does actually make the thing a little bit worse. But it's still like executed and executed pretty well for yeah. what it is. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if Bioware returns to those these a lot of these ideas in the future. Like um a lot of the stuff that they experiment with in these games, like especially Dragon Age One and, and Mass Effect One, they start to peek out again in subsequent games. And it feels like there's a, it's only a matter of time before they really crack it and that's the next big evolutionary step for them. Yeah. I do I do feel like Andromeda, weirdly enough, is that for Mass effect one in a way where like my my read on that game so far has been that idea of exploring planets and like having this big wide open space to kind of check out and interact with didn't really fit thematically as well with mass effect one like it was in there but it like was fine andromeda really is actually trying to do that in a big way and is shifting what it's about thematically to match that which i think is an interesting idea i don't know if it's going to pay off like i might have like a like horrible experience in a couple more hours but At the moment, I mean, without getting into it, that game is about like a group of people who travel for 600 years in cryo sleep and wake up and are like tasked with exploring an entire galaxy. And it is very much like not TNG version of Star Trek, but more like Star Trek Discovery, literally, or whatever, like, you know, early days kind of exploring Mm. a place, even blowing out the decision tree of just being Paragon and Renegade and having, I I think it's four different options that you can choose from, really does feel like you're exploring even in dialogue. Um, I think it's, it's a lot of smart decisions uh, and and a lot of like really kind of rough edges but I, I I was really excited actually to start that game up and return to that landing on a planet and driving around and seeing what it has to offer because a lot of those biomes are like completely bananas in the ways that I had hoped they would have been in the first Mass Effect so it's a cool idea I think just you know not execute because you just like run across the same pyramid a bunch of times in Mass Effect 1 <laughs> uh, which is very right. silly but you know outside of that it's the story I mean that's the reason to play that game um the story is just like unparalleled and i think going to what you always talk about steven like the first mass effect like really does set up like one of the best pieces of science fiction i've ingested as like a person who loves the genre yeah i I think also i would say replaying the trilogy i would say this game has probably the best a plot of the three i think that like i'm more invested in the later ones but the introduction of Saren and then the twist that he's under the control of sovereign that conversation with sovereign about how the reapers come every you know 20,000 years to reset civilization how the citadel and the mass effect relays are all reaper tech left there so that you will like i think there are so many games that like the villain is this sort of like agent of order to like its absolute like most dramatic degree where they're like life is chaos this is we will control Mm -hmm. it in this way i think what makes the reaper so insidious is that they leave the citadel and leave the mass effect relays to like be like any progress you thought you made was because of what we left behind 
end, which is like really scary. Right. It's a siren song. Yeah. yeah. That conversation, I think like really, there, there are a lot of jaw dropping moments in Mass Effect 1 and like, you know, uh, 2 is unencumbered with that duty of world building. It can just like run yes. wild with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and 3 has the task of wrapping it up, which I think is also why in trilogies, the second one tends to be the strongest because it doesn't have to do the setup or the wrap up. It can just exist. Just build the world. Um, yeah. Right. But yeah, I, I, I really think the story is very strong. I think Saren's a great villain because I think that his motivations make sense. His idea of like, I want to make us useful to the Reapers. So like we stand a chance. And I mean, what other game has the final boss encounter result in potentially convincing him he's under mind control and then having him shoot himself? That's like mm-hmm. a jaw dropping moment. Like I, I actually had that happen for the first time in this playthrough. Oh, I didn't know that that could happen because usually you fight him on his like green goblin glider and he's like, ha ha, I'm a machine, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know. But like seeing like his humanity or, you know, his conscious mind, he's a Turian, his conscious mind bounce back and like realize what he's done is really haunting. Mm. And, you know, I think that uh, another lens on Mass Effect 1 that I think is really powerful is we've talked about this on episodes prior is this idea that humanity is the new species that like you've stumbled upon uh, space UN and like everyone is kind of like sizing up what humans are like. And Shepard is sort of the liaison. I mean, they're a specter you know, they're directly like an arm of the council, but all your decisions also kind of reflect like what kind of species are humans? You know, are they only thinking of themselves or will they sacrifice their fleet to save the UN, even though they, they don't believe anything I say, and they're going to regret that in three, I'll tell you that much. (laughs) But uh, I think that that's a really brilliant choice. And, um, you know, I, I think that every like big decision in this game, they vary in terms of payoff. I think you alluded earlier, Tan, to the confrontation with Rex, which I think we could probably mm. do a whole bonus about just that scene. But like all those all those choices like plant the seed of intrigue. Like the Rachni Queen is such a mysterious yeah. alien confrontation. You know, the fact that it can only communicate to you through dead bodies is so fucking scary that you're like, I don't want this thing to live. <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, it's like, who are you to like hit and species, you know, like that's <laughs> such an evil thing to do. I, I think that that's brilliant. That framing device, I think, is really successful with the first game. Yeah, and I think one of the most interesting things about it and that setup is uh, of of you know humanity being the new kid on the block is you, you as Shepherd are going around and proving humanity's worth and their capabilities by solving the issues of other species but those issues they're having are often criticisms that they as a species level at you as humans so like they're always like you guys suck because of this and then there's a their problem is an a representation of that issue and Saren was has always looked down upon humanity mm-hmm. for being weak-willed and weak-minded and then that final moment he realizes fuck i was the problem like everything i i every the reasons i hated humanity and was trying to be like you know uh, keep them down and and was prejudiced against them is the flaws that led me to this situation and that happens so often like shepherd is a walking talking mirror on on uh, that is going mm. around the galaxy and showing every species their own weakness and it's usually the weakness that they criticize humanity for and it's such an interesting dynamic between 
the the kind of like humankind and shepherd as a representative of them and the established kind of like uh social structures and and cultures of the entire galaxy and the races within them absolutely that's a re- i love the idea of him as a talking walking mirror that's such a cool read yeah can we talk about rex please because uh, i first of all i think like in a game full of stars i think he's like easily like top three favorite characters that's that's yeah. a, a cold take but I, I've been thinking about that confrontation on Vermeer. Essentially, there's a point in the game where you're storming like uh, Saren's base and it's revealed that Saren, the Geth, I believe, which in at this point in time, you just think are like mindless drones of the Reapers, which yeah. you know we'll talk about that more later. But um, Saren is researching a cure for the Genophage to like get the Krogan to fight for him. And Rex hears this and is like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not destroying this place. You know, if, if Saren's working on a cure for my people, I need to give that a chance. And I think that that alone, like, I think it's such a bummer. So, you know, this, this confrontation can result in either Shepard killing Rex or one of Shepard's party mates killing Rex because he pulls his gun out on you very calmly, but he pulls his gun out on you. Mm. Uh, And I think that even if Rex's journey ends here, you're getting a little microcosm of what his arc is to the entire series. Because the whole game, he's talking about how he's given up on his people. He killed his father because his father like represented like the the shitty past of the Krogan. Um, and more more reasons than just that. But you know, he killed his father, which is so like representative of of him being done with anything that came before him. And he's given up. He's he's routinely said he's given up. And then the minute he hears about Akira, he's willing to die for it. Like that yeah. to me is really tragically beautiful. And even if he does die, it's so sad. But like you have seen Rex grow in that moment where like, mm. you know, if he lives, he becomes this like incredible leader for the Krogan. But you see the spark of that, even if this is his demise, which I think is like a really brilliant writing decision. I love Rex. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and- <laughs> and the thing is, like, um, despite the way he acts, like this mercenary thing, he does have like a code of conduct, and yeah. he talks yeah. about it at the very start after he kills that one dude um, in in the um, in the club, and like Shepard turns to him and is like, "How how can I trust you're going to listen to me at this point? Mm-hmm. Um, because you just killed this dude outright." And he was like, "And Rex is like, that was my last remaining loose end, and now effectively, as in as many words says, like I pledge my loyalty to you, and I will listen to what you." do so the fact that he acts as like the perfect soldier the entire game and then you're talking about earlier how you know people do shift over time and and that what you said earlier about rex realizing um over his arc of this game that he does in fact care about his race and hasn't given up and in that moment like we we as players, we feel it from Shepard's perspective. You feel, oh shit, this is a character I care about, someone that I thought was loyal, and now I'm in a real difficult situation. But you think about it from Rex's perspective, and imagine given his kind of like his history, his entire being, where he's given up on his life, and he's he is a loyal mercenary, what he must have been feeling to realize I have to now betray this person I promised, but I need to do it because this thing I thought was impossible is now a possibility. Mm-hmm. The kind of coming back to salvation that Rex has got to go through as a character to have that moment is just incredible. And the fact that they fought that is just so good. Yeah. Yeah. 
I have to imagine that like a lot of the development of Mass Effect 2 was just looking at what they had accomplished with Rex because it's so clear that he is like the, the standout uh, in, in terms of the crew. I mean, I think it's fascinating, first of all, you know, pre-Rex that you could just tell everybody who wants to join the Normandy, like, no. <laughs> and then you just like play <laughs> Rex in the trilogy with Nova, just like Lone Wolf, Shepard traveling throughout the galaxy with like, I guess, whoever survives on Vermeer. Very silly. But anyway, there is a scenario where where instead of going to get Liara, you can just carry the game on without her. And eventually you go to her and she's like, what the fuck has been going on? Like, <laughs> if you if you like, it's wild, but you can play through the majority of that game without Liara. So she's just suspended in animation, trapped in that one area for the whole thing. And the, the, the kind of impact of it is wild. That's oh so funny. That's fascinating. Liara is also, I think, one of the characters that I think is, is one of the stronger cast members like from Go. I think mm-hmm. it's, I think she's stronger in retrospect because I think she's one of the characters who's like very much in all three games. So like seeing how she begins and where she ends up, I really enjoyed. The thing about Liara though is like (laughs) every now and then there's a Bioware game where like if you smile at a character, they think you're dating. And that's what happens with Liara. It's it's, it's Liara and Kaden. It's Leo yeah. and Kaden in this. And uh, Blackwall in, in Dragon Age Origins. Like, I like, I maybe smiled at him. He was like, you know I fancy you. Our kids like, oh, dude, slow the fuck down. Uh, so... But I, I love Liara. One of the interesting things about this game is like the standout characters, the most memorable characters are kind of like the archetype for every character. They become the archetype for every other character that Bioware creates in in the games going forward. So every character that is in that comes uh, is added to the series is either a variant of Liara, Rex, or Garrus to a degree, mm. like in mm. a lot of ways. Like you can usually put them into one of those categories. You take Zaid, he's a Garrus. You yeah. take Thane, he's a Garrus. Oh, you man. take Miranda, he's a she's a Liara. And like you can put them in there and like Tally is almost a Liara or in a lot of ways as well. You have like the scientist character, the uh, reckless character, and the I'm basically Batman in space character. Um, <laughs> this is my new astrology, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So like, I think like, and because of that, those three characters stand out as like the clear cream of the crop. And it's why Ashley and Caden look so plain next to them because yeah. they don't, they don't like their lineage is nothing. You could like probably remove them from the game and lose very little from it. I and agree. Same, same goes going forward. I mean, I think I, I want to hear about Caden in three. I, I vaguely remember him, you know, cause I, I have done two runs before this and one time I saved Ashley, the other I saved Caden. This time I saved Ashley. Cause I, I just wanted to see if there was a redemption arc and mm-hmm. There really isn't like you can confront her in one about her xenophobia and like, you know, she comes from this military family that fought in the first contact wars against the Turians like her, her her xenophobia is not there because the game thinks it's like a cool character trait, but like it's there to kind of show you like what is what is the current relationship between humanity and other species. You know, the problem is that she like leads with it. Like if you had to sum up Ashley in one word, it's the racist. Mm. It's like that's what you're getting from her. But you're also getting like a little bit about her family life. And like there's 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 a likable character underneath that. So I was really curious, like how that would play out. And really what happens is the game kind of forgets that 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 she was like that and just Mm. pretends that she was like always friends with like Liara and Tully, which kind of sucks because I would I would have loved to tackle that head on and really like explore why. Because like in three Ashley or Caden are like in the hospital for half the game and then they yeah. come back and they're just sort of there. So like it's it, it, it feels like Ashley and Caden were both given the spotlight that like didn't need to happen. And like 
I guess maybe maybe if you romance them, there's more that I'm not getting. But uh, I did not really care for either of them, to be honest. Uh, so I was I was unfortunate enough to smile at Caden in the first game, <laughs> and then and then like honestly, he like uh, he's like the sun in Outer Worlds, where if you go anywhere near him, he's sucking you in, and then you're stuck in that romance. <laughs> so like I in in Mass Effect Three, I had that kind of like experience with Caden, and yeah, he's the I it was somewhat interesting because the romance like he's not in two in any meaningful way right and when you come back to him in three there's like a you first meet him and he's big mad and he's like super super upset about everything and he's kind of like it feels like he's pushing you away but in a way that you can tell it's because he still clearly cares about you Mm -hmm. and that was like really interesting this time around i didn't really pick up on it on the first time i think it's because i went with ashley um in in all my previous runs and then over time the kind of like connection between them is he starts to become a little more desperate in showing that he still wants something with Shepard. if you're uh, if you're um if you romance him and there's points where he's like constantly will drop in like you know i still care about you or you mean a lot to me and you can tell oh he clearly still cares but like i've my shepherd had moved on by them so i like stonewalled it and you can almost see that it hurts him a bit everything that happens to him from that point is feels a bit bittersweet because of it you know he gets spectre status but it comes at a time when it's like hey their alliance are just making every tom dick and harry a spectre because we need hella human spectres right right now and you're like oh man what if you know our life your life could have been different if i had treated you in a different way so there's kind of like a bit of sweet desperation to caden in the last in 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 mass effect 3 yeah um, which i don't remember getting from ashley i i found personally caden to be like completely uninteresting almost non-existent in the first one and then the brief flash of him you get in two when he shows up and he's so fucking mad at you for working Mm -hmm. with cerberus even if you try i i didn't i texted you steven immediately when I was done with that scene I was like ah man I, I fucked up the dialogue tree like Caden's not joining my team again not realizing that like that was an impossibility in the first place I actually thought that that was a choice that I had messed up at some point along the way but in that brief moment in two I was like this is more personality than I've seen from Caden so far <laughs> like just this one moment yeah. where he's like I cannot believe that you would join Cerberus I was like wait a second that guy has values and thoughts and opinions and I want to ask him <laughs> about them um, and then didn't get the shot and then in three when he rolls around again um, I had kind of a similar thing with you. I had never romanced him in the first one. Um, I, I had pretty much not brought him along on any mission that I didn't need to. So I had like no clue who he was outside of just like the dialogue, I guess, uh, in conversations on the Normandy. But in three, when he rolls around, like I would say a good act of that game is convincing him that like you don't believe in what Cerberus believed in and you're actively fighting against them because he doesn't believe you for most of it. And Mm. I found that to be really compelling. I thought that was really interesting. Um, And then, you know, he sits me down and asks me if I want to date. And I'm like, I'm clearly like madly in love with Garrus already, dude. Like what? (laughs) things gonna happen here you know and and i had a a similar vibe as you where like it was very bittersweet from that point on like you could tell that he was like hurt but uh, understood very silly i he's an interesting he's an interesting character by the time three rolls around he's he's a rare instance of them like really figuring out who he needed to be by the time that game wraps up because even like even with the like puppy dog guys like i think i'm in love with you like that's actually at least mm. interesting, you know, compared to what I got in the first game. Yeah, Ashley, the minute she joins you again, passes out drunk on the floor by herself. So I'm like, I don't know what to do here. Like, <laughs> <I don't... laughs> also, when you meet her in two, I'm like, okay, 
I'm a Cerberus now. Here is the perfect time for Ashley to see like an ugly reflection and be like, I don't want to be like that. You know, I'm not going to be a humanity first, you know, person. I'm going to be more open minded. The first thing she says is, I don't like aliens, but Cerberus takes it a little too far, which (laughs) is like, come on. I don't like aliens. Ashley, I saved your life. <laughs> That's the best you got. What? You say that in front of like Morden and Garrus. I don't really like aliens, but Cerberus really doesn't like aliens. I don't, I don't want to go that far. Come on. Oh my God. Yeah, she sucks. But uh, <laughs> w- w- one thing I'll give Ashley that made me laugh is that um, in Citadel, the DLC for three, which we'll talk more about when we get to three, but there's a point where uh, halfway through the mission, you know, they let you change your team. And uh, I switched to Tali and Garrus and the whole squad watches you leave in a cab and they're all kind of disappointed they weren't picked. <laughs> Uh, Rex went, I wanted to go. And then Ashley went like, you're telling me I never get picked for these. <laughs> like, that made me laugh. So I'm like, yeah, I have, I have picked Ashley maybe once uh, yeah, in the yeah. first game. So In, uh, in yeah. this run, I played with Caden and Ashley more than ever because I, I was doing a full achievement run on every game. So I had to have them because they had specific right. powers. And there's like, at the start, it's like, you know, use this character um, on this many missions. Mm-hmm. And I had to do them. And oh my God, every time I resented them for making me them. I was just like, I'd rather have Garrus or someone else right now. You guys suck. Yeah, it's they're just rough. And there's something about like there are very few human characters in the trilogy that are like amongst the best. Like there are a couple. I think like Jack is a really good character. I liked Jacob and Miranda more. I think they were like yeah. more interesting. But even still, it's like they're second to like all our alien friends, basically. Yeah. And and one thing I want to note here is like people might be listening and going like, wow, these guys sure are talking shit about this game. They say they really 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 love in a franchise they really love it's important to distinguish between we don't like them we're not saying they suck because they're like badly written badly acted or badly rendered they suck because we do not like their personalities yes right right (laughs) which is a complete we don't like them as beings in this universe which is like that says a lot right it's like they're fully realized individuals who we don't care for exactly exactly (laughs) and that's like this that is like the highest praise of something that you don't like in a video game like this is wild it's like i hate it's like hating thanos because you know it's like (laughs) you you don't like you don't hate thanos because he's like he's a shade of purple that you don't like you hate him because he's an asshole and he's doing these things that you make you upset or whatever do you want to save kaden Ashley or Thanos you only got time to save one Um, I love I love the idea of going on a mission in Mass Effect with uh, Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think we should do, Thanos? You you know, he's just <laughs> clicking in the background, like yeah, <laughs> snapping the Ragnar Queen. Yeah, I think there's no clearer representation of that than Udina. I think in maybe like the whole trilogy, maybe because like right right at the end of the first game when they're like okay who's going to be the human counselor and you get the choice between Udina and Anderson if you play your cards right you actually get to make the decision yourself like who's picking Udina who is like this guy deserves (laughs) to be counselor even if you're like a renegade shepherd with glowing red eyes you would still (laughs) pick Anderson you know because I mean the the moment where Anderson punches Udina in the face you could tell every Bioware writer was like they're going to applaud at this. This is this is like the <laughs> jump out of your seat like clap. I oh, did. Also- I yelled yes. There are very few games where I, I yell out loud while playing and this is one of them and that yeah. was one of those moments, they, yeah. They do make it 
interesting though by telling you the whole backstory with Anderson and him being like betrayed by mm-hmm. uh, by uh, Saren and having the ability to or the opportunity to be the first human specter ripped away from him and you are like for me I every time I make that decision I'm like I'm basically consigning this man who was once going to be the hero of the galaxy for humanity to a desk job and like menial yeah. so like there is a kind of like is this a right decision moment? And then you have to factor that, uh, like weigh that up against one of these people isn't complete asshole and the other one's a good person. Right. So you're like, for the greater good, I'm going to give you something that I know you probably don't like, but it's got to be you because the other person is awful. The best people in charge are the ones that don't want the power. So, you know, you yeah. got to go with Anderson. I also, back to like, which human characters are good. Anderson is incredible. Like Keith David, one of my favorite performances of his and is just like a great character yeah. and like yeah. a really great like yeah. reflection of Shepard in some ways kind of like a father figure in many ways mm-hmm. um, yeah in, in, in that is specifically his arc right like it's yeah. it, in the very start of Mass Effect 1 it's almost like a throwaway line he talks about how he's never had a family but he's wanted a family and by the end of it you're like you realize oh this is you are his surrogate child this entire time like the first human specter he's been taking care of you and raising you yeah. and that his arc is like an arc that I don't think gets enough credit in when people talk about Mass Effect I agree especially that moment because him punching Udina that's a renegade cutscene. like if you were playing as Anderson you would get the flash up to punch him and like he's you know I think a lot of Mass Effect 1 is like I think the Paragon and, and Renegade system are a really interesting moral spectrum because you know Renegade represents like gut choice immediate thought process ends justify the means get the job done at all costs yeah Mm -hmm. right i think the writers said it was like jack bauer meets captain kirk in terms of like the approach i would i would i would say picard but you know um (laughs) kirk is somewhat in the middle i would say anyway before i go too deep into this i I feel like the game is presenting in mass effect one i feel like there was there was data like a lot like most people went paragon like overwhelmingly went paragon because some of the decisions in in one the renegade choice is just like the bad choice yeah they, they skew evil and, and that's not what they set out to right. do right like they, they set out to mm, do yes. like okay is this person just getting the job done or are they getting the job done the right way like that's the distinction between the two and and in a lot of instances in Mass Effect 1 it's like ac- actually that's just what a bad guy would that, like, that's a Saren move and I'm not going to do a Saren right. move that's not that's not what I'm trying to do and they really figured that out and toned it out in two and three. Like they really figured out how that works. And I honestly, and I, I want to talk about it when we get to three, but like, I think three is like the peak of that. Three is yeah. like a, I agree. a masterpiece yeah. on, on that front. Ugh, incredible. I agree. Cause I think the seed planted is like, I think the council represent the downside of Paragon where they're so plagued by indecision. Like they're so big mm-hmm. picture then nothing ever happens. And, you know, there's a little bit of an impulse to be like, oh my God, just believe me. I went through a beacon. I saw weird images of flesh being turned into metal. You gotta <laughs> trust me. I'm the new guy. Um, yeah. So, you know, and but it makes sense. Like, as frustrating as it is, like, it makes sense that they wouldn't trust you with that right away. It's essentially a fairy tale, you know? And like, again, humanity is the new species. You're the first human specter. The, the first day on the job, you're like, I got a conspiracy theory for you. <laughs> Who wants to listen? <laughs> so I've been on Facebook in my yeah. lunch break. <laughs> I've been on Facebook and I love it. And I've got some info for you. Who made this, Dog. Mark? Somebody's got to give this guy a trophy. <laughs> <laughs>
Incredible. My my thing, oh my God. I think with Mass Effect 1, um, to bring it all back to Vermeer is like, Vermeer is clearly, you know, we, we said uh, Rex is like clearly the standout cast member, like most fleshed out, has the most interesting stuff go on, like literally has a loyalty mission before that even exists in, in these games. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like they figured it out with Rex. They really figured it out with Vermeer too. I mean, because like having that mission have the Rex thing and then also the decision between Ashley and Caden, it's like very clear that they like kind of nailed it. And I think retroactively, it makes a lot of the other decisions you make in Mass Effect 1 seem like less than. It's like, oh man, I kind of wish that they had like spaced those moments out a little bit more. But if they had, Vermeer wouldn't be what it is, right? It wouldn't be the talking point. Because mm. yeah. doesn't Vermeer also end with the sovereign conversation? Yeah, it, it, yeah. it is. I it mean, is. like it's everything it, that I love yeah. about that game in one mission. Like the yeah. sovereign thing was like, I immediately ended that and then picked up the phone and called you, Steven. Because I was like, I, I've never experienced something in sci-fi that made me feel that way. Like that, that yeah, yes. rips. It rips. It's yeah. so fucking cool. It's worth playing the whole trilogy just to have that moment happen. I completely agree. And honestly, as much as we don't care for Ashley or Caden, that's always a tough decision. Like it yeah. always yeah. does give me yeah. pause. And I think this is something we'll get to more in two, I think. But Brendan, you and I talked about how like every now and then the ability to escape making a decision with either the intimidate or charm option weirdly will kind of water down a moment. Yes. I think it's really important that in that instance, you have to choose. You have to let yeah. leave somebody behind. And that happens again in three, which I think is an even more devastating decision. But I, I always feel bad. I'm always, I always regret the choice. And I always think about, you know, what could have been, even if I know, even if I've seen the scenes on YouTube or played through them. Yeah. I always give that moment pause because you're so immersed in the role of Shepard that like you're thinking about what they would do, what you want to do. It's that constant D&D struggle of like, uh, what would my character do? You know, yeah. what would I do? Are they the same thing even? It was one of the few moments where I knew what was coming beforehand just because like the Vermeer mission has kind of, you know, reached outside of discussions of Mass Effect and it's just kind of like discussions about video games in general reference Vermeer all the time. So I knew that there was going to be a decision between Ashley and Caden. And my thought was like, do I pick the himbo or the space racist? And like, it seems obvious <laughs> between that. And then in the moment was shocked at how much I actually needed to like, you know, pause the game, like smash the PlayStation button and stand up and walk around for a minute before I chose. Mm. Well, it's, it's one of the few moments where those two characters actually show like meaningful characterization. <laughs> yeah, right? it's not like yes. actual just space racist. She's she's sacrificing, and and yeah. the same for Caden. Like they are. It's not just I'm loyal and I'm racist. It's like I'm gonna. Here's what I really stand for, and you're gonna lose one of us. Yeah, so pick. It's like a genuine moment of humanity within them both. Right. They're both vying to be selected. Yes. Yeah. yeah they're they're not like how could you do this? They're like ready, and they're like no. Forget what she said. Choose me. I'll stay behind. Yeah. yeah. Which is really, it's a really bittersweet moment. Um, and, and what really kills me is, is like just the casual conversation that follows, you know, like, like mm -hmm. receiving the order and be like, okay, like, thanks for your duty or whatever. Like they can't really express, like, it would be so cheesy if, if they express their gratitude for each other in the moment. Mm -hmm. I do think when I chose to leave Caden behind, he said like, you're making the right decision, which was reassuring, but also haunted me. Cause I'm like, mm -hmm. uh, that's like what I want to tell myself, but like, I'm never going to really believe that. And I don't even know if you believe that, but mm -hmm. yeah, it, really, really heavy moment. 
Yeah. There is one other decision in Mass Effect 1 that I really, really appreciated and really loved, like one mission that ended with a big decision, um, which I realized later was DLC. But the uh, the bring the bring down the sky mission where you end up on a moon that's like going to crash land into a planet uh, and, and you find oh, yeah. out that there's like a group of mercenaries who have been hired to do that and are like deciding to do that themselves. And you have to make the decision to either let the guy go or, or I, I guess like let the planet crash is wild. That that decision that was another one where they don't give you an out like they don't give you like a oh yeah. if, if your paragon points are higher enough you can bail out of this decision and do both it's like you really have to choose and uh that was that was rough that was a rough decision and actually like came back in three which i thought was great like i was i was really surprised to see that guy i think his name is balak yeah yeah i was surprised to see him show up again in three that was the other mission where i was like really floored by like needing to stand up and walk around for a couple minutes um which i was also glad because i played that one like way early on like before vermeyer as well so kind of help to mm. pad the game out a little bit yeah. yeah i missed that one because i forgot that when you start vermeyer it kind of railroads you into the finale mm. so i i have something to look forward to when i play it again in a year or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just think it's one of those instances where the legendary edition just like proves why it's so valuable to have all of this stuff and preserve all of these things and have it all in one place especially when it was intended yeah. to be played that way because like bring down the sky just felt like a mission that belonged in the game um and i'm glad that i didn't have to pay extra for it and like download it and then play through the game a second time to have it like weave into the narrative in a larger scope it's really it's really nice to be able to just have these things woven in whenever you want is there anything else we want to cover on mass effect one uh no i think like the big takeaway of it is like it's it's got a really strong story and it's got the most unique story in that there's not a a singular villain figure for the rest of the franchise is you're fight, fighting this entity or like this hive mind this like yeah. legion that's always threatening and this the series loses something because of that it doesn't have a you know a t1000 style you know <laughs> a figure to really yeah. like a, a voldemort whatever it may be like a figure to really aim uh, putting your crosshairs and gun for but um so that's one of the things that makes it unique and and makes it like a really fascinating and interesting story but i think like the biggest thing that it does is what um steven and you brandon have, have mentioned previously is like it does all of the legwork in setting up one of the greatest sci-fi universes ever created um and that's what it's ultimately in my mind known most for like all the characters i truly love come from the rest of the franchise but the world itself is like yes. why why i fell into it and was like oh shit this is serious business and mm -hmm. this is like this is going to stand the test of time and you you immediately know that this is going to become a fan him. when you when when i started playing it i was like people are going to be obsessed with this i was already thinking about i'm going to spend a lot of time on forums talking about this game yeah i was actually <laughs> upset at a certain point while playing through the trilogy that tumblr wasn't still huge because i was like i imagine yeah. that there was like an era on tumblr.com where uh the mass effect fandom was like fucking sick uh and i, I I'm, I'm sad that i yeah. missed it we can make it happen in our discord there's plenty of uh, room for, <laughs> yeah. for that to happen. All right. Well, I guess we're going to take a break then and then come back and talk about uh, Mass Effect 2, which is a very different beast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think in short, uh, one one was incredible. I can't really rank the three of them, but we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, mm -hmm. One is okay. great. Goodbye. Goodbye. We're here to talk about Mass Effect 2, a game I am glad to have finally played through all of at this point, because man, is it different. 
Uh, Steven, I think it was you who mentioned earlier, like this game has this like really great kind of like wide berth to be able to just explore whatever it wants because one spent so much time setting up the universe and the world and stuff that two can just kind of like be whatever. And I think they really figured out that people just wanted to hang out with characters and like have cool dialogue trees. And that just became the game. Yeah. Tam, you mentioned like, you know, Mass Effect one maybe has like the more interesting plot of the three of them. Um, Two almost lacks a plot in a way like there's definitely a through line between all like through the whole thing. But the focus of the game really is just having people join the Normandy and hanging out with them and doing whatever they want to do. And I think that Mm -hmm. I think it's a wonderful choice. Um, I've actually I've seen some discussion online because I'm like retroactively trying to catch up on like a decade of conversation about the trilogy. (laughs) Uh, But I've seen some conversation online about how some people actually like really dislike that aspect of two for me it really worked and i i appreciated it coming hot off the heels of one that it was like trying to do something so new and so different um and something that i really haven't seen in any other games before i'm even thinking like other games that focus this much on character like fire emblem three houses for example like as much as there is a focus on character there it is more about the overarching story uh and this game i think is like no 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 spotlight on character story is secondary uh, the story exists to take you to three. And that I think is wonderful. I think it's a wonderful decision. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, um, something that I never really gave a lot of thought about, which is ironic because it's such a big moment, but this game begins with Shepard's death. Yeah. It begins with the Normandy, as you know it from one being torn apart by a collector ship and Shepard dying like alone in space. Uh, then quickly being brought back to life by a shady organization called Cerberus and the elusive man is like, we got to do this impossible mission. Here's some friends. Go get them. And that, that's it. You know, that's it mm. for most of the game in terms of like the skeleton. Shepard dying in the beginning, I never really thought about. But this time I've been like trying to figure out like what a big choice, what a like potentially off-putting choice in terms of like the narrative plot holes or whatever. Like, you know, everyone was quick to criticize the ending. No one talks anything about Shepard dying in this game, right, you know. Right but I think top, it's yeah. like too you know, playing it right after one, two is very much, it feels like a purposeful, like wicked reflection of one, almost kind of like Majora's Mask to Ocarina, where, you know, like in the beginning of the game, you die, your legacy essentially ends there. And the rest of the game is like you proving to new and old faces that like you are still who you once were, Um, which is like a really existential thing for a sequel to do anyway, you know, to be like, I'm still the same, you know, even though I've been rebuilt by Halliburton, essentially, like I'm still (laughs) who I used to be. Um, And I think that that's really like the, and and it it goes down to the locations too. Like, you know, I, one of the standout moments in one is going to the Citadel for the first time. And like, you know, you go down left in a hallway and you see the Elcor for the first time. You're like, where am I? This is actually so alien and exciting. And two, you go to Omega, which feels like the sort of sinful unconscious of the Citadel. You know, it's like essentially just a big nightclub. And like, there's even a Batarian on the streets who's giving a speech about how humanity are like scum to the universe, which yeah. feels like the opposite of the Hanar in the Citadel, who was I like think, to be specific. One of the things that like really I, I didn't it didn't even clock for me until I was looking back through screenshots from uh, Mass Effect 2. But the game opens with you dying befriending Cerberus and then going to afterlife 
and you walk yeah, in through right. the doors and and it's just you know these screens flames. that just have flames it's like okay you're starting this game literally at the gates of hell yeah. and working your way up um which there's a yeah. lot of mythology in this game that i didn't really pick up on until after the fact but i i saw one like wild i'll put it in the show notes i have like a whole bibliography of like things i was checking out but i saw this one uh this one video essay that was essentially like this is actually just the entire story of uh the book of revelations from the bible and like it (laughs) weirdly made sense and i feel like you could do that like three or four times with different mythologies and have them all work but fascinating i love i love that aspect of like starting this game in hell and clawing your way back to the surface i think that's a, a really wonderful idea i think what really stands out especially after playing one and even after playing three two feels like it has the best eye for film like when you meet aria for the first time and she says, I am Omega. Like, it's such mm. a cool shot. Like, you see her, you know, this sort of like Virgil slash Satan figure of like <laughs> this afterlife club. And, um, you know, even working for the Elusive Man is like now, you know, you spent the first game working for the council who were like the UN. Now you're just working for this one guy who has thought eight steps ahead of everything you could like predict, you know, and, and he is the renegade extreme. He is the like, we'll all walk away from this happy, but I will get everything I want wanted out of it (laughs) so it's almost bittersweet that you're still alive because you're sort of indebted to this guy who's like clearly evil you know his name is the elusive man and he smokes a cigarette and he has a glowing eyes i'm not gonna trust him i love that character so so much he's so good and i think as far as like briefly stepping away from the actual game into into like development production i don't think there's a celebrity cameo or celebrity use in a video game that comes anywhere close to uh martin sheen in in this series yeah like not even close like he turned up and he wasn't here to cash a paycheck. He was here to do his life's work, which is acting yeah. well. And it's unrelievable. Like, I, I adore that character. Like, almost yeah. every computer I have has him sitting in a chair <laughs> in front of it. If you, like, if you look at any of my meetings, any of my Zoom meetings in GameSpot, like, my icon is the elusive man just, like, sitting in front of it. And, like, I love the iconography and how iconic that character is. But, like, yeah. rewinding rewinding back to... um the start of the 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 shepherd dying stuff functionally they just needed a way to allow people to create a new character right that was the thing that they needed to happen Mm -hmm. for but i love the fact that they use that as an opportunity to kind of create this narrative uh kind of like bird pecking at you the entire time like the seed so the seeds of doubt like you never truly know if the shepherd that exists there is the same shepherd because this is a reconstructed shepherd and then as you learn more and more about the elusive man and you see the gray area he operates in and the way he runs Cerberus you're like what if I've been built to his needs and can I really trust my own character and then you start to there are moments where you really I I definitely first time playing it I doubted my self where i was like because people and they use the other characters to kind of bounce off of you and be like ask the question like are you really shepherd if you've been created from scratch as this new character and you suddenly seem to be on the side of this group which in the first game was uh, mentioned numerous times as a terrorist organization yeah like a fundamentalist extremist organization and you're like damn maybe maybe this is a bad situation for me to be in and it's such a like a it's just sowing that seed of doubt and it's like the same impact as you know the unreliable narrator has where the elusive man is the unreliable narrator for this game and it's such a smart and that is the story for me like the the sub the, the plot of the story uh plot of the game is that elusive man is are you shepherd and is the elusive man screwing with you and then the the kind of like focus is putting together the team and by doing that you prove to yourself 
whether you are the shepherd that you once were. Right. Because I think shepherd is, is, you know, even more drilled down in three is exists through the relationships they've created, you know, especially as the player, like are all the, all the DLC missions where it's just shepherd by themselves all feel kind of off. And I think it's because like we get a better sense of our identity and our character when we're kind of with the team we've assembled and like gotten to know. It's also interesting how like into a lot of the original cast aren't playable. Like you run into Liara and um, Rex and Ashley or Caden uh, and have these like big cameos that like range. Like, you know, Rex is pumped to see you. He's like, oh, you died and just pissed you off, I guess. You know, he doesn't really <laughs> think too much about it. He's like, I'm glad you're back. I'm, I'm the king now, so get over it. And uh, Liara is interesting because she's now like gone from like nerdy, unsure scientist to like an information broker. She's even quoting her mother when you walk in. She says the like, have you fought an Asari commando unit before? A few humans have, which mm. I loved. Because that, in the original Mass Effect, pre-Legendary Edition, that fucking boss, Matriarch Benezia, was like an eighth of my playthrough. I could not destroy <laughs> her. It was so frustrating. And I feel like that, Liara saying that out loud was like just a, just a sting of the past. Um, mm-hmm. But also shows you like how she's grown. And that's the, that's the important right. thing too, is like everyone in the original cast is now in a new position. Uh, whether it's a good one or not, you know, it, they're all somewhere else and you're assembling this new team of of old and new faces and really getting to know them on a deeper level. And this is really where like Garrus and Tali become the characters I love, you know, compared to the first game. Yeah. Yeah. Garrus in particular, I, I had completely forgotten about his uh, arrival in this game, but uh, that whole mission setting up like, OK, you're going after this uh, essentially like. Like verse mercenary, but also kind of like a Batman figure on Omega was mm-hmm. like, I, I just remember playing it and thinking like, OK, I know that Tam loves this scene, I'm sure I, for the same mm-hmm. reason that I do. I mean, it just it mm-hmm. just felt like literally like going to recruit Batman and realizing that Batman is my friend was like yeah. the greatest <laughs> moment of all time. Like, like, act, like yeah. throw the controller on the ground, just like yeah. get up and scream at the top of my lungs about how hyped I am. Like I that, felt, uh, I felt the same way in that moment. And the, uh, the other moment I had that uh, similar feeling is in, I think it's dark Knight rises where, uh, Batman turns to Gordon and says, sometimes a hero is someone that just puts a, a, a jacket on a kid who had just lost his parents or something like that. And then it, and then he just flies away and then it just slowly zooms in on Gordon's face as he realizes and he goes, Bruce. And I was like, yes, it's Bruce. You <laughs> <Yeah>. did it. That's <laughs> like exactly the same feeling where I was like, yes, it's Garrus. He's yeah. there. Unbelie- unbelievable. A what a great like early game reveal. I mean, that by itself just like sucked me into Mass Effect 2 and and I and really never let go after that point. I think he might have been the first person mm-hmm. I recruited when they let me start recruiting people. He's an early one. Yeah. 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 I, I will say though, like the the crew that you're kind of like stuck with, you know, like you're you're uh Ashley and Caden, I guess, in this game, or Miranda and Jacob in a way, where you know, these mm-hmm. two Cerberus agents who are on your ship, like right when you start, I think there's like a I think there's a world in which you could like play through the game you know i imagine some people played through it and were like these are you know ashley and caden again like kind of you know boring whatever like the humans i I don't really want to like hang out with them both characters i think like really wonderful i jacob in particular i loved like immediately because as as soon as you start the game it's like okay this uh guy named the elusive man has brought you back from the dead and you've now joined a terrorist organization to help preserve humanity but 
also save the galaxy, maybe. It's like, that seems bad. And like, Tam, you were, as you were saying, like, it seems bad. Like, right off the top, I was like, this sucks, actually. I don't want to be part of this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to align myself with Cerberus. Every time they give me the option to say, fuck Cerberus, I'm going to. You go talk to Miranda, and she's like, all in. She's like, Cerberus is my life. I love Cerberus. You go talk to Jacob. He's like, I don't care. <laughs> he's just like, <laughs> he's a guy who like has been working the same job for a decade and is so fucking jaded by it. He's like, I have no yeah. allegiance. Here. Like, this is literally just a paycheck for me. And you can just like confide in him all the time about how much Cerberus sucks. And I was like, this dude, he's the best. I love Jacob so much for that reason. <laughs> yeah, he um, I mean, I think he specifically mentions that like the, you know, Alliance isn't really doing anything to help these human colonies. So he signed up with the party who was doing something, which is Cerberus. Yeah. And and, and very much he is like the the gateway to just venting about Cerberus with Miranda, <laughs> at least initially Yes. Is all in initially, yes. And and Jack, I think, has a great line about both of them where she says, Jacob doesn't know who he is, and it's not my problem. Miranda is a Cerberus cheerleader bitch, and I hate her. Those are the, <laughs> the two things yeah. Jack says, which you know, in the beginning are accurate. I played through most of my first time with Miranda. I really liked Miranda a lot. Um, yeah. Partially because I was like a huge fan of Chuck back in the day and she's yeah, based on Yvonne Stravsky and I was like, oh, hell yeah, I love uh, Miranda and Yvonne Stravsky. But yeah, she she becomes a, a fantastic character in her own right when, totally. you know, her oh, sister's yeah. stuff, a loyalty mission. And over the course of the game and the following game is a really cool character. She has the arc that I feel like Ashley needed a version of in terms yes. of starting as an unlikable, misaligned character and becoming more heroic. I mean, mm-hmm. very different circumstances because like Ashley has this like loving family and Miranda's family is like beyond nightmarish but like you know they they are they're both kind of in the wrong place and it's cool to see Miranda like navigate out of it and Ashley just sort of shows up again and is like I'm cool with everyone now um (laughs) (laughs) so uh but yeah I um so the game is largely structured where the elusive man gives you dossiers on characters and it's paced where it's like you get a few characters there's a major story mission you get a few characters there's a major story mission and then at the very end there's the mission that has been told to you from the start like you see the omega relay like in red you can't go through it yet like the passageway to the final area is like visible to you and it's called the suicide mission so it's like you're brought back from the dead and the final mission is like a Assumed to be hopeless. Like whenever you talk to people on the ship, they're like, I don't know. We got like a 50, 50 shot, like at best, you know, even when you have like the whole crew and have done loyalty and, you know, have upgraded, like, you know, there might be a little bit more optimism, but it, it seems to be kind of hopeless. And I think that, that that atmosphere and like finding the hope despite that, despite this sort of lack of identity and like these strained relationships with new and old colleagues, like really actually successfully making a team is so rewarding. And and the fact that like, like you said, Brendan, there's not really like an A plot in the spotlight as much as like, you know, a, a three houses, like you said, the characters and relationships are the best part of it, but there is an A plot that's happening. Whereas in this one, like the suicide mission's success depends on your relationships. Like everything you've done yeah. the whole game is put to the test. Uh, and 
that that final mission in particular, the first time I played it, I, I that was the moment I realized I'm like this is unlike anything I've ever experienced in a video game. Like this is so gripping in a way that movies dream of being. You know, where it's like I know the characters are going to make it okay. In this this instance, I don't. I don't know if Tali is going to be okay in the vents. I don't know if I made the right decision. And again, going back to decision, it's like in the first game, you know, you lose other people in in, in Vermeer, but most of the decisions are more abstract where it's like how will this affect the universe but in two they're also personal and you see like if you make the wrong decision just one by one you're losing teammates so unceremoniously it's brutal it's really rough if it happens Mm. yeah it's it's just i think that like one and three have moments that really i consider like highs of the entire trilogy but two is just so focused from start to finish that like i think it has to be the strongest entry in my opinion yeah agreed yeah I, th- I think like that in terms of what it achieves within the grander scheme of um, the entire franchise, it is the most focused, the most like sharply written and the most like impactful. And I, I said the word impactful a lot, but like this is like where the, the, the franchise really was like, oh shit, if you haven't played this franchise, this is this is the thing that you, this is like an unmissable game in the language of like games you need to play before you perish and uh, <laughs> leave this mortal coil mass effect 2 is among them i think like i hold it in in like the, of the highest regard when it comes to characterization and writing and, and yeah and like i don't think that there's very few games that come close to it in my in my mind on that subject is was there a character that like really resonated with you or a loyalty mission that stays with you i mean the answer is like all of them you know shortly yeah. but you know as we're doing this episode together like would you single out one specifically yeah for me it's thane yeah 100 thane is in this game my favorite character without a doubt like by leaps and bounds um and i think i would put him as my favorite character in the franchise as a whole there oh, yeah. is a strong contender in mass effect 3 but i mm. think ultimately thane is number one for me and um the reason i really like him is because so we talked about andromeda earlier and the thing that got me excited about andromeda was something that uh, a character in that does that thane is entirely about and that is dealing with spiritualism and religion in andromeda the character is i think the navigator suvi who she treats the science uh, of uh, treats space and science and understanding of space almost like a religion mm. and i remember playing the preview and she's like look around you and look at look at all these planets these stars how can this exist without a higher power and that was like a really interesting moment for me because science fiction by its very nature often like the acceptance of science and space and science fiction often pushes aside god as a as a being if you get what i mean and it replaces it with different kinds of like weird shit either it's technology or we've got this other you know cult leader or some other being that not the traditional form of a god and i found like i find the the exploration of traditional religion or the traditional interfacing with religion as we know it within the framework of space to be endlessly fascinating and thane is very very much about that it's a little more abstract because his religion is complicated but like his whole belief set the fact that he is effectively he separates his body from his soul 
and is an assassin, but holds no, doesn't believe that his actions tarnish his soul. He's a murderer outright, but believes that he's a good person at the same time, which is so, so interesting. And through that lens, you get to learn about the Drell and how they approach like their metaphysical existence and how his actions are kind of like separated out and how he justifies that. And then you learn slowly that he's dying of Kepro syndrome and that all comes crashing down because facing the end of his life, he's forced to really interrogate whether his belief system is enough to wash away what is traditionally thought of as his sins. And it's so, so well done. My favorite experience in Mass Effect 2 is going into that little dry room that Thane is sitting in and just sitting down at that table and just going through his dialogue options one after the other. And I remember it was like maybe 20 minutes and the world around me fell apart and I was completely absorbed by this character. And I was like, I cannot, I like, I was fascinated by the drill and fascinated by Thane. And he is easily my favorite character. And the, the weirdest part of it is like, there's so much more to him that we don't get. They use him just enough. Yeah. yeah. And they bring him yeah. back in the third game. And the way they bring him back is heartbreaking. And then his arc in that game is soul crushing for a fan of him. <laughs> like the way that things go down for him. You're like, I'm glad this went down the way, the way it did also. But like, I, I hate that this happened to you. And the whole like, there's something about loving a character knowing that it, no matter what you do, he's dying. That yeah. Kepro syndrome was like, this sounds really, really awful. Not awful, but like really not a flippant thing. But, you know, it's weird to make this connection given that we're talking about a video game. But like th this this character is dying of cancer and there's right. nothing that you can do about it. And like that is what this game is exploring. The futility of and, and living with and loving someone who is going to die and there's nothing you can do about it. And that is so powerful in this game and i love that they did that and that's why thane is like not only my favorite mass effect character but one of my favorite characters of all time yeah that was beautifully said tam and and i think i actually romanced thane in my second run and it really just like exemplified all the points you brought up because you you add to that <laughs> the bittersweet <laughs> lens of like shepherd finding someone in the galaxy they love and knowing that like mm. it's gonna be the cancer or this mission we have to go on you know it's one or the other i have to say goodbye to this person at some point yeah and that's just brutal it, it's interesting you brought up to the the separation of body and spirit with things I, I just realized that a lot of the characters who are new in two all have that sort of duality where they have some sort of code or honor they have to follow that excuses their grayer actions so like morden mm. for example is this doctor who has like you know a doctor's oath but has you know been one of the main supporters and and redistributors of the genophage Samara is someone who has to follow the Jessica's code that results in having to kill her daughter, you know, and it's like all these characters are sort of stuck in this path that like makes them do things that are seemingly out of character or even Grunt, who is is this, you know, lab made perfect Krogan, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, perfect Krogan muscle man. Uh, <laughs> but he is is given the imprint of like he's born with this sort of almost idolized version of Krogan history. And then he gets it to Chanka and he's like, this place is a dump. Like, this is what I've been like. 
Yeah. That that moment really resonated with me where he he's like, you know, and he finds the pride in his heritage because he's there versus being told about it. And he, he sees like the state his people are in. But that that dynamic of like being told one thing and experiencing another, being a doctor who murders people or like a paladin who has to kill their own daughter. Like there's constantly this sort of like internal battle with a lot of the newer characters and even some of the older ones, but especially with the new ones now that I'm rethinking it. And the, the other thing about Thane is he represents he he's used to kind of tell the player that not everything they do might be for the benefit like the he he exists to muddy paragon and renegade he's like a gray area character in his yeah. construction he is that character that's like i kill but i believe i'm good but like the, um, some of the things he says are like they really challenge you to think like one of his quotes is removing evil is not the same as creating good so like mm. that you're like shit just because i'm taking out <laughs> someone who's like a villain doesn't mean it's necessarily the right thing for me to do and yeah. you have to really think about it. and then the other one is like prayers for the wicked must not be forsaken not for her not for me and like you're like what this character is like killing bad people and then wishing the best for them and you're like the morality like he's he's like yeah. it's really hard to pin him down and like he's designed to make you question yourself in the same way that the elusive man reconstructing shepherd is like it's it's just designed to put that's what a lot of this game is it's like putting you into a gray area where you have to really think about are you a good person or are you not and i th i find that such a fascinating part of the character and and like it's also like he's also incredibly sweet he has these moments that are like really heartfelt you know, yeah there's like um there's a reason like, there's a bit where you like romance him and he's like i i had no reason to live and now suddenly i have two you and Collier, which is his son um mm. and and there's like that kind of stuff and there's that moment where he was like i will await you across the sea and you're like oh it's beautiful <laughs> such a beautiful yeah. it's like my little reptile frog boy let me kiss you <laughs> That's the thing. He's got like a very sexy voice. Uh, like yeah, that's the other like, thing that really adds a lot. If you get his DLC costume where he's wearing the glasses as well, yes. it's so fucking cool. It's yeah, I literally the whole time. It he's was so incredible. cool. If if there's ever going to be a spin-off game, it's Thane just doing Thane shit in my mind. Like that <laughs> should be the whole game. Um, Brendan, what about you? Were there were there's a standout character or loyalty mission? Yeah, I mean, probably unsurprisingly to you, but Le Legion was like. I mean, Legion is just an unbelievable character. So um, yeah. I guess just like a little bit of context, but throughout the first game, you're fighting Saren, who has kind of co-opted the Geth, uh, or you think that Saren personally has co-opted the Geth, I guess is the idea. And the Geth are these um, kind of like, you know, a, a machine race. They're all linked, one hive mind, kind of Borg adjacent, but not really. But you eventually meet a Geth in Mass Effect 2, who for some reason has like a piece of N7 armor attached to them and is helping you fight the bad guys, essentially. They're like sniping from afar the things that you're also fighting. And there's this very strange moment throughout the course of that mission where you're like trying to decide if this thing is actually helping you or not, or if you just like momentarily have the same goal um, and have to make a decision right at the end of that mission. I actually don't know if you can make the decision the other way, but at least the way I played through it was you throw that geth onto your ship because it gets hit and, you know, it's kind of knocked out. And you have this really wonderful scene on the Normandy where you and Edie, who is the AI on the ship, decide to wake this geth up and try and have a conversation with it. And immediately, I, these are my favorite moments in like all sci-fi, just like world building in general. But this moment where this preconceived notion you had about 
a- anything just gets completely obliterated because as soon as the thing wakes up, it's very clear that it's super different than the Geth that you were fighting. And and throughout that conversation, it, it's kind of just like mining at that and figuring out, is this one individual Geth different than the ones I was fighting or are all the Geth? different than I thought was I actually the bad guy in the first one maybe like what what actually is happening here and getting to the bottom of it you you essentially find out that the geth you were fighting in the first game are like heretics essentially like the geth as a collective couldn't make a decision and split itself to kind of like check out both paths and see which one is true it's as if you were presented with a paragon and renegade choice and couldn't decide and played through mm-hmm. the entire mass effect trilogy both ways to see what would happen not realizing that like that's an, that's an impossibility and the geth essentially is colliding with itself to figure itself out i mean that is like a rich narrative vein that's like a that's like an idea that you could just like write a whole book series about by itself like that is so fascinating to me the thing though on top of all of it that i like love more than anything is there are these moments every once in a while and again just a testament to how wonderful the character writing is in this game but there are moments every once in a while where you realize that legion is more sentient than they think they are there are moments when legion says a thing does not understand why it said that thing or doesn't understand why they're having this kind of response, you know, because it's not the logical thing. They like checked in with all the other geth and like nobody's really sure like why the N7 armor got attached to it. But maybe maybe it's sentience, maybe it's individuality, like maybe there's this sense that the geth the geth's evolution, if you can call it that, which I think the game is like presupposing like, yes, you can. Geth's evolution is individuality, is individualism. Like that that's maybe not exactly, maybe uh, being a collective hive mind isn't what's best for them as a species is like a fascinating idea. Um, And one that I really, really, really loved exploring throughout that loyalty mission where you get to decide if you're going to rewrite the heretics or not and bring them back into the fold of the entirety of the geth. (laughs) fucking cool idea Mm. and like a really difficult decision to make like that's one of those moments where it didn't feel like i was making a paragon or renegade decision that felt like an actual like moral judgment call in no way could you be prepared to make that decision in no way could you sit there and say like the morally right thing to do is to rewrite the the minds of this species to all agree on the same thing like that's that's not okay but maybe it is and it kind of gets to what thane was saying you know like taking out the 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 evil doesn't make it good like that decision weighed on me for so long after i made it. i chose to rewrite them and 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 i sat with that for a long time wondering how that was going to fuck me over in three i was sure that i made the wrong decision after i made it it felt right in the moment it was like a gut check and i was sure that at some point in three that was going to be a problem which it half half and half as with all things i guess but um yeah i don't know legion legion like really really worked for me in a way um and only made Edie more disappointing in three in a way because yeah. Edie was kind of like a, a sadder like less interesting take on some similar ideas yeah i mean i think going back to your read on one where like even the, the freedom of choosing is is you know sort of like held on this pedestal mm-hmm. and the geth are slowly being able to do that for themselves they're being able to choose on yeah. an individual level i think for me of the new characters added morden was probably uh the standout for me i honestly uh, forgot morden was a new character until you said that i was just like oh morden feels like i've yeah. known <laughs> like yeah morden was in pokemon morden was in super mario <laughs> brothers like i've known morden my whole life what are you talking about <laughs> 
Morden, uh, <laughs> if the if the Geth are simultaneously playing Mass Effect, Morden is speed running Mass Effect. <laughs> every every decision, he's like, hmm, too many variables, problematic, and like he'll he'll rationalize everything. Uh, I, I've seen a lot of people compare him to Spock in that way, where like he's pure logic, pure mm-hmm. reason, and he's so likable. I mean, he sings musicals, he's like, yeah. you know, helping people on Omega, but he has this really horrifically dark past with the genophage and and the fact that he excuses it still mm. like you know there's so many conversations on the normandy where you're like what you did was genocide and he's always like no well you know you have to factor in this this and this um his loyalty mission i think is a great window into his character where like when he sees the sort of charred bodies of malin's test subjects he like kind of says a prayer for them or something like he he like shares a moment and it, it catches you off guard because usually he's so yeah. almost cold where he's like oh well you know it will it will justify itself in the end but he as a doctor has this strong moral code and then you can tell it's like this dude isn't excusing the the genophage he's just trying to put off dealing with the guilt you Mm -hmm. know and and confronting malin and being like do we keep this data that is going to lead to a cure of the genophage but was found through horrific experiments or do we destroy it all and then everything that happened here was for naught i ended up keeping it because i'm like I wouldn't have done this, but if we destroy the data, all of this will have been for nothing. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. like, you know, Same. but it's, it's another very gray decision, which I think too is, is clearly full of, there's so many, so like they really are challenging the morality system that they have built for themselves in a really successful way. I didn't think about this. This, this might be the case though, but like on a grander scheme, I wonder if some of the Tam, as you as you mentioned, like they weren't they weren't planning three exactly uh, as they were making two. But I do wonder if there's there's this like sense in the air that, okay, most people played Mass Effect one as a Paragon game. Mass Effect two is like the halfway point between the two. And then I think Mass Effect three really encourages Renegade more than it encourages Paragon, where Mm -hmm. like the trilogy itself is going across that spectrum that they've created in the first game. I didn't really consider that until we we Mm -hmm. started talking really in depth about the character. But when you get a thousand foot view of it in a conversation like this, those things kind of become a little more apparent. It's interesting, though. Going back to Legion, you know how parents talk about how the first time their kids like mama or dada and like the things it does to them inside. I have that same thing every time Legion's like Shepherd Commander. I'm like, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Me too. I love anytime they say Shepherd Commander, I just melt inside. I'm just like, oh God, I love you so much. Legion, Legion's incredible. I mean, it, they really did save the best for last in terms of who you recruit like exactly. later mm-hmm. on. Although apparently you can bring him on Tali's loyalty mission, yeah. which I need to see because like that's wild. Like, to, you know, to see how they react to that. I would never do that personally. And because of that, right. I watched a YouTube video just to see what would happen. And it is shocking. Like I, I would recommend yeah. if you don't want to like replay the whole trilogy just to see that scene, like just go watch on YouTube. It's uh, pretty wild. I actually did want to talk about Tali's loyalty mission, though, because I think that's a standout, in my opinion, yeah, where definitely. basically Tali is alerted. So the Quarians, which she's, you know, she's a Quarian, they were all on this planet, Rannoch. They invented the Geth. The Geth, through a historical event, which we'll get to in three, uh, <laughs> like basically forced them to leave the planet and they exist as like this nomadic fleet of ships. And because Rannoch had a very low 
like a naturally low bacteria count, like as a planet, there wasn't a lot of bacterial life. Their immune systems are are not equipped to deal with like any other planet. So they have to wear like full suits at all times, which honestly, like in a, in, like playing this, like after COVID, like really hit close to home, like t- especially mm. uh, I romance Tali and her being like us being together is like a, a life risk for me. <laughs> we had mm. to find a way to make this work mm. like that weirdly was like a, like I, I resonated with that, you know, that's something we've all had to deal with a version of in this time. Mm. But she she's told that she's going to be exiled from her like flotilla of ships. So you go to the Aquarian fleet. Really cool setting. I love seeing like how they live in the ships and like their almost religious view of ships. Like when you're when you're named, your name is like Talizora Vos Normandy or whatever ship you're on. So you go here and there's a council and basically Tali's father is accused of activating Geth on a Corian ship, which is, you know, high treason. And Tali, you know, as his descendant is like subject to exile if he, if his name isn't cleared. So you essentially go to the ship, uh, you find hard evidence that basically proves that her father is guilty. Uh, mm. They were activating Geth to like learn more about them, essentially. Um, but he did do it. And um, that's the, the thing that the Tali's character is going through into that I think is like very emblematic of a lot of like bigger stories in Mass Effect is like being plagued by your ancestors' mistakes. You know, like the Krogan suffering for the sins of right. their of thousands of years of Krogan. And she's like, my father, you know, like I have to like, and there's a great moment in three when she gets drunk and she's like, Miranda just fucking killed her dad. Like, I got to deal with all my dad's bullshit forever. <laughs> and she just like iced the guy. Like, I, I'm actually weirdly jealous that she could just do that. But uh, Tali, we find this evidence and and Shepard's like, OK, cool. We have evidence that like proves that it was your father's fault. You're innocent. You won't be exiled. But she begs you to not. Yeah, you as the player think you're in the clear in that moment. You're like, sick. This is great. Yes, yes. As you're as yes. you're discovering this horrifying thing for her, you're like, great. This is good news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, you can't share this, Shepard, because this will my my father will be remembered as like the traitor of the Korean people forever. Like his name will be tarnished. I can't I can't have that done to his memory, even if he did it. I want the memory of him to remain positive. So that's a really Hmm. interesting decision of like, do you share the evidence to clear her name because you care about her future with the Koreans and like her aspirations or do you honor her personal request? So that way you're thinking of like the societal view versus the personal view. Now this is a decision where you can renegade or paragon out of it. This is actually the mission, Brendan, you call me and you're like, this is such a cool decision or such an interesting and heavy decision that I wish there wasn't an out for it in that way. Yeah. It's there are so few moments like that in the trilogy. And this is like the biggest perpetrator of that, where the fact that my Paragon points were high enough meant that I didn't have to make that call because uh, I sat there staring at it for a long time, trying to decide what decision to do, like thinking, do I maybe just bail on the Paragon choice, even though it's there and available to me um, and decided to go that route anyway, because I needed more Paragon points. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, th- and this is actually one of the decisions that weirdly lasts throughout the like, yeah. if if you dishonor her father, she never forgives you. Like in three, she's still very cold to Shepard. And also, if she's not an admiral. So, you know, if 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 you did share the evidence, but like she gets exiled, you can't declare peace between the Koreans and the Geth in three. Mm. Like you oh, need wow. 
Le- you need Legion, you need Tali, and you need Tali to be an admiral to declare peace. Wow. Which I actually think is important because like that is a moment that I, I'm glad the option exists, but I'm glad that you have to work for it. Because it would be too easy if it was just like, I want peace. Because you know? <laughs> of course you want peace, like obviously. Right. But that, that mission I just thought was a really great mix of like combat and also like kind of legal room drama almost stuff going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, I think it really showed Tali's development as a character, you know, her, her constant division. Cause she ends up kind of becoming like the Rex for the Corians where like, as she gets to know Legion, she advocates for peace with the Geth and like, mm-hmm. you know, is the progressive admiral, but you know, yeah, I, I, I just, I really, really love that mission and I love how her character grows into. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of characters. I, I was like looking at the list of characters, and there's I don't so many. think there's, I don't, yeah, there's so many, and I don't think there's a bum character within them. Like, um, I think the closest that I get to a character that I'm like, uh, I wasn't, I'm not totally in love with, but I know people really like her is Kasumi. A lot of people are super into Kasumi, but for me, she's probably like the one that I'm like, uh, you know, I'm cool. Uh, I'm I loved, I loved her loyalty mission. Yes. I thought it was great, and I love her. But it, it's very funny to compare her and Zaid to to Javik, who's the DLC character in three, where it's like right. you can tell Javik was not planned to be DLC. Like there is like yeah. like Kasumi and Zaid feel kind of like they're less present. Like if you bring them on a mission, they'll have banter. And their loyalty missions are there, but like they don't have animated cutscenes really. Right. Like if yeah. you go into their rooms on the Normandy, they just kind of have like a like ten or fifteen lines that they kind of cycle through occasionally. You can't yeah. like sit down with them like you did with Thane and like have a long twenty minute conversation, like pick their brains really. Mm. Um, unless you're on those loyalty missions. Kasumi, I think I think like really just has such a wonderful loyalty mission that like she really just kind of gets amped up um in, in mm. the books for me. Zaid was the one that I was like a little, a little more iffy on for the similar reasons. I agree. I'm the complete opposite where I love Zaid. Like, I really, really like Zaid. And the, the reason, like, it's it sounds silly, but, like, it's it's a representation thing. His name is Zaid Masani. He is a he is a brown man and he's a bad ass as well and like it's <laughs> yeah. it's interesting because <laughs> oh, yeah. like every time you play a video game any character from the middle east south asia is always some sort of terrorist that you need to kill yeah. and this game subverts that archetype in that he is he he does have some of the stereotypical um kind of like traits that you might associate with a character like that he's very vicious he's very angry he is very into blowing shit up and killing things but he does it entirely on his own terms and at a certain point does it for the good of the universe and at one point like i think he's his quote is like i fancied standing for something finally or something like that and you're like hell yeah so i love him because he is we don't get a lot of characters that look like us in video games and then even fewer that like take what people um, stereotype you at and turn it into their own strength. Um, so I love Zaid because of that. Yeah, that rules. My my thing with Zaid wasn't that I didn't like him as a character throughout. It was that I didn't mm. like uh, his role in the suicide mission, which maybe we should dive into. But my thing with Zaid was that after his loyalty mission, I was like, all right, the guy that we all went to go kill, he got away. Like we didn't, we didn't make it. At least the way I played through it was like we, you know, you really want to take this guy out. You did the right thing though by saving these other people, letting him get away, and that all led up 
to me at least to the suicide mission where like you need somebody to run this like elite squad of commandos like Zaid, you're just going to be the biggest badass on the team and just run these people through uh, while Kasumi is in some vents or Tali or whoever you send um, is in some vents. And Zaid is not one of the ch- viable choices to run that commando squad. <laughs> I was I was like, this is it. This is his redemption arc. This is it's all it's all been leading it to this moment. Sense. And I was yeah. so yeah. upset when I found out after the fact that he was not one of the eligible choices because it just seems so glaringly obvious his entire arc story-wise up until that moment points yeah. to him I mean, being the, problem, the guy the problem is there's a chance that you haven't bought him so if he's that integral that he can't be that integral because he's dlc it's weird though because kasumi is she's yeah, one of yeah. the you can send her in the vents so it, it is a little bit of that's what i did thing. i was like all right we're going yeah. into this dlc characters forward kasumi <laughs> in the vents zaid running the 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 uh, fire team i was like i'm set this is sick I love this. I'm not stressed out at all. And then I was very stressed out. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember my roommate at the time. I tell I tell everyone as soon as they say they're playing Mass Effect, I'll I'll set like a weekly reminder where I email them directly and say, <laughs> get the ship upgrades. Cause like <laughs> I my roommate didn't, and I had so like I was watching him play and I'm about to do the suicide mission. He didn't get any of the ship upgrades. I watched oh, no. Dane, Tali, and Jack oh my all God. die in like the worst way possible, just on the way to the mission. <laughs> And I'm like, I, I I was like actually mad at my roommate. Like I was like, I actually had to work out. Like I had to go for a walk. I mean, not really, but like I was very upset and I'm like, I don't want anyone to have to experience what you just went through. Yeah. <laughs> if I had any complaints about the last mission, I wish that there were like a few more viable options because it really is like every delegated task has three right choices out of a mm. cast of like 12. And if you yeah. choose wrong, somebody dies yeah which you know adds to the stakes but like there are cases where it's like zaid like is a viable like because usually it makes sense you can kind of predict who's the right choice you're not going to send grunt through the vents right but uh <laughs> that would be so funny though actually i want to see that oh, scene yeah. <laughs> shepherd what do i push um, yeah, that's yeah, gotta uh, be awesome <laughs> when, when you choose the biotic to like prevent you from getting like the bugs taking you away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Miranda's like, I can do it, but you can also choose another biotic expert. And Miranda is one of the wrong choices, which is so yeah. funny. I was, I was also going to say like, um, there are a bunch of other characters that we've kind of glossed over that I think are also cool. Like Jack is real cool. Oh, Jack's um, amazing. Yeah. I, f- I find her, I, I like her as a character. I also find her incredibly annoying in that way that your edgy friend is annoying because <laughs> like they are your friend, but also you wish they would stop being so edgy because it's not impressing anyone. <laughs> so like every time I have a conversation with Jack, it ends yeah. with me rolling my eyes and being like, all right, just relax. Chill out. I think though with, I, I get that, but I think with Jack, she is the one, character who is really like her loyalty mission shows you how fucked up Cerberus is yeah which I think it's really important and like her her hatred and animosity is like kind of warranted given what she's gone through mm-hmm. and, and what Cerberus stands for and her own personal journey to like be okay working for them even temporarily yeah, yeah. and realizing that she was the lucky one yeah right yeah, yeah really when I love that scene where you're in the room she grew up in and she's like talking about like the table like was her friend that she hid under. It's really harrowing. Um, I've heard too. I haven't, I haven't romanced Jack, but I've heard that that story is excellent. Like the, like getting to know her, you Mm. know, through Shepard's love interest is a really powerful Mm. story, which I imagine it is, but I haven't seen it. 
Yeah. Um, and, and and then the other characters are like Grunt is is not is no Rex, but I I very quickly like came around to Grunt and felt, felt a lot of love for Grunt. Um, real cool character and. There's moments where he's referenced in the next game before he actually shows up via uh, the DLC character Javik, and you're like, "Oh, I remember this! It's so cool!" Yeah. Um, and then like Samara is another one who often gets forgotten. That whole Arduk Yakshi and with Morant and that kind of stuff that was a fascinating. I think that's one of the my favorite loyalty missions, just because it's entirely built around the culture of 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 a species and how it how another character is like negatively impacted by it and how how her mother is like sacrificing everything just to to right a wrong that she feels um i think samara is like one of the strongest written characters in in the game but often doesn't get a lot of love yeah i'm not sure why i mean i also like i always am really intrigued by like her backstory and like her role as a justicar I think it's really just like the characters who you love, like you want to go to them first, you know, like, and whoever that, and that's like different for everybody. Um, but you know, like there's a reason the Garrus saying he has to work in calibrations became a meme. Cause like everyone is constantly talking to Garrus and he's just out of dialogue. <laughs> so yeah. like, can, can I wait? I got to work on this. Yeah. Um, at seeing him turn his head, I always got disappointed. I'm like, Oh shit. He doesn't have a new scene yet. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, I also Jacob's loyalty mission is like surprisingly heavy given that they mm. don't really, I, I think I, I agree with you, Brendan. I, I like him as a character. They don't really give him a lot, especially in three. It feels like they kind of forgot about him, but his like heart of darkness mission with his father is like really scary. Real really fucked haunting. up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, so how'd the, how'd the suicide mission go for you guys? <laughs> so I was, I was very fortunate. I nailed it first time with no deaths. So wow. like, I was because I was obsessed with making sure I did everything properly and like spent as much time with everyone as possible and mm-hmm. charming everyone and getting all the uh, right ship upgrades. Not not like I wasn't following a guide. I just like it's that you know how it feels when you're really obsessed with the game and you just like poking at every corner to make sure you've done it three times. And I think that really paid off for me in the end. And like the decisions I made just happened to be the right ones. So I got through that suicide mission. There were moments. The thing that I love about it is like even when you've picked the right thing, there are moments where where you're like, oh, good. And it's yeah. like, you just get through by the skin of your teeth. And that happened so many times that there were moments where I was like, oh, shit, I've fucked this up. This is going to be so bad. And when it when it resolves itself, I was like, oh, thank God. And It's yeah. always nerve-wracking, yeah. Mm. The first and they play I- with it at the end as well, like where I think someone like comes out of like one of the one of the ships or something like that, uh, a little slower than everyone else. And you're like, yeah. <gasps> uh, okay, okay, everyone's alive. <laughs> it is so stressful. The very first time I played, I also looked out. I think if you're listening to the game, uh, overall, I, I think that you, you should should unless he bought Zaid and fell for his trip or his trick uh I feel like you will be largely okay mm. but there's still like there's so many variables with that last mission that will result in someone dying first time I played I didn't lose anybody the second time I played I like looked up what to do because I didn't want to lose anybody this time I purposely didn't I'm like I want to go in I know to get the ship upgrade so I won't have that happen but mm-hmm. I want to do everything else in the moment um and I lost Thane uh, which was really oh, sad. Oh yeah, it was it was a lot. But honestly, I a weird part of me wanted to lose someone just to see how it felt going into three with that guilt. Yeah, and I I was tempted to restart, but I, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna roll with it because I I only lost one. Uh, Brendan, I know you have a slightly different story with your yeah. suicide mission. Yeah, I I started the suicide mission as I said. I picked Kasumi to go in the vents because she's a thief. 
Like she's she lives in mm. Vince. Like that's her whole jam. So like it seemed obvious. See, it was either going to be her or Thane was my thought originally because Thane also is you know big vent head. Uh, so I just thought like maybe <laughs> maybe one of them. But I sent Kasumi in, and then I I was like, okay, well I I already picked one DLC character. This seems like the end of Zaid's arc is that he would lead this like elite squad of commandos. Um and in the process ended up losing Kasumi, which was brutal. Mm. And then I don't remember who I chose for the next round. I think I fell for Miranda's thing and, uh, and picked her as the biotic. And I don't remember the other thing or the other person that I picked. Um, but I ended up losing grunt and then Garrus and losing Kasumi grunt and Garrus in a row. I immediately like called Steven and he was like, that's grounds to start over. (laughs) Like, we'll just like say that in Canon, this is like a horrible dream that Shepard had. You had a vision. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And we'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just say like, I I touched a weird Prothean beacon along the way and saw a vision of what could happen. But honestly, there's a piece of me that is excited to play the game again uh, at some point to like, really experience it because so i went through it again and ended up not losing anybody again kind of like a kind of lucked out i think situation like i really 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 interrogated myself on the choices that i had made the second time through and uh it paid off i guess but still really really nerve-wracking and i'm excited to go play through it a third or i guess yeah play through that mission a third time eventually because i do think there's got to be something gained weirdly in losing any of those characters uh there's got to be something so, interesting about playing through three without somebody if, if you want to see the worst version of that game spots uh, uh jean-luc Saipke and jake decker had a series called the saddest party on the citadel um oh my God. where the whole goal was to get to the final dlc the party and have everyone gone and no shepherd <laughs> Shepherd be the worst kind of shepherd that exists. And it is that. Let me tell you, that journey was quite something to watch. So if you want to see that happen, I do recommend going back. I'm absolutely going to watch that. And and on top of that, like on that note, there is an ending of two where everyone dies, including Shepherd. And like, it's just Joker on the ship talking to the lucid man being like, yeah, it it went pretty badly. Uh, And the game Mm -hmm. ends. You're not even a game over. But what happens at the beginning of three if Shepard's dead? You can't upload that save file if it ends yeah. that way. It's just so you just start at Shepherd again in three. Yeah, you would have to either make a new one or do the mission over again, and and uh, that's fascinating. And, okay, so I guess yeah. going back, I, I I bit my tongue for a minute earlier on uh, when we first started talking about this game because Tam, you were talking about how when you meet Cerberus and the Elusive Man, and you, and you know Shepherd dies and then is rebuilt. Um, there's this like nagging thought that's like, can I trust myself? Can I trust Cerberus? What's going on here? My thought the whole time was that I'm a clone and there's another clone of Shepard out there somewhere and that they're going to fuck me up at some point. And like it kept not happening throughout the course of the game, just like over and over and over again. There was never I I kept having moments where I was like, here's the clone. And then it ended up not happening. Mm. Blown away when it eventually did, which we'll get to. But um, my in like assumpt- a jokey way almost yeah no I really did yeah. think it was yeah it was like uh, what, what's that fucking movie oh shit the one with Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill and they're like cops in high school 21 Jump Street 21 Jump Street, 20, 21 Jump Street. the 21 Jump Street like recurring gag where they keep thinking that things are going to explode and they don't. That's what I thought was happening with the clone where like <laughs> they kept teasing that a clone was going to show up and they didn't because it was so obvious to me like okay the elusive man has like planned for everything he somehow rebuilt me from scratch like of course there's another me somewhere and it 
didn't happen. And that was my thought was that if because I knew that Shepard could die in this suicide mission, my thought was that if Shepard dies, the elusive man had a clone on hand who would like come in hmm. and save the day. Uh, but I guess I guess not. Again, another another clone red herring there, huh? I, I would say as great as the suicide mission is in, in the collection of the whole trilogy, I think the final the final decision decision of two, I feel like is the least like payoff in, in the third game. Because it's the uh, you fight the human reaper all this time. The collectors, the like threat of two are actually like reaperized uh, Protheans, which were, you know, the pr- the last cycles uh, alien race that Liara has been like researching. You get yeah. it. You're listening to the Mass Effect bonus at the very end. It's like they they have been collecting humans to make a human reaper. And that's the final boss of the game. And the elusive man is like, OK, instead of destroying the base, you can release like an EMP pulse that will kill all like the collectors in the area, but we can keep what they were building. You can keep the human reaper for, you know, quote unquote science. They join you on the Normandy. They're actually a really cool guy when you get to know them. (laughs) (laughs) But it's actually as clear as his intentions are. And I always choose to destroy the base, but like it is another big decision that I wish had a bigger payoff in three. Yeah, totally. But it it is another like, cause, and I think what's great about the elusive man in two is like, you always know he has an ulterior motive in two. There are so many missions he sends you on where your life is at risk, or there's a surprise waiting for you that he knew about, but he's like, well, I knew you'd make it through. Now we all have what we want. You know, like that's always his like (laughs) weaseling out of things. So that, but anyway, Going back to you said about like, is there value in losing someone? I think it really depends on the character. I think that like in three, there are characters that have such incredible moments. I would be sad if someone didn't get to experience them. But there's also stuff where it's like, okay, like weirdly by losing someone, that was like an accidental decision that is going to affect your story, you know, in the Mm -hmm. grand scheme of the trilogy. And also the very ending the last scene that happens in two after the mission, if you do lose someone, Shepard is like in a room with coffins or in my case, a coffin, which is very sad. It's almost worse. Uh, just Thane. Uh, and they like kind of mourn the loss and then they turn around and there's a busy, they're like at the end of the ship, I guess like the cargo bay or whatever. And everyone is like working hard and like looking at Shepard and it's like, you take a second to look at what you've lost, but then you look behind you and see what you still have. And mm-hmm. then they look out at the horizon and they're like, okay, together we can now, we've proven we can do the impossible. It's now time to take on the Reapers. And like, mm-hmm. I think that that ending is actually more meaningful if you have lost a few people. Yeah. Cause like yeah. that, that beat followed by the hope is really excellent. Yeah. I only That's got awesome. the hope. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Which was interesting. Yeah, I actually, honestly, I think I talked to you about this, Stephen, when I finished the game, because I called you. We talked about it for a long time uh, when I was done with it. But my thing with the end of two, not having lost anybody, is you just get that one beat where it's like, wow, we all did it. Isn't that fun? It's like the end of like an Indiana Jones movie where like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the John Williams score is going, whatever, and everybody's fucking amped. Uh, and then it just ends. And it's like, hey, do you want to keep uh, checking stuff out? You, you want to keep playing the video game? It's like whoa that's it oh shit all right i guess i'll just move on to three then um but i i did i did want a little bit more i think like as much as i Mm -hmm. loved how the suicide mission ended um and and just like the way that all played out even fighting the big terminator i really i really wanted just like one more beat or one more like bit of story to kind of like lead me into three uh but you know then i just played three so it was fine legendary edition baby (laughs) and i think ironically what we haven't really talked about too is like the lower stakes moments, which is really what makes the game, you know, because I think you have all these like life or death scenarios, but like 
anytime you do a mission, there's that gameplay loop of like do a mission, go back to the ship, talk to everybody. And like, yeah, I, there's this there's this sort of this happens in all three games because there's always a high stakes scenario. But again, there's sort of this veil over the whole ship. There's like this ambiguity that everyone's working through to see everyone on a human level regain that trust and compassion for each other, you know, really become a team, really, you know, Shepard might find love or, you know, just like that, that part of it is so grounded and human mm. and beautiful. And it's kind of bittersweet. Cause like whoever you romance, it's under this guise of like, this might be our last night together, yeah. you know, like, yeah. and in Tali's case, it's like really endearingly awkward. Cause she's like, uh, this also might kill me, but I brought some music and, uh, I don't know. I, I think that, uh, seeing the characters operate as they would in this sort of like, any last regrets kind of headspace is really interesting, which is really doubled or tripled down in three where it's like, how does everyone act when the world is ending? You know, what, what like things do you need to resolve on a personal level or on a societal level or on a galactic level before you can <laughs> right. like make peace with the assumed end of the world? Mm. Yeah. Uh, so Mass Effect 2 is pretty good. I would recommend it. <laughs> uh, graphics 10, sound 10, cool factor 10. Yeah. <laughs> You know, game of the year. It's good. Uh, should we move on to Mass Effect Three? Yeah, yeah. I will recommend though, uh, going back to the elusive man and Martin Sheen's performance. Watch any interview with him talking about yeah, the elusive man. It's so fun. He's like, "Oh, what a terrible man." I hope you don't think I'm like him. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> He's awesome. Yeah, it's great. All right, uh, we're gonna take a break, and we'll be back and talk about Mass Effect Three. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hey, we're back with Mass Effect 3. I'm very excited to talk about this one. Uh, I would say, as we kind of discussed a little bit in the very beginning of this episode, that this is probably like when you ask someone what they think about the trilogy, this one is like the most divisive of the three. I would say playing it again, I I remembered three having my favorite moments in the series, but not being as consistent as two. And that's pretty much how I still feel. I think it's a really... It's very hard for me to rank the trilogy because I think that like three almost excels in areas that one falls short in and vice versa. You know, like one is, is you know, this world building uh, masterclass lore heavy experience. Three kind of like ice skates over that and falls down. Um, <laughs> but like three has this fully fleshed cast that like get these incredible moments that are like, you know, I, I think three is the most emotional uh, I, I felt in the trilogy. I feel like I cried many times during three. So, you know, it, it's tough to compare. I feel like um, really going through the trilogy, especially as the same shepherd, it does feel more of a complete experience than I remember remember it feeling in terms of like talking about one game over the other. Yeah, mm. I'll say on the like underlying emotional kind of tug of of three that even really started with me like right towards the beginning when you command the Normandy again and running around the Normandy and going into all the different rooms and realizing that none of my friends were there anymore was the first mm. like brutal gut punch for me of the game was I was just so upset that none of those people were there anymore, um, which brings me to that Javik moment you were talking about or alluding to Tam where he, he talks about how he can like sense grunt in that room mm. uh, really, really fucked me up. Yeah, I would say it's weird, like, you know, because I think 
a lot of the controversy about three was about the ending initially, which we'll talk about later. But playing it again, by far, for me, the weakest part is like the opening mission and a half. This game has such a bizarre intro. Like it begins with this like Aaron Sorkin walk and talk between Anderson and Shepard. You have almost no control over the dialogue, which is like noticeable. Like you don't have to nitpick to be like, I'm not having any sway in this strange, like yeah. I'm back with the, like, it's also not clear like what's even happening. They're just like, I'm back with the Alliance, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh crap. The Reaper, like, the Reapers show up <laughs> during a confusing, busy moment. So I don't e- I didn't even feel the impact that that should have felt like, I think it not to like rewrite, rewrite the game, but I feel like if they interrupted a quieter, more peaceful, more victorious moment, it would have been way more jarring. Cause it's like, we're already in a strange, stressful thing. There's this walk and talk. I have no control over. I run into Ashley or Caden and it's kind of this icy confrontation. They're introducing you to James. Yeah. Right. James shows <laughs> up and it's like, who is this new guy? Yeah. It's really weird. And then Really, I think the, the the biggest like fault of three is the stuff they try to do with the kid. I just find it like so mm. like I don't need to see this sounds very mean, but it's like essentially Shepard meets a kid who's lost, tries to help them. And then, you know, when they leave, when Shepard, like basically Reapers attack Earth, everyone's trying to make sense of what's happening, trying to help each other. It's basically decided like Anderson is going to stay on Earth and help people fight. Shepard's going to leave and help rally the galaxy to bring the fight to the Reapers. So that's a really good, inciting moment, honestly. But, you know, there's this kid that Shepard meets that, that he that they try to help. And then on the way leaving Earth, we see the kid like lost in the crowd, go into a shuttle and get shot down by the Reaper. It's a sad moment, but like, mm. I don't need to see a child in peril to care that Earth is under attack. Right. Like, it feels like they're trying to make this really traumatic event happen that didn't need to happen and is constantly recalled to throughout the game where it's like, Shepard has already lost so much that I don't need this like nameless kid to be like the mascot of grief in three, mm, you know, right. like it just felt kind of like, a, a, I don't know. I just, it, it feels like it's not on the same level of writing as the rest of the game. It, that is true. And it's one of the many things that makes the indoctrination theory more yes. compelling. Yes. It's it, like, it, yes. it's ridiculous. <laughs> like if you factor in the indoctrination theory, the kid is a stroke of genius. It and is makes perfect sense. It is, especially what still gets to me. So, so I guess we should just get into the doctrination theory. Yeah, the, just hit me what, with what, it. What, what hit hit me right over the head. With okay, it, please. this is get ready for this because this is this is the, perhaps the greatest fumble of all time in my mind. Yeah. So, so oh, go ahead, Tan. You, you got this. So the reason I say it is is a fumble is because if Bioware had done nothing and not reacted to the backlash. This could have been one of the greatest moments in fiction history of all time. Um, on par with like, not on par with, but in the same way the, the spinning top in Inception is. Yeah. Where you're not quite sure how it ended. But the fact that they, they changed the ending and then acknowledged that it wasn't true, I feel like is the biggest fuck up they made <laughs> the entire franchise. Because the indoctrination theory posits that over the course of this franchise, without us knowing, Shepard has been uh, subjected to a slow indoctrination at the hands of the Reapers. So that by the time you reach the ending sequence and it's so fucked up, that is you 
succumbing to indoctrination and everything that happens from the laser beam hitting you and you blacking out is all in your head. It's not happening in real right. life. Right. The, the conversation between Anderson and the elusive man is like your bat, your mind battling for control. Like Anderson even says like, wake up, you're indoctrinated in that scene. Yeah. To oh, the elusive oh, man. Shit. But all yeah. of the pieces are there to make it make 100% perfect sense. And the like kid- ev- yeah. The kid is crucial to it the because kid, there's yeah, like yeah, yeah. there's there's codex from <laughs> two games ago from throughout the games that talk about indoctrination as an idea and the symptoms of it. And then in this game, like there's the indoctrination theory video that exists, plays the audio from previous games and overlays it with weird scenes from this game, and it matches perfectly the symptoms and what you see the kids and the like the people who in previous games that have mentioned be what they saw in indoctrination. It's like depicted in the weird dreams that that yeah. Shepard is having constantly. It like it everything makes perfect sense <laughs> with the indoctrination theory, and it is like if they had just been like. I don't know, maybe Shepard was indoctrinated. That would have been like incredible, just fantastic writing. It makes sense out. too, because like, you know, I think Saren and the Elusive Man are both kind of like parallels to Shepard, where they're, they're these people who have tried to deal with the Reaper threat in their own way, and they both were indoctrinated. So Shepard having to struggle against that would have made sense too. The The one, like that theory was very popular and I was like, all right, fine. But the one scene in the game that always makes me think about it is, is uh, so, you know, the, the theory is like no one else reacts to the kid. Only Shepard ever sees the kid mm-hmm. when uh, they crawl into the vents. Like they're gone. When like Anderson turns around the first dream, the kid is running through the forest and you're hearing the voices of people that have the characters that have died. Mm. And, you know, and then the kids in peril. The second dream, when when Shepard reaches the kid, uh, the kid turns around and there's another Shepard kind of holding them. And they're both like smiling weirdly and they're on fire, which like Mm. in the theory is like the brain warning, like, don't follow this kid. Don't trust this kid. And of course, at the very end, the the illusion of the catalyst is represented as the kid when you make the final decision. So like. You're right, Sam. All the pieces were there, but they're like, no, it's... <laughs> yeah, there's even like even more subtle things where... You remember the in Mass Effect 3, there's that constant growling sound like in the yeah. background? Like that is a sound that people who have been indoctrinated report hearing and they mention it in a previous game. And it only appears when the kid is around. You can hear the growling sound and like you're like, oh my fucking God, it makes... So much sense, like that entire section is apparently like a representation of like the push and pull between will Shepard succumb to Reaper indoctrination or not. Oh my and God. The actual, so like when the laser beam in London hits you, like that is when it begins. And then when you wake up, the result of that internal battle in your mind is what you wake up with. And usually you want to wake up free from indoctrination. And it was, oh my God, oh in my that God. moment, I remember learning about it and being like, oh God, it is perfect. It is perfect. Don't. And then they came out all like, uh, we're going to change the ending. Yeah, the indoctrination theory is not real. Um, there's, <laughs> there's, there's like, there's a, like a Reddit. Like I remember there's a Reddit where someone's like, can someone explain what the indoctrination theory is? And the first reply is like uh, a clever dream born of denial. <laughs> i was like god damn it's, it's it's true but it's such a, you can still watch if you go to youtube and you type in indoctrination theory original you can watch it um it's it's by a-c-a-v-y-o-s and it's called shepherd's indoctrination i think it's about 20 minutes long and it is 
it will leave your jaw dropping on the floor. You'll be like, oh my fucking God, that could have been the cleverest thing ever. And it and, and like, it's so, I love it so much because it's also like the way it's delivered. Like it opens with the audio codex of the guy who reads the audio codex. And I've, I watched the video so many times that in, in our GameSpot offices, I'm known for shouting, Reaper indoctrination is an insidious <laughs> means of corrupting organic minds. And like, Everyone in who works with me, they're just like, can you shut up, please? <laughs> uh, thing, it's a fantastic video and okay. such a good thing. So, I mean, he, hearing that now is upsetting. Because uh, yep. it's, I mean, you're right. It's brilliant. That's a great idea. It's a really, really good idea. And part of me is going back to the age old question of like, okay, once once a work of art leaves the hands of the artist, is it theirs anymore? And like, maybe fuck mm-hmm. Bioware. Like, maybe them saying that it's not real. Like, maybe <laughs> fuck that. You know, I, I just, that's how I live my life. I, but I still believe the indoctrination theory as as the ending um, of of that franchise. They yeah. set up synthesis as like the best choice, which is like what the Reapers want. You know, to combine yes, uh, organic and synthetic life in a way that preserves it for the next cycle yeah but you know as it, as now you know that it's been debunked the kid is just like a bad part of the it's the a game. weird metaphor yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, um, I've sent i've sent you a link to the indoctrination theory video um, right you should you should definitely watch I'm, it and tell us yeah, what you think absolutely gonna watch it right when we're done recording yeah but yeah um basically like the, so the beginning is weird and then I would say, like, as soon as Liara shows up, I had like a breath of fresh air. because I'm like, finally, someone I care about. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I don't know who James is. I don't really care about Ashley. And like, you know, the last time I saw her, she said, I don't like aliens. So I'm like, I, I'm done. I just- <laughs> and then Liara shows up. And basically, like, as soon as you go to Palavin and you get Garrus back and like you start to get back into that, like, gameplay loop of Mass Effect. It really takes off. And honestly, even with the ending as it is, like 88 to 90% of the game is like peak Mass Effect, in my opinion. I think yeah. especially the Tuchanka mission with Morden and Rex and the Rannoch mission with Tali and Legion are what I remembered. And in playing it again it are still, I think, my favorite like parts of not only this game, but of the series as a whole. Yeah. Mm, I mean, like some of the most memorable lines in the entire franchise are in this, are in this like game that had to be me. Oh yeah. Someone else would have got it wrong. And then does this unit have a soul? Like, oh my fucking God, yeah. that whole, I remember I was talking to Bioware and they were like, so like people were watching that scene, the does this unit have a soul moment? And it was just like gray boxes without any of the fucking textures or anything. It did not look, it looked like very early and it was like crushing people. Yeah. Like they, yeah. Were, they were watching it like I'm being like, oh my God, I can't believe it. That whole scene with the, oh, it's so good. Like I, I the thing I love about this game it is, it is about, um, it reinforces everything good about the franchise so far and the everything good is in the character relationships yes um, yes it is yes. and that's why i have no issue with the ending because regardless of how i felt about the ending the m- moments before it where you're one by one going mm-hmm. to everyone and talking to them just before it all kicks off and you're reminded of the journey you've been on and how much you care about all these characters that was like after that i was like it doesn't matter there's nothing that can happen in the next few minutes that could change how much i love this franchise that, and how much yeah, it means i i completely agree that that's playing it again you know, the game is a series of finales. Like it's not just the ending. Like you are seeing every plot resolve itself, you know, that like every loose thread is being tied up. And really the very last one that you're left with is like, 
what's the state of Shepard, the Reapers, and the overall galaxy? You know, yeah. we, we've been operating on a micro level. What's like the macro view of the I future? do think that's one of the brilliant things about this game, though, is that you're right. I mean, it, it is a collection of loose ends tied up, but all of those loose ends being tied together create like the rope of the entire trilogy in a way, right? Like the fact that you could take all of those individual stories and weave them into something that actually propels the final narrative is like really, really smart. It's not just like, you know, writing out what happens to Kasumi just to say that you saw Kasumi like that actually does help the end mm. game narrative. Like, I mean, it's it's a little silly that it just shows up as like, you know, army preparedness points or whatever they're called. But like you do, you do <laughs> feel like every time you run into somebody and you help them with something and that number goes up at all, it gives you a slight glimmer of hope in a way. I was obsessed with oh, that yeah. number throughout the, the whole of yeah. my experience. Also, also like they serve as reminders of this character still exists in this world, in this galaxy, they are yeah. out there. And it's kind of like a reminder of what you're fighting for. So even like if you don't care about, even if Kasumi doesn't have a massive impact on the game itself, it's a reminder that, hey, Kasumi's still out there and this is what you're fighting for. You're fighting for this character, this character, and this character. Right. So like, that's why I appreciated it. And yeah, it could have been represented better than war assets, but I, I still like walked away giving that m- meaning to those stupid numbers. Yeah, and, and they do have an impact. I mean, like you kind of have to go out of your way to get a really low score which like results in like your squad mates getting obliterated with like a laser and on <laughs> earth and like you know it's like really horrific but they still matter the the one of the things i really wished they did in three and again i'm not trying to rewrite the game because like that's not really helpful criticism to be like what i would have done like cool mm. even even if it's a better idea it doesn't really matter but i think based on what the game was building up towards and what bioware has done in the past in dragon age origins very similar framing device dragon age origins you're the gray warden the dark spawn are going to overtake uh Ferelden. you have to rally all existing alliances together because you only stand a chance if you're allied together, but everyone is too busy with their own bullshit to care. So you have to go to the elves, you have to go to the dwarves, go to the werewolves if you want, which is what I did. Uh, you know, go to everyone and convince them to join your cause. And in that final battle, in the Bioware command wheel, you can summon those armies like in the match. You could be like, mm. this, like oh, right nice. now, I actually need range. I can summon the elves and like, Dozens of elves show up with bows and arrows and help you out. I don't think based on how many factions and how like the the vibe that Masfit is going for, I don't think that would be a realistic thing. However, I wish at the very least we could have delegated the armies the same way as in the suicide mission where it's like we need an army to do X. The Krogan will do that or, you know, whatever like that would have it just would have made more sense because you don't really ever like. You have it metaphorically with you, but you don't ever really feel the army you've built. In my mind, I just like because everything is through the lens of what's modern. And in my mind, I just pictured the on your left moment, but with Rex saying it. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) right. Coming out of a pole, just like on your left. (laughs) I I will say, you know, I, I didn't come into this game with really any of the baggage, I guess, you know, because I, I wasn't really like into the franchise when all of that happened. So, um, 
all I knew was that people thought that the ending was disappointing in some way and they rewrote it and then maybe people were fine with it, I guess. I'm not really sure. But going into it, my expectation, at least as the player, was that all of these missions I was doing, all these war assets I was adding would result in something I would see because I had been reinforced to believe that based on my actions in two, right? Like I spent all of two doing all these loyalty missions to make sure that these people survived. I got all these ship upgrades and I, I saw the fruit of my labor in that way, right? I saw what, what you know, came out of me spending the time to do those things. So in three, when I go do a mission to like bring the Rachni on board, I was like, I can't wait to see the Rachni in this last mission. Like, I can't wait to mm. see how they show up. Like, I can't wait to see the Geth and the Quarians fighting together at the end. And like, you don't see any of that. And that's like, that was my one big bummer. From the ending, I think, which yeah. is like I, yeah. I so desperately wanted to see that stuff visualized. But uh, I honestly like my two big gripes with the game. That's one of them. My other one is that I just think that this is the only game that I needed to play with a guide because there are so many times. I don't know. I don't know why this is the game they decided to focus on this, but they they went back to their Mass Effect one thing of just like having stuff kind of littered around these big open spaces. And this is the game that like of the three of them should not have moments where you are just wandering aimlessly, like poking into the shadows mm. of corners to see if you can pick up like a pistol upgrade that you can miss and never see again. Like the stakes yeah. are too high to be spending time running around. Like I, I, I realized it during uh, the very beginning when you end up on the, the Turian moon uh, and they're like literally in the middle of fighting the Reapers and you land. And I, I saw on the IGN guide or something, it was like, there's a sniper scope upgrade that you should get here. And it was like so far in a corner that I never mm. would have visited. And I was like, oh, my, is that really what we're doing with this game? The, the irony of it is like, it's the game in the series that plays the best. Like it yeah. played so mm-hmm. good that it could support a multiplayer mode and yeah this downside of that is it is the most gamey of them all because of that like they put in loads of weapons because it feels good to shoot and your powers are cool and then they're like all right you gotta collect upgrades and all this kind of bullshit that you don't really want that that is like distracting and meandering and it's kind of like uh you know a double-edged sword um with that with that element of it yeah it's the fallout 4 thing right It's, it's it's fallout 4 you wake up you know, and your son has just been taken from you in front of your eyes and you decide, like, I'm going to go help a robotic private investigator, like, do his thing instead of going <laughs> and finding my son. Like, that's how I felt during Mass Effect <laughs> 3, just like going and trying to find a, an, an SMG clip upgrade uh, instead of fighting mm. the Reapers, which are currently destroying Earth. I think one of the most successful things about 3, though, is that, like, it feels like everyone like literally everyone other than Shepard has assumed this is it like it really feels like everyone's kind of made their peace that like there's no way we can win with whatever time we have left we just got to do whatever whatever thing we've been putting off for better and for worse so you know the Quarians had this like you know all of a sudden they want to wipe out the Geth to take Rannoch back the Krogans on on a more you know heroic scale want to cure the Genophage which is very bittersweet even if you do because like okay we've built this future for the Krogan but like what if the Reapers do their thing you know yeah uh it gives you a reason to fight though and there's a the the first scene where I think three starts to be great and stays great for the most of it is on Palavin where you're trying to find a Turian to like represent the Turians on like the galactic scale. And so many people have died that the guy you recruit is like, 
one of the generals mm. and you, you are like in the thick of battle fighting all these, you know, what, what I found really haunting about three is like, you know, in two you fight husks and like other and, and collectors, which are the Protheans and the humans, the reapers have made them like a warped vor- version of their former selves. But in three, you're seeing how all the species end up when the reapers mm. attack. Yeah. So you're fighting cannibals and marauders who are, you know, Batarians and Turians. And, you know, you're seeing you're on the moon of the Turian homeworld and the Turian homeworld is on fire and you're going through the thick of it just to tell like the 12th ranked general, like, hey, you're the president now. You got to come with us because we need like a suit and a warm body to like appease the council. Yeah. And (laughs) um, seeing him look at his homeworld on fire and being like, I'm in charge was like really, really powerful. It, it yeah. reminded me a lot of Battlestar Galactica where he, uh, not a spoiler. It happens in the pilot. Get over it. Uh, humanity is like wiped out except for a few ships, kind of like the Quarians. And the only like the, the surviving person of government rank is I think the secretary of education who becomes the president. And they tell her like, you're your president now. Cause everyone else is dead. And yeah. it's like such a weird, it, it's a hopeless a transition of power where it's like whatever whatever like artificial view of society and government we had is being torn apart every second but we need to hang on to literally anything and you'll do uh i i, I found i found that moment to be really really haunting mm. and, and the thing that you said about um that i really love about this game is that the idea of the krogan's finally reach figuring out the impossible was possible but happening at the worst possible moment yeah that is a constant theme in this game and it's the same with like the the quarians and the geth like yes you finally make you make peace between them and it's on the on the cusp of being obliterated by a force that is seemingly unstoppable and that kind of level of i think it works really effectively on the player because it trades off all the knowledge and all the all the understanding you have of uh, of the baggage between everyone here and that's when like when you start solving these issues one by one the more and more you do it the more and more you find the resolutions that seemed impossible the more and more pronounced it becomes that you are doing this and it's for a seemingly futile reason and as you approach the end of the game it is genuinely like it feels both tense and like horrifying and it's nerve wracking because you're like, I just like, I fixed the galaxy. I just finished fixing the galaxy and like everything is kind of good now. And now it's about to be wiped out. And you just, I remember going into it being like, please, please just let me get through this. I'm begging you because like the, the, the universe could be so much cooler now that we've been through all this. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I feel like that's such an interesting dynamic um, and like a narrative conceit that they set up. It says a lot about the stakes of this game, I think, just like on the whole that you could go and solve all these impossible tasks and still think that the Reapers are an impossibility. I think that that's just like, yeah, yeah, I love I love that so much because I I was sure that Shepard was done for even after like unifying all the races and like having the Rachni mm-hmm. help me build a fucking weird giant, maybe super weapon uh, and like meeting <laughs> a Prothean and whatever. It was like, nah, man, the, the Reapers are still going to wipe me out. Like, there's no way like there's no way I'm going to make it through here. Um, yeah. Which, by the way, I mean. Yeah. I, I do. This is this is like the silliest thing, but I did retroactively feel like so upset that Javik was DLC 
Um, the best character in the game for me. Same, like, big same. Hands down. I mean, just like surface level, you've been hearing about the Protheans throughout the entirety of, of the trilogy, and then you meet him, specifically watching Liara's reaction to this. Mm. Yes. You, Liara yes. meeting Javik and realizing that the Protheans aren't what we thought. Like the Protheans are essentially like gods, right? Like they're in a way they they are like depicted as like, you know, all knowing, all powerful beings uh that that kind of like yeah. had a hand in everything in the universe. And like it turns out that they were like really fucking brutal and like hardcore and like mm. maybe not great people and like that's why it didn't work out. They didn't care about unification through like good means. They are literally a <laughs> renegade race, you know? Like they literally tried to tried to unify the galaxy against the Reapers and just got it done and they didn't care how. They didn't do it the right way and you as Shepard are doing mm. it the Paragon way uh, in, in in a way throughout the course of this game. And I think I think that is fascinating to like meet your god and find out that they kind of suck is great. But then yeah. just Javik as a character is incredible. Like just watching his reaction to the world as it stands everything that he is fighting for everything that he has fought for realizing he's the last of his race and like standing up and saying like i this is the end of like the arc of the protheans is like us being here in some way just Mm. via me for this final battle was so beautiful i was like floored by his his arc throughout the game and so upset (laughs) every time i was affected literally every time he said something that i was like that's the best thing I've heard in this whole trilogy so far. I got <laughs> yeah, exactly. angry again that people didn't get to play with him in their party when the game dropped if they didn't pay another 20 bucks or whatever it was. Uh, yeah, it's it's such a shame. I, I, I love that he is the embodiment of the of the term your problematic fave. Because like for, for, for like for like Leon, yeah. that's everything he is like. And also, I love when he's like, "They used to eat flies," and or you used to be a tadpole, and like that context. Like he's yeah. he's great for like moments of gravitas, and he's also like the best comedic character that has existed in the entire yeah. franchise. And like the reason why I say like it depends. Like Thane is my character, but like um, Javik comes closest. I think he has the best line in the entire franchise. Like I think he has that. There's that scene when he's first introduced and Shepard's talking about honor and stuff like that. And he says, uh, Stand in the ashes of a trillion dead souls and ask the ghosts if honor matters. This silence is your answer. Which, like, the moment I heard that, it was like earth shattering. Same. Like, yeah. a moment of writing where I put the control down and I was like, I will never write anything that good in my life. And, I know <laughs> and like, he, I, I could not believe how good a line that was. And still to this day, like, I think about it, I'm like, fuck, that is just like such a good collection of words for that moment. He, I mean, for me, he represents if Shepard fails and has to live with it, which yeah. is the worst mm-hmm. part. You know, it's like not even like you're all wiped out. It's like you had to live with your failure. There's a line too he has where he, Javik is like, I had a crew like yours. I had friends like yours. And like, mm-hmm. you know, there's a memory shard he has where like he can remember them, but it's too painful. It, it's yeah. really, and and just his introduction, like you, like his existence reframes the narrative in in a way that like he should not have been dlc and clearly wasn't intended to be until someone was like why not (laughs) why not make a bit more money i mean it's also weird because like there aren't that many playable characters in three uh especially if a lot of people died in two If, if, if let's assume everyone died in two that could die you would have Edie, james ashley or caden 
And I think that's it. He didn't get Javik. Yeah. And Liara, and Liara, and Liara. And it's, I, sometimes I think about the lines you missed. Like, have you heard the line uh, with Joker? No, I haven't. The, the line is like, your Joker pilot insists I call myself Prothy the Prothean. I insisted he allow me to throw him out the airlock. <laughs> and it's just like, <laughs> such a good line. Such a good line. I love to, uh, there's a scene where Tali, I, I, what I, one of my favorite parts about three is that like in two Everyone is like designated to a room and like they don't have anything more to say until, you know, you've done a mission and they have like a new scene. Mm-hmm. But in three, there's always something new. Like whenever you go into a room, it may not be animated in the same way, but they might be like talking to someone. You might see someone in a different room. And there's a point where Javik is being called by Tali, who's like trashed. And she's like, you like Liara? Yeah. He's like, no, shut scene. up. It's so good. Uh, <laughs> I, I love, um, you know, he, he warms up in a way that doesn't feel artificial. Yeah. I think he, you know, because I think he does want the same thing. He wants to defeat the <laughs> Reapers. He doesn't, he hasn't given up hope, even though he's given up like everything else, weirdly enough. I just um, remembered uh, when James tries to like convince him to play cards and he's like, games of chance were punishable by death in the empire. <laughs> <laughs> he's the best character. And he's one of the characters where I'm like, I, w- I don't really care about merchandise for the most part, but I would buy a fucking Javik statue in a moment, like yeah. a moment, but they just never made one. I'm real. I'm yeah. big mad about that. I mean, and I think what's great too about three is that like we we've cited these, you know, getting peace between the Corians and the Geth, carrying the genophage. But even though it's like the other outcomes of those two scenes are heartbreaking, they're equally good scenes. I, I think about like the the renegade option and there's so many variables too, which is why I don't, you know, a lot of people when they played three, the big comment was like, oh, my choices didn't matter. Maybe not in the very, very ending because, you know, that decision is like almost all encompassing. Right. Mm. But everything before then has so many different outcomes. Uh, like yeah. in, in, the the creating the genophage, for example, if Rex is dead, Reeve is in charge, and Reeve embodies like everything bad about the Krogan. And like you might be put in a position where you might, you know, like if, if he's in charge, is curing it a good idea? I, I that was actually what was happening. That was the situation when I first played. I still cured it because I didn't want to condemn an entire race because Reeve sucked. It felt weird. And Eve <laughs> is great. So I'm like, Eve might balance him out. Yeah. Um but regardless, like at one point, the Salarians offer you their allegiance if you sabotage the cure. And if Morden is still around, he refuses. The only way you can convince Morden to like walk away is if Reeve is in charge, Eve died, and Malin's data was destroyed. If mm. all those things are are off, he's like, I guess I'll work on the Crucible, which is not a great scene. It's just sort of a bummer. But if you if you try to convince him, it, it's one of my favorite moments, even though it's like the shittiest scene, because not curing the genophage is essentially evil. Um, mm. But if you try to convince Morden, like, well, hey, look, like, let me sabotage the cure. You yourself in the last game said X, Y and Z. And you go off and he cuts you off and just yells that he made a mistake, which to me is like such a powerful revelation for the character to like just cut through all the logic and all the excuses and just be like, this is this is the sin I have committed in the galaxy and I have to undo it. Mm. And the <laughs> the worst decision you can make in the game is shooting him in the back as he walks to cure it. Cause the scene that follows is him like crawling as the building is falling apart, trying oh. to cure it, and he doesn't make it in time. It's, Oh it my is God. terrible. Yeah. It's <laughs> even yeah. Shepard, even that Shepard throws away their gun in disgust. Yeah. And you know, like, 
it's written in a way where like they had to do it to get the alliances. But what the good version is had to be me. Someone else might have gotten it wrong, and is one of the most satisfying like narrative arcs for a character to like have Morden right his wrong and like you know help cure the genophage and even rex is like i guess we'll name the kid after him whatever (laughs) uh so good and the same with the coins and the geth like if you choose tali or legion it's also not like if you haven't seen what follows in that moment choosing the coins or the geth it is not entirely clear that that decision will result in the annihilation of that species and the death of that character if you choose legion tali jumps off the cliff as the Corians just get wiped out. And if you choose Tali, Legion like attacks you and is like, I'm not going to let you do this. I need to do this. He says I for the first time, which fucks me up. Uh, is I need to do this for the Geth. And Tali stabs him in the back and asks him the same question as he dies and the Geth get wiped out. It's like, te- it's so heartbreaking, yeah. but it's like equally as good of a scene. It just in a different, you know, mood Oof. there's also stuff not to just go down a list of tragedies but <laughs> one thing that one thing that happens to me is like there are missions where if you don't do them in time uh you can't do them uh, the big one is uh going to help jack and the biotic students uh when cerberus is attacking oh um, i didn't realize it was a timed one yeah if you don't go there in time you just like lose the signal and trainer is like oh i guess we lost touch and then when you go into the cerberus base one of just one of the enemies is named jack like it doesn't stop and call yeah. attention to it her, her her name is just jack with like the health bar and the shield it's oh, it's terrible yeah it's yeah, so it's really fucked up so I bring all that up because I think that three has so many different versions of itself that a lot of people aren't aware of and think like, oh, whatever. It didn't matter. Just three choices. But like there are all these different outcomes that like yeah, are so <laughs> dramatically. Different. I didn't realize that was that was a complaint about this game. I, I never would have I never would have said that about three. That's that's a wild thing to think. <laughs> yeah. The fixation on how the final moments uh played out was the thing that made me the saddest because like the way i see it is like in the grand scheme of things mass effect as a series is a game about relationship dynamics and and kind of uh, interpersonal relationships and learning about other species and in the pursuit of that the moments that matter mattered yes right yes right to the very end yeah and if your takeaway is, I don't know what happened, or I don't like the way I chose the final ending, the overall arc of it, I feel like, not to be rude, but you kind of missed the point. Like, No, that's true. It's Yeah, I mean, like, it, the important overarching story is important, but let's face it, like, it's all meaningless compared to Morden saying, you know, had to be me, or, you know, singing the, you know, very model of a scientist, Larry. <laughs> any, 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 like, any moment with, like, or like the Thane moment and or like any character moment. Those are the things that are important. And when it mattered, Mass Effect 3 reminded you of how important that was. And for me, that was like, this this game is a triumph. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like, again, for, for the ups and downs, like the highs of it, I'm like cheering and crying and like, mm. you know, completely emotionally aligned with the game. I mean, it, <laughs> to just to give you a good moment, because I feel like I just shared like the most traumatizing moments of Mass Effect 3. <laughs> if you romance Tali right before you fight the Reaper one-on-one on Rannoch, which is like the most Schwarzenegger Shepard gets, I think. You know, uh, it's just like this is a little yeah. silly almost, but it's it's fun. T- uh, Tali and whoever else is in your squad go with Legion on a ship while you on Rannoch are fighting a Reaper with a gun that if you fire it, 
it focuses the Normandy's firing power on the Reaper. And again, this goes back to like not seeing the armies. It's like, I just fought a Reaper one-on-one with a gun that was friendship. Like you need to give me something that one-ups that in the finale. Um, But, uh, but before, like right before the fight, uh, Tali from the ship goes, um, if something happens, if you don't make it. And then Shepard goes, you worry too much. And then she goes, I love you. And he goes, Kila Salai and starts yeah. the fight. I'm like, this is such a fucking Han Solo. Like, like <laughs> I love you. I know. But like, <laughs> yeah. it's even better somehow. Unreal. Oh, oh, man. So good. Yeah. I love you. Kila Salai. Fuck. Threw my controller in enjoyment and broke my TV. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I... Do you guys want to talk a bit about the DLC specifically for this game? Because I think that'd be a good com- like. I, yeah. I mean, we talked about Javik already. I don't really have much to say about Omega unless you do Tim. But I'd love to talk about Leviathan I, and Citadel specifically. Yeah, I mean, like Omega is like playing through Omega. That's the last thing I did before recording this podcast. I'm still not finished with um, three in in like the replay of the Legendary Edition. So that is actually what I did, and I it reminded. I came out of it thinking I didn't appreciate Arya as much as I, when I first played it, as I did now. She is a fucking great character. She's great. Yeah. And yeah. also, like, I I was done with it, and I was like, I've massively got the hots for Arya now. Um, <laughs> you, you cannot you cannot romance her, because, you know, the one rule is don't fuck with Arya. Um, but, like, you know, I was like, I'm so, I'm so glad that I replayed this, because I have a new appreciation for Arya in a big, big way. And the, her whole, like, dynamic with her friend, who I'm forgetting the name of currently, who was, like, uh, sacrifices herself and... Yeah, I want to say Naima, maybe? Uh, Nairene Nair- or something? Nairene, something Nairene. Like that, yeah. yeah, Nairene! Uh, <laughs> 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 um, but, like, she softens by the end of that. And she's, like, the most hardened, like, character in that universe, it feels like. And yeah. the way she finishes, where, like, you realize it's the story of Arya learning to be a leader for uh other people instead of just being a leader for herself and the final speech feels like a moment a massive breakthrough moment for Arya to look and I was like I appreciate this way more um so I feel like that DLC went from back in the day when I played it I was like yeah that was cool to like I feel like it's more essential to me now I think Arya is a great character and that arc is great I just think that that mission goes on way too long yeah and it's I like agree mostly with that. combat yeah um yeah. which I think goes against like I feel like if you're gonna do a DLC in Omega I want it to be like CD negotiations you know like <laughs> yeah. that's like that's the vibe you get when you go to the first time right yeah but no i think like being with aria is really cool great performance great character um yeah it's a it's a fun time it just it's just a little bit long yeah Um, i agree i i would say of the dlc i think i played all the dlc for three and of of the three that's definitely the the weaker one mechanically just because it takes fucking forever but i i loved being on (laughs) oh yeah yeah that that's a standout setting for me especially playing two again like it's it's just such a cool place i i did enjoy my my uh my experience playing into it also was i had just done that uh series of missions with aria where you convince all of the gang leaders essentially to unite uh with the rest of the galaxy so i had Mm. i had done that and it was almost like my payoff was like okay like she trusts me enough now to bring me along to omega we're gonna do this thing together which was really fun yeah that's awesome. Leviathan was uh, the other. There are three DLC other than Javik. There's Leviathan, Citadel, and Omega. Leviathan's interesting because I think that was another one, Brenda, where you messaged me like, I can't believe this was DLC. Yeah. Because yeah. it's it's so plot important. I, I... <laughs> Okay. So 
Levi- I mean, top level Leviathan involves uh, you going down in a, a bathysphere kind of suit to the bottom of the ocean and meeting the the race that the Reapers are based on, essentially. Um, and just mm. like th- one of the only good exposition dumps I've experienced in my lifetime. Uh, like <laughs> there are so few <laughs> moments where I could just sit back and put a controller down and just like let something or someone talk at me for 25 minutes and be like, that was the most satisfying gameplay of all time. Uh, but yeah. oh my God, was it great? I, look, one of my top level things about this game, and, and this is obviously like a, a reach and kind of a weird thing. Um, but like, I, I think in a world where there's like a pandemic that people still don't believe in, like almost two years in, um, a lot of this game felt like, I don't know, really prescient. You know, I, I, I've mentioned a couple times that um, that I, I kind of skewed more renegade in this game. And I think a lot of that is like my own pent up frustration at people just like not acknowledging that there's a crisis. And that's yeah. a lot of what this game is like. I, I have spent now two and a half games trying to convince the council that the Reapers exist. And now they're here and attacking and are like begging me for help. And it's like, what what? why didn't you listen beforehand? And, you know, every time I was given the renegade option to talk to people who had previously f- like flipped me off, essentially, I would give the renegade option. Um, So I had so many renegade points by the end of this game specifically. But there is nothing more like illuminating and frustrating than the conversation with the Leviathans uh, or the Leviathan, I guess the singular one that, that ends up speaking to you because they're so dumb, man. Like the Leviathans. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, like, OK, well, what we've noticed is that every time there's an organic life form they always create a technological life form that wipes them out so what we're gonna do to stop that is create a technological life form in our own image (laughs) right how do you say that out loud and not realize you're an idiot you know like i understand now why you're fucking you've buried yourself at the bottom of an ocean you refuse to look at the light of day it's because you're so embarrassed by your dumb decision i and that goes back to i think being haunted by like older generations mistakes it's like the reapers are essentially created by hubris you know like that's why they're here the leviathan are like oh we've seen this happen time and time again but we'll get it right like no you won't yeah yeah i mean mean, like the the cycle of hubris is important to it like every race goes through it right like the same thing happened to the prothean the protheans thought they were unstoppable and then shit kicked off and they were like oh bollocks yeah Um, so like i had that same thing where i was like I, this is stupid, but then we're thinking about it thematically. It does make a lot of sense that. These, oh, yeah. At the height of your power is when you become the most stupid. Yes. And it's like a theme that is is like that goes throughout each of these games. Like <laughs> Saren is also another one that at the height of his power, the Ig guy became a moron. Right. Right. Yeah. Paid the price. <laughs> and the elusive man, again, same same deal uh, in the mm-hmm. same way. Yeah. I, I mean, to be clear, I love the Leviathan DLC. I, I thought it, I thought it was yeah. unbelievable, but I. I I was just so blown away by meeting this like incredibly well-designed creature and have it be like, I'm an idiot. Would you like to hear more? <laughs> like, yeah, actually tell me everything. <laughs> As a random aside, you mentioned like trying to convince the council. Did you ever put the phone down on the council? No. Like, oh, you can hang so, up on them you, over and over again, right? Do you know about this, Stephen? Yeah. So there's like a running subplot where you constantly put the phone down on the council. And by the end of the game, end of the series, they basically 
have PTSD from you slamming the phone down on them. So like the conversations you start to have, they're so on edge because they're like, oh, are you going to put the fucking phone down again? Are you? Are you? <laughs> and you're like, am I going to do it? And it's like so funny to watch because like every time, because Joker's the one who like puts them through or Edie and like Joker starts to get in on it where they like time it. So like to really <laughs> slam it in their face. It's really funny. You oh should watch God. the actual like uh, compilation. That sounds so good. Yeah, I... <laughs> I, I think Leviathan, I have a theory that if Leviathan was with the original game and if the original game had what ended up being the extended cut, because it's worth noting, the extended cut didn't really change the ending. It just added more context. Mm. I think if those two things were there, I don't think the reaction would have been as intense because I think that a big part of the original ending was for me, not that it was like, uh, I didn't really care about like the, the, like uh, a big thing that I remember seeing was like the original ending was you made one of the choices. You saw a light that was either blue, green, or red go out to all the mass relays. And then the Normandy crashed and your crew walked out and looked at the horizon. That was it. Nothing mm. else. So this is very abrupt. Like I, it worked on a cinematic level. Like I got what they were going for it, but you also didn't really get any context of like how that decision played out. Mm -hmm. You know, at least to the extent of cut, you got the, you know, Hackett, Shepard or Edie narrated the like, here's how the galaxy moved on after that decision. Um, mm, right. I think if that was there, there still would have been thoughts about it. And I honestly, like, even though I, I definitely have a preference, which we'll get to later, I do think that the fact that all three choices, like, generate conversation and there are people that, like, defend one or the other means that it's, like, an interesting decision. You know, mm. like, it's, it, like, that all three of them have pros and cons and, like, work. Uh, I, I really think that the fact that the game just, like, pulled the switch it made people like infuriated and then you saw the like garris can't digest uh local uh fruit and vegetables he's gonna starve to death and like <laughs> the game didn't end on like a slow zoom on garris's stomach grumbling and him going like i don't know what to do like that's not like what they wanted you to think about but you know i i i think that leviathan you know playing for the first time having it there it does really make the ending make more sense because again it's it's hubris hearing the explanation of the reapers from the start our child being like organics always make synthetics and having to take that as like word for word value versus seeing an arrogant shrimp tell you it is yeah. a big difference i do i do love the concept though because it means that like the galaxy is basically the reaper's petri dish and they're on a little time loop that they're just kind of like doing a big old experiment where they poke yeah. stuff in there and then come back a little later and be like is this mutated into anything cool no dump it yeah right I, th I thought it was fascinating i i weirdly am on this so steven and i have some uh friends who have a show called eye of the duck uh it's a it's a film show i uh, listen to eye of the duck yeah. oh it's wonderful it's a wonderful show i highly recommend everybody listen yeah. to it but they they've been doing a thing called xenomorph summer um where they've been going through the entire alien franchise and they recently talked about prometheus which from the minute i i walked out of the theater seeing prometheus i was like i fucking love this movie i think it's great and I, and for some reason prometheus keeps coming up in everything i'm like watching and doing and and this explanation from the leviathan uh and and the way that the reapers kind of handled the the galaxy i guess over and over again just felt so reminiscent of prometheus in a way that made yeah. me realize as i was watching i was like wow this is like big prometheus vibes oh that's why people don't like this <laughs> like, oh, okay oh it's so much like prometheus that people just don't like it and i'm like the weird outlier here but 
I'm glad I'm glad to hear you guys liked it too. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, again, my my issues with the original ending were just that it like was abrupt. You know, like you mm-hmm. didn't like for a game that is not really that subtle where you're fighting a Reaper with a gun that controls the Normandy one on one and like rolling out of the way and then you're going like, We'll surprise you, machine. Like to <laughs> then end on Prometheus is a kind of a tonal shift. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like I was pretty happy with the extended cut. You know, and again, I didn't really like I was blown away that they even did that because I was like ready to make my peace with the ending as it did. And then they added a little bit more. And I'm like that. I feel like I can say goodbye now. You know, like, I feel like I can move on from this. Yeah, I did do the synthesis which really ending, uh, which mm. was the green one, I guess. Um, to be totally honest, I wasn't sure it was the right choice as I was making it. But I knew it was the one that was like the hardest to accomplish. I think like that's the one that I think you need to like pass the most checks to get. And I was. In the moment, yeah. thinking to myself, like, I don't think this is the choice my shepherd would make, but this might be the only time that I play this trilogy through this, like, meticulously. This will be the only time I maybe pass all the checks to get the synthesis ending. And man, what, like, a morally gray, like, I get why that's poised between the Paragon and Renegade stuff, because it, it almost feels like an easy out, but is so, like kind of skeevy and weird so the Mm. idea is that you're taking all the organic life and all the synthetic life and finding kind of like a halfway point between the two of them bringing organics more to synthetic uh and synthetic more to organic and they don't really explain how that works or why or what happens and the end seems like very utopic as they go through these like painted slides of what's going on and the whole time i was like this is great i did a bad thing like (laughs) <laughs> yeah. like i, I should have like, has glowing green eyes yeah, yeah. It, yeah it's i love the idea of like uh, organics around the world look down at their hands and suddenly they all their fingers are usb sticks and they're like fuck <laughs> yeah like, are I, nothing shepherd <laughs> i should have asked for like somebody's permission or something like it just seems so bad like i i was just like hi i'm your space mom and now you're part robot is like so weird yeah that that's the one ending i i have issues with which i think is like you know it, it's inherently a divisive choice but i just think the execution of it feels a kind of silly like control and destroy i think are pretty good compromises i agree i ended up choosing control because in my mind like one after one all these characters were making sacrifice like they would sacrifice themselves for the benefit of the many it's worth noting destroy you destroy the reapers but you also destroy all synthetic life and after legion sacrifice and the geth becoming sentient and declaring peace with the Koreans, i couldn't commit synthetic Mm -hmm. genocide like that just it didn't feel it was a bad decision synthesis again has that consent issue and then control i'm like this is the only bad thing about control is that it's it's what the elusive man wanted to do so it has kind of like a skeevy aura about it Mm. but what's interesting about control is that the epilogue the narration is different if you're a paragon or renegade Mm. oh cool so how how shepherd narrates after you choose that like through the voice of the reapers i actually kind of like the idea that like the threat like throughout the entire trilogy shepherd is like being at least in my shepherd being like the peacekeeper between all these factions trying to understand their enemy like the geth really like always trying to think outside of of, of their immediate perception and with the reapers it's like if if destroying them might repeat the cycle or will also destroy the geth i'm going to sacrifice my corporeal form to make sure that this this threat that exists will now become a guardian instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it has this bittersweet trade off. Cause like the narration is kind of scary and there's constantly this refrain of like the man I was would have said this, but now I truly understand what being immortal and endless means. But like, I, I think the, I think that that sacrifice and the fact that shepherds like will 
exists through the Reapers is like kind of an interesting end note. Um, and seeing like really what I think the Asenica added that really needed to be there was like seeing the crew put Shepard's name on the memorial board. Like that's just mm, like a really yeah. good final note that like you just needed something like that to really seal the deal. Yeah. It's a good game. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good game. It also gave me a, I, after I played that game and still to this day, I will sometimes end a conversation or leave a room by saying, hack it out. And, it, <laughs> and like, regardless of people have context or not, I'll do it on the phone as well. I'll be like, hack it out. And they're like, what the fuck did you say at the end of that conversation? My mom's like, what did you say? <laughs> um, Really quick, before we move on to the final segment of the episode with the questions, I wanted to talk a little bit about Citadel, which was the yeah. final piece of DLC that came out, I think, like a year after the game and is is in many ways kind of like a love letter to the series and is like the writers saying goodbye to it. What mm. did you two think of that one? Because I most people seem to like it, but I know there's some discourse about like it feeling a little bit tonally distant from the rest of the game and whatnot. But what what did you make of it? I loved it. Oh, that was great. It's like an episode of Space Friends for me. I was like, I'm into yeah. this. It's perfect. Yeah. I, yeah. Same, same hat, man. I, I, I was blown away by it. It just felt like, oh, okay, cool. I get to this. It's it's strange because my earlier uh, my earlier bit about like, okay, wandering around these like space battlefields, like trying to find hidden weapon upgrades during a, a galactic apocalyptic doom war uh, seems strange. But man, just like throwing a party at my house, that felt real good. Uh, that was like, Honestly, mm. it's exactly what you need in a way, right? Like you have that one bit right before the end, right before the suicide mission in Mass Effect 2 where whoever you've romanced like comes up to your cabin and, you know, you do your thing. This felt like that on a grander scale. This felt like, you know, just a big, at least for me, because I did it right before the end of the game. Um, like it just, me too. yeah, it just felt like a big like love letter to everybody uh, and a big like, okay, we're going to have this one night because this is like the last chance anyone has to have a night like this. And then we're going to fight for more like it yeah. was fucking great. Yeah. Also, it's just so silly. It's just such a silly thing. <laughs> I mean, this is where the, the clone thing comes back. I I yelled so loud when it was Shepard <laughs> because on. OK, wait, <laughs> I didn't even mention this. Oh, my God. We didn't even talk. about. OK, so earlier in the game, they introduced a new character who's like the right hand assassin man of, of the elusive man. Uh, his name is yeah, Kai Kai Lang. Yeah, yeah. And the first time he appears it's completely in shadow and his hair is done up in a way that looked so similar to my shepherd. Like you don't see him actually. It was so similar to my mm. shepherd that I was like back on the clone hunt. I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> he did it. He did bring, he did make another shepherd and there she is. And then it, he showed up and he was Kai Lang. And I, I've never been so disappointed that to not see Shepard show up. But then <laughs> the payoff in Citadel, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe when Shepard mm. showed up again. Uh, yeah. Incredible. I thought that mission, the mission was really fun. I, I think um, making a clone of Shepard to me was like that mission interrogating, like what makes Shepard Shepard and also yeah. what makes Mass Effect so special. Yeah. Shepard with no friends. What? Who are they? Yeah. Right. And... <laughs> And the party after was so wonderful. I think the reason it prevented itself from becoming too much or too like uh, fan servicey was that all the characters behaved as they would. Like no one said anything that would be out of character. Like everyone, yeah. Yeah. you know, even though they were making kind of jokes about the game, everyone talked as if they would. I mean, seeing Grunt by the front door 
looking at the camera and just like seeing people waiting to get in and going, no, yeah. no. And hitting like the bus. <laughs> so like, funny. Just having the time of his life. Was, <laughs> that made me crack. Because I kept this, going back to him and he was still doing it. There's that scene where they were just sitting there and they're just shepherding back and forth. Which is yeah. like so good, Shepard, Shepard. Oh Shepherd, my God. I, I loved it. And I think what really stuck the landing was the morning after the party. Uh, I love also that you can throw a quiet one or a loud one. I did loud all the way. I yeah. kept just making it louder yeah, and too. louder. I But the, it plays out differently if you choose the other one. Anyway, the, the morning after everyone is like hung over and, walk, and works their way back to the Normandy. And just seeing them all kind of like, okay, we had this like night of fantasy. We now have to all go back to this. But like, just seeing the cast in a mission that was made a year after the game came out and like having them look at the Normandy and go like we had a hell of a ride the best and like the, the delivery of of Shepard saying the best is like really it's so heartfelt and it, it, it's so bittersweet because it's like this is really in all definitions the last hurrah this is the last time we're going to see these characters mm-hmm. I know there's a new game with Liara but like this is the end of this era of Mass Effect I, I thought it was incredible I had a great time with it yeah uh it's it's well done i love the citadel so much i i can't recommend that mission highly enough again it just it's Mm. another situation where like it's so worth playing through the whole trilogy just to experience that there there are so few pieces of media i think that accomplish things like that there's a this is for like so few people but there's a scene in the the second to last season of a show called halt and catch fire that was on amc that I constantly think of and refer to as like one of the greatest emotional payoffs of all time. It's just this like wordless scene where two characters who have hated each other for like multiple seasons dance together at a party. And I, I think about it all the time and playing the Citadel DLC just felt like that to me was like, I can finally mm. add a second thing to that list. Like finally mm. there's another piece of media that holds up to that for me in terms of its emotional That's payoff. Awesome. I loved it. Loved it so much. Yeah. It's great. It's real good. Mass Effect 3 is fucking uh, great. Yeah, I, I I really loved it. I mean, I think even the nitpicks we have, like, it's still, you know, I, I get why anyone would say 1, 2, or 3 is their favorite based on what's here. Absolutely. You know, based on the highs yeah. of each game. Totally. Yeah. On that note, do you guys want to take a break and then do the questions we have? I would love to. Yeah, great. Any any last thoughts on 3? It's the third one. Uh, <laughs> Come on. One. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, I think, like, regardless of... Um, <laughs> Of like your your ranking, like it's these are three of the best games ever made. And, yeah, um, you should play them. They're yeah. real good. You have if you have played them, replay them. On yeah, yeah. honestly, my my thought weirdly is just like I don't need, and this is just because of how I played it. But like I I don't think I'll think about it really as a trilogy as much as just like Mass Effect Legendary Edition. It's just like the one big thing, uh, mm. which I, I know I know it's split up. I mean, you load up Legendary Edition and it gives you the option to play one, two or three. But like it really just felt like one collective cohesive experience that just kind of got better as it went along. Um, and uh, that's wonderful. So go yeah. get the Legendary Edition, play it. Kila Salai. <laughs> All right. <let's, laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> No, you hang up. That was too much. (laughs) (laughs) No, you hang up. (laughs) All right. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Hello, dear listener. We are back and we got a bunch of great questions from you all. Thank you for sending them our way. You guys ready? I'm so (laughs) excited to answer questions. So going back to your shout out to our friends, movie podcast, Eye of the Duck, Chase asks, 
what are your eye of the duck scenes for each of the games? <laughs> and if you're able to, what is your eye of the duck scene for the series as a whole? So just to explain, eye of the duck as a concept is a quote from David Lynch, who says that every movie has a scene that kind of sums up the whole movie's existence. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the best scene or your favorite scene, but it's the scene that if you could isolate from the rest of the movie kind of is like the heart of it. That's how I read the quote, at least. I'm like really racking my brain. I think I have a, I think I have a scene. I don't know mm. if I can do one for each game, but I have one for, I think the trilogy maybe, uh, which is mm. Saren shooting himself in the head in Mass Effect one. Nice. Oh, that's a good choice. Yeah. I think, I think great choice of words. Oh, I just did it too. Uh, I think Saren giving himself the ability to make a decision again after being indoctrinated. Huge moment in the series. Very interesting. I didn't know that it could play out a different way. I think that's very interesting. But that that moment for me was really the like aha of Mass Effect like as a trilogy. Yeah, I think for me the as a trilogy, I think is does this unit have a soul? Because Mm. like it's really like It's it's that moment where like the game like in my mind it's like you go from being in that moment to like the camera pulls out all the way Mm -hmm. to like furthest extreme and you're looking you're having to think about everything that has led up to that moment you're reconciling everything that you know about the geth what you thought you knew about the geth what you learned about the geth what you learned about every race that has interacted with the geth what you know about legion and what you have been learning about legion and in that moment you're forced to make a decision that will impact will have massive implications on the entire galaxy as well as on the life of of one figure that you've come to build a camaraderie and a love for and it's that in that one moment this the weight of the galaxy is in, you don't feel it as heavy um, anywhere else as in that moment where you're like, I'm a button to press away from changing the landscape of this entire civilization and in this entire galaxy and everything in existence. And I think like that's the eye of the duck for me. I love that. I, so because I wrote down all these questions, I feel like I had an unconscious advantage of like knowing this is going to be asked because mm-hmm. in that podcast, they watch the movie and think about what their scene is going to be. We just are doing it on the spot. So it's a little harder. Um, I'm going to try to do it for the games. I think those are both great choices for the series. I'm going to see if I can do it for the games. I think for Mass Effect 1, I would say the conversation with Sovereign has to be it for me. Yeah, That's like the, the kind of the twist of the game itself and like the setup for the rest of the trilogy that there's more going on than just like a rogue agent. There's like a society as you know it is a trap going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, like this is all orchestrated by the Reapers and now you have to share that with everyone you've met a lot going on there <laughs> two i would say the eye of the duck for me is actually shepherd dying like i think mm. the game opening with that like as we talked about too i think that that is such a purposeful beginning that really like casts a shade over the entire game Three is tricky, but in the context of all the DLC being added to the game, I think I would say that it's the entire crew hungover looking at the Normandy, saying we've had a hell of a ride, the best, and then going to their mission. Mm. My my other last thought, uh, another Vermeer moment is is when Rex pulls his gun on you. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, just feels like the aha moment, I guess, for just like everything that's going to come after too. It it's just echoes out throughout the rest of the franchise. Yeah. All, yeah. all of Vermeer, I think, is like a jewel of, of the trilogy, pretty yeah. much. And, and also, uh, again, this is probably cheating, but like any like quip that Javik says that puts, <laughs> puts, 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 into, 
puts into context just like how yeah. massive and like the scale of the universe because yeah. when he says like they used to eat flies like that really puts into like perspective yeah. the time span that you this story exists in and it's kind of cheating because like we start at one point and then through the introduction of uh, one character you kind of you move the 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 kind of like start point back a few thousand years hundred thousand years whatever it is but like that moment is like holy shit the scale of this thing is massive mm. and at the same time regardless of everything it is regardless of you know all the all the um the the odds and the the stakes that uh, that are uh, in play it's also a game about humor and finding the lighter side of life because you yeah. know, this this lad is like you used to you used to be a tadpole i remember <laughs> <laughs> which like he does out of anger in the beginning and then he starts to do it just to yeah mess as a goof yeah. it is point. it's Great. like it's like the huge like you're sitting in front you know sitting in front of your girlfriend and your mom comes and you know says oh he used to shit his pants all the time Okay, I'm going to move on to the next question at that school. Question for the Mass Effect episode. This is from Matthew. Did either of you take a path that led to Morden's self-sacrifice and the genophage in Mass Effect 3? If so, what did you think of that arc? Did his final It Had to Be Me make you emotional? Because it got me good. I don't recall ever seeing a redemption a redemption arc quite like his, from evil rationalizing mad scientists to self-sacrificing to undo his own deeds in a video game before it really landed for me. I mean, we all did it. I think, I think we all had more than had that moment. And yeah, that's, that's a high point for the series. I wouldn't say he's an evil mad scientist in two, as much as his actions are evil. And that's actually going back to Thane's separation of like spirit and body. I think you constantly encounter characters who have done bad things that aren't necessarily bad people, or at least you can make a case for it, or at least your perception might think that. And that actually makes it even more disturbing that you can meet a guy who sings show tunes and is like a regular Solarian who is part of it. And that's also more realistic. You know, I think we, mm-hmm. you know, when we learn about these, uh, these horrible events in history, we, we think of the people who committed these acts as like these demons or these like otherworldly beings. And it's like, they're just people. And that's the scariest part. So I think that Morden really draws that point. Him finding a conscious is a, a really great moment in the series. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I, I don't know if I'm going to say anything better than that, but I, I, it was great. Yeah, I just like, how far can you run from regret, you know, before you look, back and realize you haven't run at all you know you think you've covered a lot of distance mm. but there's been no displacement right like you just got to confront it head on i i i, th- I thought it was incredible um it's one of my favorite moments i, I is that yeah. even allowed to say that there's a favorite i don't know there are a lot of good moments <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 the thing i remember the most about three and even like i remember being like oh two is my favorite but three is my favorite moments and like i still even in this recording like i recall moments of three more than two even though i think two is the stronger game yeah and I think so and, too. more than sacrifices is up there and like just just a great moment so yeah the answer is yes 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 and we love Morden. I've got a pin of him on my cork board. Uh, here's one from uh, Casey Mack. Favorite spontaneous renegade prompt across the trilogy. Oh, uh, so these are the quick time favorite. events where like a yeah. renegade icon will pop up. Um, I see. I never I've, I, I've never done a full renegade playthrough. So there's a lot that I have never uh, interacted with. But I did like pushing was uh, the one of the characters out of the window. Oh, yeah. Um, because it's very like Shepard moves on very swiftly. Um, <laughs> like quite it's like push. All right, back to whatever I was doing. Um, I think in that moment, Garrus goes, "That was a bit harsh, wasn't it?" And like yeah. he's like yeah. the renegade character. <laughs> 
<laughs> the classic one is the reporter, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of the reporter one's kind of weird because I now know the person who is that reporter. <laughs> so it's like, so it's based on Jessica Chobot, right? And like, I, yeah. I know, I like, yeah. So like, I in, in recent years, I've like met Jessica Chobot and talked to her. And I'm like, I don't think I could do that again if I was like playing that game because I now know you and you're like really nice and cool. Yeah. I'd, I'd heard about that. I actually didn't do that one. I did most of them though. I, I found that like throughout the course of my my playtime, I would skew Paragon and all of my choices and always do the renegade prompts because they were so funny. Yeah. Uh, my favorite renegade prompt is stabbing Kai Lang and saying that was for Thane, you son of a bitch. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. yeah. I Hell yeah. That one. That's, that's, a good that's one. the one. I didn't re- you can't not. I didn't do realize it. that was yeah. that was a renegade prompt. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah he he. Ba- you fight him in the elusive man's office, and he's about to like sneak up on you, but you know he's there. I don't know what happens if you don't do it, but you can like stab him in the gut and go like that was for Thane. Or in my case, if Thane dies, it's actually Kirahi, the Solarian who did the rallying cry in Vermeer mm. in the first. Oh one. wow, he is the one who steps in and saves the counselor if he's still alive in three. That's so I said that was for Kirahi, son of a bitch. Uh, but Either way, you're you're stabbing a, a bad guy in the gut for a friend. What else do you want? Yeah. Uh, cool. Moving on. Uh, not sure if anyone has asked this yet, but in regards to the Mass Effect bonus, this is from Kavoth. What DLC do you guys think really felt well integrated within the story of Mass Effect and which felt tacked on afterwards? This is a good question because I feel like the concept of DLC, even between 2007 and 2012, is like dramatically different. Yeah, totally. You know, like 2007, it was like horse armor in Oblivion and 2012 (laughs) is like story specific content because EA wants money. I would say, honestly, I think three probably has the best DLC of the bunch because I think that like you get Javik, you get Citadel, Leviathan. Omega is the only one that really feels like DLC, but even then you get Arya, who's great. So one has has the uh bring down was it bring down the sky right Brendan? yeah yeah yes two is very hit in this the the dlc and two like i like the characters fine layer the shadow broker is excellent and i think is like a must and i would say <laughs> my god i forgot that was dlc also yeah 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 um but then the other stuff in two is like very like i actually dislike a lot of the dlc for two overlord i i did not enjoy oh yeah we were going to talk about overlord right like overlord's kind of a big one for you in particular overlord i i I don't want to go too into because i just it's the only part of mass effect that i find kind of tasteless yeah there's a treatment of a character that i just don't think Mm. i don't think it was intentionally uh hateful but it comes off as very misguided arrival is the one i have a lot of feelings about so yeah i got the mixed up yeah no it's fine arrival is supposed to be like a bridge between two and three uh shepherd goes on a mission solo on hackett's request kind of an under the radar this is not the the Alliance asking you to do this. This is me, your old friend Hackett, asking you to do this. Go to this Batarian hideout and save the scientist. Um, you go there, you do that, and then you find out the scientist is like, the Reapers are coming in like three days. We figured out that they're going to arrive in a mass relay that is like right next to a Batarian system. Hmm. Uh, and if we destroy that mass relay, we can delay the Reapers arriving at the cost of like entire planets worth of Batarians. And it, you know, it, it it's an interesting dilemma to be put in but the problem with that mission is that the game doesn't let you choose Shepard's like I'm gonna do it I'm in a I'm in a rush to commit genocide to delay the Reapers mm. which just felt like even if you're playing the most renegade Shepard that would still be something you have to think over it was wild to me that they just like default to you wanting to do that I quit the mission and I loaded an earlier save I didn't touch it and even in three you meet a Batarian who's I was just like, about to 
mentioned this. Yeah. Our, our, our system was wiped out and the dialogue you're given is either like, that's no excuse for terrorism or the Alliance delayed the Reapers. There's no like empathy. Mm. It's like, why, what do you have against Batarians Mass Effect? Why is like that the one species there's no empathy for? It's so weird. I really hated that mission. But anyway. Yeah. I would say in terms of like Lair of the Shadow Broker, I think is like peak DLC, at least for two. Yeah, I can't imagine playing three without having played Lair of the Shadow Broker. I mean, that just yeah, that, that's got to be a really weird tonal whiplash when Liara shows up as the Shadow Broker in three. Right. Right. Yeah. Because you don't with really no get a lot of Liara otherwise. Like at least with Rex, you get that he's king with Kate and Ashley. You get that really like short but impactful scene on Horizon and Garrus and Tali are part of your crew. So it's really just Liara that's just sort of like at a desk unless you bought Lair the Shadow Broker. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would say that and then everything in three basically. Um, but the rest kind of feels tacked on. Let, thank you for letting me vent about Arrival, you two. I hope that wasn't uh, too much. I uh, no, I agree with you 100%. Cool. Yeah, I think it's big fuck. Uh, <laughs> it sucks. Uh, II94. Um, oh, this is good. What is the zodiac sign of your shepherd? <laughs> oh, I don't even. I, I, I know next to nothing about zodiac signs, so I, I have no idea what I would go for here's here's what i'm going to put you through tim can you tell me could you describe your shepherd to me and i will star okay sign them my shepherd is uh strives to do the right thing however understands that sometimes the rules need to be bent and even broken for the greater good is incredibly loyal to her crewmates and believes that if necessary doing something bad to get them on side is an acceptable thing. I'm gonna say your shepherd is a Scorpio. That's that's the vibe I'm getting. Okay, cool. <laughs> I know okay. that you okay. don't know what that means, but that's what I'm gonna say. How about uh, Brendan? Do you have an idea of what sign your shepherd is? I brought up an image on Google Images. Uh, that, you know, it's <laughs> called zodiac symbols and their meaning. So, Tam, just for your uh, enlightenment, Stephen just said that your shepherd is intense, instinctual, sexual, and secretive. Uh, <laughs> is, is how they're just. <laughs> Scorpios me, in here. Uh, let so. me tell you about my shepherd. So when I when when the game first came out, the legendary edition, I started streaming it, mm. and I was playing the PC version. And I, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna because I'm streaming. Um, I, this wasn't my main playthrough. I was like, for as long as I play it, a little bit anyway, I'm gonna role play. And I created a character called Tennessee Shepherd. Um, <laughs> and, oh, yeah. uh, she was. She had a sniper rifle, which was the loudest fucking sniper rifle in the galaxy. <laughs> And uh, what I would do is on stream at the end of a conversation, I would shout this conversation is over and shoot the sniper rifle into the sky every <laughs> single time. And like it got to the point where everyone in my chat was spamming this conversation is over. And then like, <laughs> so that is the energy my, my shepherd had originally. Tennessee shepherd, hell of a gal. Oh man. That, I mean, Tennessee has to be a Leo, I guess. <laughs> that rules. I love that so much. I love that. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, so I, I'm reading through uh, what all these, you know, kind of different things mean. And honestly, the, the thing that maybe does, should not come as a surprise because I am this is that my shepherd feels like a Gemini, uh, which, you know, I was making a lot of the decisions based on how I would have done it. 
given the option. So I guess I guess it kind of it kind of uh, it kind of tracks. Yeah, I I would not to be egocentric, but I would say Stephen High Shepherd is in Aries as well. Yeah, uh, I think that I play my Shepherd to be honestly. So I I mentioned this off off air but i got into star trek after playing mass effect for the first time it's been interesting going back and seeing the influence and i really tried to play my shepherd as like as close to picard as i could Mm. be you know picard is so diplomatic like you know i always think of there's an episode of tng where there's a crystal entity that just like spreads through the galaxy and whatever is in its way just gets destroyed so it's like it's killed a lot of people yeah and there's a person on board who is like a specialist in this entity who has lost her son to this entity and she wants to destroy it and picard is like we need to communicate with this thing because what it is doing is not evil in the same way that a whale feeding on plankton is not evil it's it's feeding it's a natural part of its existence we don't have a better or more important role in this galaxy than this thing does we have to be on the same footing Mm. to tell them that we're not a threat that what it's doing is harming people and work away around it so i think that my shepherd that is a very hard place to be in as a mortal person and that's like sort of the through line of tng is picard is like striving to be this like diplomatic paragon if you will and q always shows up to test him on that and like of course as a as a mortal being picard has his biases he's the most unwilling to trust the borg based on his trauma with them anyway so i i tried to play my shepherd as that but also giving into whatever human limitations i had on a personal level so if that means stabbing kylang in the gut because of what he did to kirihi i'm gonna do that you know uh but in a diplomatic way really always seek peace a true a true Aries. Anyway, I, I um, will say there, there's going to be eventually down the line, and I'm glad I didn't do this the first time, just to be very clear. But there's going to be down the line a, a world in which I play through this entire game as Waluigi Shepherd, and that's going to be so <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> I I literally I built Waluigi out in the character creator, and I was like, I can't. This is making a mockery of a thing I'm probably going to like yeah, very yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I feel like everyone's first playthrough is like straight to the heart the second playthrough is like the what if campaign you know that's gonna be me yeah i almost did that for andromeda and decided at this at the last moment to not do it for andromeda i was like i should give this game like a real (laughs) shot i shouldn't just make a farce yeah this is a fun one so the next two questions also apologies if we didn't get to your question we actually got a good number of them so i'm I'm Mm. limiting it a little bit but the next two i'm going to ask kind of back to back because they complement each other kim asks there are obviously some canon answers to this but in your personal head canon, which Mass Effect squad mates do you think flirted, hooked up, romance each other? Ooh. And uh, DSCII uh, asks also, Koth, who did your shepherds ship across the series with like an eye emoji? So, what in your head canon, who like hooked up on the Normandy and who did your shepherd romance through the trilogy? I think that um, Kasumi and Jacob got it on. I feel the same way. I mean, she mentions many times that she yeah. she's into Jacob. I feel like she would show up and be like, "You're cute," and he would just be like, "Yeah, let's do it." Like, he just, I yeah. just thought that would that would be a fun night for them. Yeah, I think uh, Liara would have got it on with with Gareth. Interesting, but it would have been one of those like just get let's just get it out of the way um kind of things where like she was like uh this is a possibility that i'm just gonna try did it and was like now i can focus on things again um, that might be that might be everyone with garris but i definitely i can see that yeah if, with, with garris uh if you don't romance garris or tali they end up together which is like a canon pairing oh, whoa. And, 
you can even kind of see that, like, even as as someone who who romanced Tali, who is who my shepherd romanced through the trilogy, they have a friendship that you could tell. Like, in my head canon is like now that Shepard has become like robot savior, maybe Garrus and Tali can like eventually be together afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, cause they, they have like a, a fun banter. Um, I, I think, uh, Javik gets it on and develops a, a long lasting relationship with Dr. Chakwas. Oh my God. I always want more Dr. Chakwas. Me I thought she's the most underutilized character. Cause like yeah. anytime she's on screen, she's great, but she's not given enough. I was, so, oh, we didn't talk about this, but in Mass Effect 2, uh, I fucked up, I guess, at some point along the way. So I only saved half the crew. Um, but thankfully, Dr. Chakwas survived. I was so thankful. Mm. I, I, I didn't realize that losing her was going to be an option. Uh, very, very glad that she stuck around because what a great character, especially when you have your yeah. drink with her in Mass Effect 3. Oh, perfect. Uh, so good. Great sequence. Uh, Legion, Legion and Edie. I think that's a good natural pairing. I don't like I don't like pairing Edie with Joker because Joker's a bit shitty. Yeah. It, okay. Now we can talk about this. I feel like I love Edie as a character, but I don't like the treatment of her in three. And I feel like her relationship with Joker is just Joker going like Awuga. And like yeah. that's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jo- Joker's full Awuga mode the whole fucking time. Uh and Edie <laughs> is like Again, such like a rich narrative vein that we could have mined, but they they're like, what if she was uh, the like weird uh, women robots from Austin Powers instead? Uh, and like, <laughs> it's so frustrating because I I wanted so badly to explore all the stuff that they wanted to with with Edie, and like it's all framed around like, but Joker thinks I'm hot, so what should I do about that? It's like that sucks. Yeah, that's a that's- bad lens to look at this through. Yeah. When you when you get her away from Joker and she's talking about other things, she's really good. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I, like, I love Joker. The Joker mm-hmm. is Joker is the poison in her character, yeah. sadly. And also, like I think Joker Joker's kind of annoying throughout the series. Like he has his moments, yeah, and he's like in a lot of ways the heart of the crew, but he's also frequently a pain in the ass. And I'm just like, shut up, Joker. Yeah, he he's annoying in one. He grew on me in two, and then he gets worse in three. That's kind yeah. of my my exactly like, my trajectory. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there is a cool scene with him, though, uh, right? Like it's right after Thessia, which I forgot what a low point that is, because, again, I mentioned how like throughout most of three, everyone has kind of accepted this is it except for Shepard. But after Thessia, it's the first time, at least in my playthrough, Shepard, like really exhibited doubt and was like, this might be too much for us. Like We might yeah. not be able to do this. He makes some shitty joke and you can be like, dude, not now. Millions of people just died. And then he kind of bounces back and is like well i'm worried about you hackett told me to take care of you i'm just trying to lighten the mood you don't think i care about this either mm-hmm. and like having a moment to because one of my pet peeves is like when there's a comic relief character who exists because the writers need to lighten the mood but not because the character would actually say that yeah so i appreciated that there was a scene in which joker and shepherd could like navigate like why do you actually need to make jokes constantly like why can't you accept this moment for the heavy moment it is? And him being like, I need to support you. That was actually a very interesting moment, but most of the time it it falls short of that, unfortunately. Um, Mm. I think James Vega has a long and fruitful relationship with his pull-up bar. (laughs) (laughs) Because no one else is going to be interested in him. Honestly, I think with more time, Javik and Liara, I would say, I think that they could... Like it's a little bit easy because like yeah. you know they they inherently are paired up, but I think that that like there's a moment where he tells Liara like the Asari were always the the like yes. 
you know, species yeah. we believed in. And then Shepard's like, was that true? And he's like, doesn't matter. You know, mm-hmm. like, doesn't matter mm-hmm. if it's true or if I just said it. I think that eventually that could be a fun pairing. My my personal ship, like, well, first time I played it, I hooked up with Miranda. Um, and then second time, because I was, I was like, um, and then when I, second time around, I did uh, Thane. Yeah. Like, in my headcanon, Thane is the one, though. Um, uh, and then this, this, uh, legendary edition again I accidentally looked at uh, uh, Caden and sadly I, <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even look at him directly I'm pretty sure I looked at him like on, in a reflection on a wall and he was like damn I'm in yeah like, yeah sharp. look in the mirror and the say first... Caden five times yeah <laughs> and he's like so we're dating now right you said it five times <laughs> I dated Garrus because I I don't know that just seemed like the right thing to do <laughs> just like Everybody yeah. always talks about Garrus. I was like, all right, I guess I guess Garrus is the one. And I, I'm excited to explore some other options next time. But Garrus is great. Can Gar- I can I can I give a hot take? Yeah, please. This is the first time I've said this out loud. I think Garrus is an incredibly boring character. Whoa, like overall. Overall, like, yeah. Uh, the Archangel moment was good. No, I don't think he's boring. I don't understand the intense fandom for Garrus. Like, I that's, find him to be very, in the broad scheme of thing, I think he's one of the more plain characters. That's how I felt in the relationship with him specifically, was like, as as the romance is budding between Shepard and Garrus, exactly. I was like really surprised because it'd been so hyped up that it was like so subdued. And I think that's part of what makes it good is that he like actually is like a little bit of like a a dweeb when he falls in love like he's just like he's not like very good at it. he doesn't really know he's like i'm gonna do a bunch i'm gonna google how we're gonna get it on it's like that's not hot (laughs) but like sure all right which i i appreciate but i think i think that's 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 better representation of what i mean like in the relationship dynamic i feel like he's very boring i was expecting more and and it they kind of subvert your expectations and i i I understand why that would be off-putting in a way look I, I think that both things are valid. I, I don't think Garrus is boring. And and Tam, I love you enough to not leave the show because you said that. But um, <laughs> I, I do think that the love for Garrus is mostly because like we, we talk a lot about the variables in Mass Effect, like playing through a different way, making a new character. The one constant is that Garrus has your back no matter what you do, no matter True, what yeah. you choose, no matter how you play. He's always your friend. And I think just the slow burn of like having a constant friend in a game all about choice over a decade is like that's I think that's why a lot of people love him so much. That is fair. He is your ride or die throughout everything. So, yeah. Yeah, I I romanced Tali the first time. The second time I played, I romanced Liara Thane in two. And then once he died back to Liara, Liara feels like. Uh, the writers really like her because she's given so much like great moments and that relationship is like to see it develop that's a character that I think changes a lot and um, you know I think the the dramatic irony of Liara is that even if you save the day she's going to outlive everyone she knows so like there's a constant bittersweetness there there's a constant like let's enjoy the moment kind of thing Liara, Liara's relationship I really liked. Honestly, though, Tali, I think is, I feel like I might have actual feelings for her, to be honest, based <laughs> on like just how I felt in the playthrough, which, you know, is a weird thing to say, but that's just how this game works, right? Like you get to know these characters on such a personal level. And I think that like seeing, I, I think I, I'm drawn to the romance stories that are like 
where characters end up being vulnerable. You know, Thane mm. only has so much time left. Liara has like too much time left, which is like the same stress. Uh, and Tali is, you know, similar to Gare is like Googling how this can work. Um, but, you know, is also tasked with like potentially going back home to her people on the flotilla. Like all the characters, like I, I feel like I, I have a personal attachment to all of them, you know, yeah. and, and that's just what makes this trilogy so special. Yeah, absolutely. Despite my feelings on Garrus, I will say I did order a big old Garrus figure from Bioware Store a few months ago <laughs> to my house. <laughs> and I have not, I, it's, it's in my apartment in America. I've not seen it once and I'm desperate to be reunited oh, with it. Yeah. I thought you were going to say the body pillow. Yeah. Didn't they make a body pillow when Legendary Edition came they out? They did. They, I, 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 I ordered it and then I canceled it because I was like, no. I'm, yeah. It's like, where do you put it? Yeah. yeah. What am I going to do with that? That's yeah. fine. I do have a painting of Rex behind me. Fantastic. All right. Here's a fun one from Elise. Mass Effect question from my fiance. Did you feel pressured by the Paragon Renegade system to min-max your ethical decisions throughout the game? Mm. And does that make you hate capitalism? <laughs> um, I think that that's probably, if I have like a gripe with the series, I think it's like sometimes there's incentive to make decisions to like max out either Paragon or Renegade so you have the choice to like do the Renegade or Paragon decisions when there are, you know, big moments like declaring peace or yes. whatever. I think that they actually figured it out in Dragon Age where like if you make a decision, it's not really on a moral system that you get points for, but it's just like other characters will react to it. So you'll see like so-and-so liked that or really liked that or really didn't like that. Yeah, um, I was going to bring this up. It feels like the correct version of what they wanted to do with Mass Effect 1 allowing you to influence yeah. your your party's yes. paragon or renegade decisions mm-hmm. like they already nailed that in dragon age mm. yeah and this is just kind of like a lesser version of that i i think i think you know they grew into uh, a more interesting thing by by the time two and three rolled around but uh w- one gets a little muddy in in that respect but yeah uh, and as you said um and as i've been harping on i i think the moments where you pass a check that allows you to do the paragon or renegade choice generally is the least interesting thing you can do in that moment Mm -hmm. which is frustrating and uh i'll always hate capitalism Uh, unrelated (laughs) same big same (laughs) okay gonna move on kh88 all right only question i can think of currently what was the least satisfying end to a quest major minor companion and how would you reshape it hmm I think I have an answer to this. I honestly think it might be Zaid's mission, uh, the loyalty mission. Yeah, that's a good um, one. Because I think that I honestly, like, so he's dead set on revenge, even more than Garrus. You know, like, he's he's so farther down the renegade path that, like, he is openly willing to admit that he, like, doesn't care if these innocent people die yeah. on his quest to get revenge. And when you talk him out of it, unless you have a high enough paragon, you lose his loyalty. You know, you you will lose his loyalty if you make the paragon decision. And I kind of wish they just committed to that. Like, I feel like, I think the most interesting thing about Zaid is that he doesn't really have a softer side. He's just like a hard ass mercenary. And that's like kind of where it ends. Mm, like, yeah. I think there's redemption there because I think he's like smart enough to like know that there's like maybe more to life. But it's not like Rex where Rex is secretly like this progressive leader waiting to be born. Zaid is like mm. just sort of like you know openly there for a paycheck 
So I don't know. I think it would have been, I like the, the very brief moments of the trilogy. As someone who mostly plays Paragon, I like the brief moments where they actually punish you for being Paragon. Yeah. One other moment I can think of is in one where there's like a indoctrinated, I think a Solarian in yes. Vermeer. And Always if Vermeer. you let him out. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it goes back to Vermeer. I remember because in one, like you very much like your two squad mates, whoever was the more Paragon one would be like the angel on your shoulder and the devil. I was with Rex and Tali. So Tali was the more Paragon one. And we were going to let that guy out. And Tali was the one who was like, I don't think we should let him out. You know, I I think this is a bad idea. And if you do, you have to fight him because he's indoctrinated. So, like, I think that it's it's interesting because I think sometimes Paragon is just like you get everything, like everything works out. And I, I like the moments where it's like Renegade was actually the better choice here. And I think that that could have been how Zaid's mission played out, but it didn't. Yeah, I think I think I agree with that. Like Zaid's a character I really like. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, the, the way the way as you said, the way it unfolded wasn't the best. I wish uh, there was more meaning to be extracted from that character, and it just wasn't. And then he becomes like this kind of like mouthpiece in your ship that will tell you all the heinous shit he's seen in his life and has been, <laughs> has been part of. And you're like, why are you here, man? <laughs> I guess I paid twenty dollars for this. Yeah. Uh, do you, either of you have one any mission that you would that you kind of found unsatisfying that you would want to rework? Yeah, I mean, yeah. The the big one for me is still Omega, the Omega DLC. Um, it just it just spends so much time meandering. It has a wonderful payoff from a character perspective but as again like as with all things in mass effect 3 like the real reward in that mission you know so you get to see this like great aria character arc kind of uh, come to fruition it just like takes a very long time to get there and then your real reward for having done that mission isn't even really war assets as much as it is you just get like a shitload of money because there's just like money lying all over Omega and like mm. it didn't make me feel like I had gotten anything really meaningful from it except for like seeing more of Aria which was like cool I guess but it's not like she like joined the crew or whatever um I just like walked away with I don't know like a hundred thousand more credits than I walked in with uh which was like helpful but didn't feel rewarding I guess yeah I can't think of anything specific like yeah nothing nothing really comes to mind I think it's probably the Zaid one honestly like I wish there was more done with him yeah yeah, I did just get a, <laughs> I did just get a flashback of like an awkward moment, and not not really unsatisfying quest, but just a moment in a moment that shouldn't have made me laugh, but did. In the Earth mission, uh, there's a point where like there's a scripted event where Steve Cortez's ship crashes and i think he can like if you have a low enough army points he dies there which is really brutal because i i like the character a lot oh yeah um but he was okay but the <laughs> the way it played out it's like the ship crashes and shepherd goes steve and he goes i'm okay and he's like, <laughs> and he's like oh, okay i'll see you later it, it's like right out of the room where he's <laughs> see you later you know, like so bizarre just the guttural like it's the most like Male Shepherd has hammed up the mic like, Steve! <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> anyway, how are you? Um, it's nice so doggy. bizarre. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then when you like in the in the building where you can like Skype people who aren't there, but you want to say goodbye to. Yeah. Steve's like, hey, sorry, I scared you there. I'm like, dude, what was that moment? <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Steve! Okay, here's a big one that I think we've kind of touched on, but I think is I think it's a well-worded criticism of the ending, and we can address it. Uh, Call me Arcturus on Twitter says, um, to me, the ending of Mass Effect Three. This is also a bit abbreviated, so mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry to shorten it, but you know, it was very. I, I want to touch the major points. 
to me, the ending of Mass Effect 3 feels like it was imported from a completely different story. Nothing about it fits the current narrative at the moment it drops. And I think thematically, it bucks the entire trilogy thus far. Mass Effect 2 and 3 very closely deal with the idea of selfhood among disparate species and the importance of respecting and preserving individuality in the universe. It's a triumph when the Krogan's cultural genocide is ended. It's a triumph when the Geth gets sentience, so on and so forth. Uh, then the ending asks, okay, do you want to wipe out the Geth or do you want all species to meld and arguably lose that selfhood? I think that there is a, that's where the whole thing falls apart. It's deeply weird and off-putting to spend a hundred plus hours on a story exploring specific themes and then have an ending that doesn't seem to know what the story is about to begin with. Um, this is part of why I secretly suspect the control ending might be the least terrible, but is that any different than rewriting the heretics in Mass Effect 2? Looking forward to your thoughts on the matter. I don't know if it bucks the entire trilogy. Like I, mm. I, I, I get where you're coming from in terms of the, the, the criticisms here seem to be mostly applied to synthesis. I feel like Destroy and Control both have like pretty tangible levels of sacrifice. And also, I mean, there's a version where your shepherd might have not had high enough Paragon or Renegade to declare peace and the Geth were wiped out. And then Destroy isn't as bad of an option, you know, where it's yeah, like, totally. okay, I'm not the one killing the Geth anymore. So I, I, I think that at this point, there's a case to be made for all the endings. I think synthesis is a really cool idea conceptually. I just think it's it's more of a fumbling and execution than it is, I think, in thematic importance. Because I think that like <laughs> if there's any theme of the trilogy, I think it goes back to what you brought up, Brendan, where it's choice, you know, and I think that finding another way Shepard uh, amongst all their decisions has proven themselves to the catalyst to be the variable. They are the the outcome that was not foreseen and has now proven their theory on the Reapers wrong. And so a new course of action needs to be set. So I think that the idea that we're even given a choice is a triumph in a weird way. I think if we believe the Reapers to be unstoppable as they are, the fact that we're given those choices is like a big deal. So I, I do like that each choice is a degree of sacrifice. But I, I do agree that synthesis is like the one that does feel a little bit silly still. Yeah. The weird irony, right, is like throughout the game, you're constantly given these like these tough decisions. And every once in a while, there's a Paragon or Renegade choice that kind of undercuts that and makes that, you know, hit a little less hard than maybe it was supposed to narratively. And and the irony of the ending is that it's actually the middle of the road non-Paragon or Renegade choice that is the worst one, um, I, yeah. I think, yeah. of, of the three. Uh yeah, I to me it all comes down to like how do you save the galaxy? Um is it the Paragon or Renegade way of life? And and those are the two options you're given. Um synthesis is weirdly your like, you know, third alleyway out the back way out. Um but I I I find that those two choices kind of do meld pretty well. Um I do think the one missing element, maybe, uh again, not to not to like try and write the game or you know back or uh, armchair game development whatever i do think the one element maybe that is missing is this impact that your relationship with others has had um i i think i think you weigh those options in control or destroy right like as, as we're talking about like the geth are an important part of your decision making process but not so much with everyone else you've met throughout the course of the game i think there there might be like one lingering thread there where maybe maybe there's like an element that could have been introduced in which your relationships with other people are the things that help you make those decisions um, outside of just like, yeah, am I 
destroying all of the Geth or not. You know, like if Garrus or Liara or Rex or someone showed up in that way. Um, the thing that I keep coming back to and the thing that I was most surprised by at that ending uh, was that it wasn't Ashley as the ghost instead of the kid. I, I was expecting it to be mm. Ashley because Ashley's voice has been haunting me mm. throughout the entirety of the game. I was like, of course it's going to be her. And then it wasn't. I was like, oh, it's this kid again. OK, weird. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I personally, I, I found the ending to be satisfying, even though I picked the worst one. Um, so I'm sorry to end that yeah. answer with a fart noise. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, I think I largely agree. I think the interesting thing is like, we put so much of our prior experiences on what Shepard's been through into into like as 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 ingredients that need to be factored into the ending. When narratively speaking, like the forces that are asking to us to make a decision do not give a shit about any of that. If you get what yeah, I mean, like right. why would they give a fuck what you've done that you saved the Geth or whatever? It's meaningless to them. They're just like, mm, yeah. here are your choices pick one and shepherd couldn't be like but i saved the geth and i don't like, oh, fucking care about that you just yeah pick the thing. I, I think people i think people really wanted like the ending of gurren lagan to be how this concluded where it's like the hopes of the you yeah, know like yeah. you know my 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 spirit combined with others which like could have been yeah, fun I, but i think it would have cheapened the threat of the i think Reapers. that there is a coldness to the ending but like um yeah. i kind of like I don't think it was a, it was good, but like I kind of also read it that way, where I was like, "Yeah, the, these are the concerns of you know these higher beings or this like weird you know scenario. They, they have no time for the fact that we've made loads of friends on the way. They just want you to make a decision on on this thing. Totally. Um, so like it is a cold way to look at it, but it's just one of the reads that you can make on it. I thought the ending was like, I'm personally one of those people who I've said, I said it before is like the journey means way more to me than the ending. Like I could not care less about the ending. I, I don't remember any of that stuff. Like it, whenever I think about Mass Effect, I don't think, oh man, Control made this happen or Synthesis did this or, you know, whatever, whatever. I think of the moments that led up until that point. And that's ultimately what's the most important thing for me. I agree. I think it's also worth talking how like, I feel like when the game came out and the ending you know, it was received the way it did. There's a lot of talk about like other ideas planned and like what's really apparent from, you know, interviews with the writers and everything is that there wasn't, like you said, they only thought one game at a time. There wasn't really a plan for like the Reaper's final thing. Like the other, the other plot point that gets a lot of attention is the uh, dark energy ending mm. where it was this idea that like the technology organics use generates dark energy that will eventually result in like a reverse big bang. And there's something about the reapers that will prevent that from happening. But even that is like, it is, is more of a stretch than what we got in a way, you know, I think there wasn't really like a, Oh, this would have been better. Like it, it was a very hard story to end. And I, and I do think that, um, that having to commit to the choice is, is a powerful thing. I, I, my only real issue is, is the execution of synthesis, but yeah, I overall, I think the extended cut fixed the issues I had where like the original ending was just like way too abrupt for what the trilogy was doing like minutes before. So yeah. Out of curiosity, correct me if I'm wrong, but Shepard dies in all three, right? I, I know there's some illusions that Shepard might survive in the destroy ending, but like, yeah, there. Yeah, it's it's um. So if you do destroy and you have a high enough army rating, there's a shot at the end that shows the N seven armor and they breathe. So it it, it kind oh, of assumes that they're still alive, um, mm. which is cool. But I don't know. It felt I, I again my read is like Morden sacrificed themselves to save the Krogan. Legion sacrificed themselves to save 
the geth shepherd's gonna do the same thing that's mm-hmm. why i did control yeah. yeah but i might my one issue is like they paint destroy as the paragon option and control as the renegade option which i actually think it's kind of the opposite i think that destroy is is way less of a you know it results in potentially shepherd survival and the annihilation of a race yeah whereas control is just shepherd being gone you know i i think it's interesting that they were flipped that way yeah i totally agree weird it's weird next question gj asked a bunch that i think kind of meld into one so I'm going to read the whole thing, but then, you know, answer what feels right. Uh, I'm sure you're already going to cover this, but I'd love to hear the overarching journeys your shepherd went on. Did they start Paragon or Renegade? Did they arc to a different end of the spectrum? Did their choices cause strife between their loved ones? Were there any moments or decisions that were out of character in terms of the para-Renegade binary that was based on some strongly held belief? By the end of the story, do you think they had any regrets would they consider themselves a good person? And am I the only one that lead into the role-playing part of the game this hard? Uh, the, the last answer, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I think we all did. Um, yeah. I really like this idea as a final question. It's like, okay, who was your shepherd? Uh, did they make any decisions that caused strife? Do they have any regrets? And do they think that they were a good person? And that's a really interesting series of questions. Mm. Yeah, I think I think I, I touched on this already, but I'll just kind of I'll mention it again. I, I think I, I started playing Paragon. Um, and as I personally got sick of watching these people not listen to me, I started playing more Renegade um, because I needed to just get things done. I, I needed to be like the object that was moving things throughout the galaxy because things weren't moving themselves uh, as hard as I tried. So. I found I found I guess, you know, my shepherd got more frustrated as time went on, especially when the Reapers showed up and people still weren't acting. It was like I have to take things into my own hands, even if that means kind of compromising some of the values that I had had up until this point. Whatever gets the mission done is the most important thing. I definitely finished Mass Effect 3 like significantly more Paragon than Renegade, but there was way more Renegade in in that uh, in that bar than I was expecting by the time I wrapped uh, for that reason alone. And regret-wise, probably not. Maybe just regret picking the synthesis ending, but I don't know. It seemed happy. Everybody seemed stoked <laughs> about it. <laughs> yeah. I got wires in me. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think for me, like my, I did like the, uh, be the change that you want to see kind of like, uh, approach to it and like try and keep a cool head when things are kind of like falling apart and do the thing that's right for the grand scheme of things. Like yeah. it's, there's a lot of it, like the, the whole thing where you give the collector base to, um, uh, the elusive man at the end, that was a particularly difficult decision because it's like even this the, the after knowing what happens i was like i know what happens in mass effect 3 and yet still i think this is the right thing to do because like as it stands the only organization that has the capacity to make good of this all of this information and data is cerberus and it is the elusive man and like that's kind of like the kind of approach i took where i was like yeah this sucks but i know it's for the greater good even if it does bite me in the ass uh but like uh that's the kind of the f- approach i went to but i did like i don't think in terms of decision wise they regret anything my my shepherd like any of the shepherds that i've played i think like every, i i play in a way that i i put myself in there instead of role play them as a single uh, excluding tennessee shepherd who is a very uh, different kind of shepherd <laughs> um, but i play it i play it I like tennessee. myself and i think that's why i struggle to do a renegade playthrough yeah because no matter how hard i try i always 
I'm always guided by my own morals and my own understanding of a situation. And it's weird. It usually means that every playthrough of um, uh, Mass Effect for me usually ends up uh, kind of in totality being very similar to the last. Mm. Um, may- maybe like I nudge slightly towards Renegade or nudge slightly more towards Paragon. But um, I always end up like doing myself doing doing myself in the game and as a result that i don't really regret anything and my shepherd wouldn't either um yeah yeah i think um Stephen high shepherd i tried to write my full name but it cut it off which is why it's <laughs> Stephen high uh Stephen high shepherd i played pretty close to myself i think that um yeah i don't think i would regret anything either because i think regret is only in hindsight and i think that all the decisions were made in the moment in good faith mm. so uh Nothing really caused strife. I mean, the only intention I can think of is like when uh, I came back as, you know, Cerberus revived Shepard and Ashley was like, I don't like aliens, but I really don't like Cerberus. Uh, that was the only really heated moment. So, yeah, I, I also like in all playthroughs, I tend to go Paragon. Even my full Renegade playthrough, I still saved the Rachni Queen. I still like did a lot of the big Paragon choices. I just sort of like had the flavor of Renegade, right. which is kind of interesting. I, honestly, I think the more interesting character exists somewhere between the two, Yeah, which is, again, a disservice to like locking things to points. One, one idea I had is like making those Renegade or Paragon options like dice rolls instead of just like a cure-all. Um, yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. I do think my um, only like real personal regret is not, just committing to my suicide mission ending that I had gotten the first time. Like I want, I, I mm. think, I think maybe I should have just been like, you know what? That's how it went. So I'm going to do it. But I, I was too interested in what Garrus was going to be up to in three. And honestly, I'm like, I'm really glad, especially for <laughs> this episode and like quote unquote doing research for this episode. Like I'm glad to have seen all those options play out. Like I'm glad to now know what every character yeah. does when they show up in three. So next time I won't feel like I'm missing something, but yeah. Yeah, totally. And the last question from Donuts, what other IPs do you think would do well with a Mass Effect style video game trilogy other than Star Wars? Because I think that's kind of obvious. Also still upset we never got Kodor 3. I mean, I would I mean, Star I'll just... Trek is, is the one, right? <laughs> Star Trek? Yeah. I felt I felt like Star Trek is the one, but also I, I wouldn't, I would love like Battlestar Galactica. Like, oh yeah. I mean, pretty much any other big sci-fi series, but I think especially ones that, I mean, Battlestar Galactica and Star Trek both kind of revolve around decision making and diplomacy in a way and identity, you know, and, and uh, that that would do really well. Trying to think what else. I mean, honestly, this was big for a while. Like we saw like the telltale games, I feel like were kind of mass effect esque. And like, I loved the walking dead one. Wasn't really into a lot of the other ones. Yeah. And that's the obvious answer. Yeah. One of the, I think what else, one of the things that's been nagging at me throughout the entirety of playing through this trilogy and and I think if you were to like maybe not say like, OK, I want I want this IP to follow Mass Effect as it stands, but maybe like take some of the best ideas from two and kind of expand them out. Playing two felt to me like a kind of sci fi adaptation of Arthurian legend, specifically like bringing the, the Knights of the Round Table together um, and going out yeah. on adventures and whatever, whatever. And I f- like, why not? Like, why not just do that? Like, why not make that the video yeah. game? Like, I would love to have yeah. that experience and go out. You meet all the different knights and like they're, they would have their own loyalty missions and whatever. And they'd all I mean, they're all different storytelling archetypes. You know, it just like fits the formula so well. Like, why not? Why not go do that? Um, I'm always surprised that there aren't more Arthurian games because like, hey, video game people, you don't have to pay for that IP. 
public domain, <laughs> my guy. Go do it. That's a great point. How about Boston Furious? Dude, yeah. <laughs> great idea. Loyalty missions, like the main gameplay is racing stuff, and you're all building, you need to put together a team for the suicide heist. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. That's perfect. Have you done their family mission? You got to do all their family <laughs> missions. You have to get <laughs> all the car upgrades. Mission, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, like, you have your version of the Citadel DLC where they're all doing, like, a cookout. Yeah. And everyone's there. Oh, my God. Hell yeah. Why not? <laughs> not... Not surprising, but one of my ideas was a Fire Emblem game where like, I feel like we've seen a lot of Fire Emblem games play with the idea of like choosing a route over another or like having some kind of time jump or having the kids, you know, from like pairings come to help fight. So mm. I just feel like having giving that the time it needs at the scale of three games and seeing like characters start at one point and like later on in history, I think that would be really cool. I would be very into that. Yeah. Yeah. Fire Fire Emblem is like really touching on a lot of these ideas and not going all the way in because it still needs to be like a turn based strategy Fire Emblem game at the end of the day. Yeah. Like maybe maybe just maybe just break free of that. Just an idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can still I mean, that the irony is like we just talked for, I don't know, five or six hours about Mass Effect. We didn't talk once about the shooting or the RPG side of it. So like, I think for, for a Mass Effect trilogy style game, it's less about what the game is and more about how you are controlling the protagonist and the decisions that are carrying through all three games. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Well, that's it. We figured it out. Uh, that's Mass Sorry. Effect, uh, you know, from start to finish. <laughs> There's nothing else to say. Isn't that wild? We've said everything there is to say. <laughs> yeah. You know what's fucked up though? I have so much more to say. That I will that I will hold back, but yeah. I'm like, man, I didn't even talk about how I didn't really like how Cerberus was done in three. I wish they were less of a big deal because they're suddenly the Empire. Yeah, um, yeah, we didn't talk about the Elusive Man at is, all. I didn't talk the about the Asari yeah. and like how fascinating that whole like just that race is. Like they're wild. Mm-hmm. I could talk about that forever. The Hanar, what's up with that? Yeah, I could give I, you I, at least three more hours of Thane chat. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, we should have an Into the Thane spinoff. I'd be into it. <laughs> I love Let's that. Go. Cool. I think for all our mortal sake, though, we will wrap up because, mm. and I think I, I, I like ending it on the fact that we have more to say, because honestly, I have a lot of friends in my life, you know who you are, who I have been talking about these games with when they came out, and we're still talking about it a decade later. It's just a testament to this trilogy, to the series. And even though Andromeda is hit or miss for people, like it's, it's, I'm, I think there are so many more stories to tell in this universe. Like I don't need it to be about Shepard anymore. You know, I, mm. I, there's so many little like seeds of intrigue planted in, in the lore of this universe that I would love to see more thoroughly explored. And I hope it happens. You know I mean? We'll see what there, there is, there is beauty in the intrigue and there's beauty in just like being left with it and like, you know, maybe figuring it out for yourself. But I think it's a sign of a rich universe where you're always left for wanting sure. more of it. Yeah. yeah. And like, even like the, the, the novels that exist are actually very good. And that's uh, good to hear. That. Cause yeah. I wanted to read them. Yeah, yeah. They're real good. Like there's a lot of information in there. You learn a lot about the elusive man in there. Um, and there's some like, it's well worth, there's a few of them that are written by Drew Carpetian, but they're all generally worth reading. So there's that, um, if you want to go back and you want to get more out of what exists, those are there. And, um, 
looking further ahead there is a new game in production so uh fingers crossed for that yeah i um i mean i'm gonna get it as soon as it comes out no matter what but uh yeah i'm I'm hopeful it will be a good time i've seen some allusions to the fact that it is more of a sequel to andromeda than people think it is uh which i'm very interested in as an idea considering people tend to not like andromeda very much people have like analyzed the background in that trailer and like they've kind of pieced together the idea that it's like the milky way and the andromeda like galaxies like together in some capacity and some people are like theorizing that the asari character is liara um and etc etc yeah because she can live long enough to travel from one galaxy to the other yes i saw some stuff about that yeah yeah wild i'll be very interested to see if that's the case but Mm -hmm. when it comes out expect to hear about it on into the aether a low-key video game podcast (laughs) (laughs) i do like the fact that andromeda had to set itself like in a different galaxy just to avoid whether they had wires or not like that really is like why they did that it's like okay (laughs) we're just another place another time We're just going to avoid that conundrum. Yeah. But anyway, uh, hey, thank you so much for listening. Thank you very much to our patrons who allow these bonus episodes to happen. Thank you so much uh, to more who joined us today. It's much later in England than it is here. So I appreciate you staying up late with us to talk about Mass Effect. Yeah, for real. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Like uh, I love doing this podcast. Like I said last time I was here, I love listening to this podcast. One of my favorites. And um, yeah, it's always an honor. So thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you, little legend AJ for, for your work. Um, <laughs> Heroes, all of you. TJ is actually a keeper, just like editing (laughs) stuff in real time. Oh my God, the keeper. Yeah, we could do a whole other episode (laughs) just about war and how weird the keepers are. We not even once until now did we mention Blasto. Oh my fuck. The incredible Hanar secret agent. (laughs) I know. Oh my God. There's a moment at the end of three when you end up in this like weird tunnel that's just filled with dead human bodies and there's a keeper and they give you a gun and I was like, kill the keeper immediately and it doesn't let you. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Tam, where can people find you on the internet? Where do you want people to find you these days? Uh, You can find me on Twitter. I just mostly post nonsense on Twitter at Tamor H. My work is usually on either GameSpot.com or GiantBomb.com. I have a couple shows on giant bomb and i'm like managing editor of games but i write stuff and do video stuff and we have a podcast called after dark i also stream three times a week if you're into that um twitch.tv for slash tomorrow h um i stream on uh sundays wednesdays and fridays most most of the weeks i'm very happy for you wrapping up outer wild that that, that's a that's a fun trip i just i just did dark bramble and um that was a that was a time is that with the angler fish? Yes. Oh my god, that scared the shit out of me. I yeah. I, I was kind of annoyed by it, but uh, I got I got over it very quickly. Yeah, I uh, that's a beautiful game though. Yeah, another is, another great work of sci-fi. Yeah, 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 really, really good. Uh, I'll just I'll recommend Born to Run, which I've been really enjoying over on Giant Bomb. Uh, awesome, really really fun watch i can't wait for you to get past demon souls and just like make your way through everything else uh, uh. are you are, are you watching on site yes okay cool that's good <laughs> yeah there's there are <laughs> no there are youtube versions and yes this the site version has has something more happening with it yeah it's uh it's it's a good watch so go subscribe to giant bomb and uh go watch that hey 
Uh, if if you want to uh, see more into the Aether stuff, go to intothecast.online. Um, that has our links everywhere. And um, honestly, we've been talking for so long that that's probably all I need to say. Thank you all so much for listening. Extremely, <laughs> extremely appreciate it. Um, love to talk about Mass Effect. I will talk about Mass Effect Andromeda the further in I get on the show eventually, probably in a regular episode, but stay tuned for that because I'm having w- w- an interesting time with it. Uh, that's it. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. <sighs> It's so bittersweet that this is over. Yeah. And I feel the same emotional weight as ending three. Um, you can find me at Stephen Holger. I will uh, I will post poems about Blasto. <laughs> yeah, it makes me wish we were still doing the newsletter. We could just Blasto poems every month. Dude, we, we got a medium. If you ever have Blasto inspiration, go for it. Because I certainly will. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.